is a Santa Claus saying I won't be around this year. I'm a bit sick. Santa Claus has got the AIDS this year. And he won't be round to spread his Christmas cheer. The reindeer all look blue. They know what he's going through. Santa Claus has got the AIDS this year. He won't be yelling out, ho, 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 ho. But he'll be screaming out, no, 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 no. He's lying sick in bed. Call the doctor there instead. Santa Claus has got the AIDS this year. Each season he is full of pep and vim. But now the AIDS have got the best of him. The nurses all look sad, cause Santa's got it bad. Santa Claus has got the AIDS this year. Oh, there's a Santa Claus saying, I won't be here this year. I'm sick in bed with the AIDS. Oh, but I'll be back next year, next year. Don't cry for me. A doctor will cure me. There'll be no jingle bells upon his sleigh. From everyone, he's got to stay away. Twelve months to wait and then. He'll soon be round again, but Santa Claus has got the AIDS this year. Oh, I'll miss you all, but I'll see you next year. Santa Claus has got the AIDS this year. And he won't be round to spread his Christmas cheer. The reindeer all look blue, yeah, they know what he's going through. But Santa Claus has got the AIDS this year. There'll be no jingle bells upon his sleigh. From everyone he's got to stay away. Twelve months to wait and then he'll soon be round again, but Santa Claus has got the AIDS this year. I said Santa Claus has got the AIDS this year. I said Santa Claus has got the AIDS this year. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Santa Claus has got the AIDS this year, so don't expect him to be coming around in two days. Welcome. I am Todd Dandruff Wattellis. That song, by the way, was by Tiny Tim from 1985. You might wonder what the story is behind a song like that. Well, in 1985, AIDS was not all that well known yet by the general public. That was really the first year that AIDS came into public knowledge. And uh, Tiny Tim, I guess, was a little bit late in understanding the severity of AIDS or the way you catch AIDS. So he thought AIDS was just a temporary illness. And as you heard during the song, when he was imitating Santa Claus, he said, I'll be back next year, next year. Don't cry for me. A doctor can cure me. (laughs) Which, unless you're Magic Johnson, isn't very likely. So 
Uh, after this, Tiny Tim was actually quite embarrassed with the song he had done. And, of course, the, the song itself was produced very poorly. He pretty much used, like, a Casio keyboard to do it. But that aside, he was embarrassed about the content. And when he was on the Howard Stern show, as he appeared many times during the 90s, he was uh, denying that this song was actually about the disease AIDS. He said it was about the candy known as AIDS, A-Y-D-S, which was discontinued shortly after that disease came into prominence. <laughs> but that was a silly answer because it didn't even make sense with the context of the song. It's clear in the song that Santa Claus is sick and he can't come because he has the AIDS. So if it has to do with the candy AIDS... It makes no sense. So it was obviously just an excuse. Tiny Tim is no longer with us. He died some years back. And I always wondered the backstory of that song. Like, how did Santa get the AIDS? Did he get it from Mrs. Claus? Did he get it from one of the reindeer? Did Rudolph maybe have the AIDS? He had to catch it from somewhere, from someone. Or perhaps was Santa Claus stopping in some shady parts of town and sharing needles? I always wanted to hear a sequel to this song, or maybe a prequel, where we could learn how Santa Claus caught the AIDS. But don't cry for him. He'll be back next year because the doctor can cure him. Anyway, welcome again. There is no co-host with me right now. Daredevil cannot make it, so he will not be here tonight. Brandon, as usual, will be joining us Later in the evening, around 9, 9.30, the usual, he'll just appear. So right now it's just me and whoever else wants to join him. I'm getting a message from Team ML Gay that he wants to appear as a co-host. and I always have mixed feelings about that. It's like, on one hand, sometimes he does a good job. On the other hand, I'm afraid he's going to disrupt the show. So, I, I don't know what to do. Anyway, let me give you the intro to the show, and then I'll decide what to do. If you want to call into the show, you can do so. The phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You can also text that phone number anytime before, during, or after the show. And I will read your text on the air unless you ask me not to. Or unless we're having like a personal conversation back and forth, I won't read that either. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. The Mount Charleston line is an old 70s rotary phone which exists on top of Mount Charleston, which is a mountain near Las Vegas. There is snow up there. There has been for a little while. That phone number is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808 is the Mount Charleston line, which you can reach and will forward to wherever I am. Make sure to show your caller ID before calling either phone number or otherwise you won't get through. You'll get a busy signal. If you want to chat during the show, you can go in the live chat room. Click on the big chat button near the top of the screen on PokerFraudAlert.com. You need a PokerFraudAlert.com forum account in good standing and a flash-enabled device, meaning iPhones and iPads will not work. There is a new way to listen to the show which has existed for about a month and a half now. It's called the Call to Listen line, and it's exactly as it sounds. It's a phone number that you just call up and listen. This is not a call-in number, meaning that you can't 
be on the show, but you can listen to the show using this phone number. And the good thing about this number is that it doesn't cost you any data. You don't need a smartphone. You don't need a computer. You don't need the internet. All you need is a phone that can dial. Any phone in the world that can dial, no matter how old, even if it's 100 years old, can reach the call to listen line and you can hear the show live. That phone number is 712-775-8162. 712-775-8162. You can also call that number if the show is not running live and you can hear streaming reruns on that number 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And if you want to hear the streaming reruns of the show through your computer or your smartphone, you can do that too by going to the radio tab on PokerFraudAlert.com anytime when we're not broadcasting live. And you will hear a randomly selected rerun from any time between 2012 and the present. So this is a little thing you can check out every so often. If you just want to hear a random moment in Poker Fraud Alert Radio, which has gone on now for 43 months, getting close to four years worth of the show. Someone asked me, how do I listen to the show and not use up my data? I have very little data allocated on my plan. I don't want to waste it listening to a six-hour radio show. Again, the answer is the call-to-listen line. It will not cost you any data to call that number. Only minutes, which most of you probably have unlimited by now. So that's a great way to listen if you don't have data, don't want to waste data, don't have a smartphone, whatever. There's a free roll tonight beginning in 15 minutes. And that is on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, which you can find near the top of the screen. It's completely free. You need a separate account there. You don't even need play chips, though. It's a $90 free roll this week. Make sure to read the rules of the free roll by going to PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll, all lowercase. F-R-E-E-R-O-L-L. Make sure you're familiar with the rules, otherwise you may not qualify for the free money, even if you win. I will pay you in one of many ways. I will pay you by PayPal, which is my favorite way to pay you. It's easiest for me. But I can also do it by bank transfer, check, cash, Bitcoin if I have them. So a lot of ways to get paid. It is a cash free roll. It's not one of these crappy free rolls where you get money on some site that you really don't want to play on and where it's hard to cash out. This is real cash money, and we have fewer than 100 people in every free roll, so you have a good shot of winning. This week, the prizes are as follows. First place is $42. Second place is $23. Third place is $12. Fourth place, $8. Fifth place, which we're paying this week, $5. So not quite the $181 free roll like we had last week, but it is $90 this week, which is half that. That's still pretty good. This money did not come from me. No, 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 no. I'm a cheap Jew. I'm not going to just hand out free money to you guys, but our listeners do, and I appreciate that. $43 came from Fright. $40 came from Reno. I met him during the summer. He played a World Series event that he won on the Poker Fraud Alert Forum. And I am Greek. $7. And by the way, speaking of the forum, I know there's a lot of uh, trolling and other stuff that goes on there, and some people don't like the forum, but I'll tell you, there are contests like that every so often. And when I say every so often, I mean a few times a year where you can win tournaments, you can win cash for uh, making picks on events like uh, the PGA or whatever. Totally free. 
Again, the money's not donated by me, but we have a lot of generous users who donate money for this sort of thing. And again, there's not a lot of competition. So a lot of times the rule for entering these contests is that you have to be known on the forum. You can't just register new and start playing them. So that's a good reason to show up and participate. And also we have other areas of the forum if you don't want to post in the main flying stupidity area. And the other areas do not have trolling. I don't allow it. So there's a kinder, gentler area of the site that you can also participate in and have more serious discussions. And whenever any kind of trolling pops up in those areas, I remove it immediately. And if someone won't stop, I will remove them from those forums. Here is the agenda this week. I'm going to beg people for something. I'm going to beg you guys for a hotel room, and I'll do that just after the agenda. I don't ask for much. In fact, I don't ask for anything here except your listenership. And that's not a gimmick. I'm not trying to be cute here. I'm, I'm honest that I just – I do this because I like to do it, because I like that people appreciate this show and want to hear it every week. And the same reason I run the forum. I take a lot of grief over there, but I, I run that again because I enjoy it. I lose money on this every month. Not a lot of money, but I lose money. So I'm definitely not in it for the bucks. And I could make money. I really could make money. The site has enough traffic. The radio show has enough listenership to where I definitely could make money on this if I wanted to. But I'm choosing not to because I want to preserve the integrity of the site, meaning that I don't have to direct anyone over to products or services that I don't trust and that I don't turn this into an experience corrupted by advertisement and that I don't have to worry about kissing ass to any advertisers. Now, I'm happy to take advertisers, but I'm not like actively going out and searching. And if I do take advertisers, I, I want to make sure I believe in what is being advertised. And I will never advertise something I think is shady. So I'm going to ask you guys if one of you can help me for something. Most of you will not be able to. It's, it's not a matter of something you can do if you want. There's only a few people listening that probably can help. But I'm going to tell you what I need, and you can let me know if you can help me. It's only a few days left. I'll tell you what it is when we get to it. The big story out of Vegas this week has nothing to do with gambling. It has to do with a psychotic woman who drove her car intentionally into a crowd of people, killing one and injuring many. I think 37 people got hit by her car in two different waves. She drove on the sidewalk, hit people, went off, and then drove on another sidewalk, hit people again, and then went and turned herself in, basically. So we'll talk about that situation. Uh, we will theorize as to the reasons why she might have done this. But she did give the reasons to the police, but that has not been made public yet in kind of a weird situation itself. And we'll even discuss whether this could be terror-related. And, in general, is Vegas safe to visit? Should you be afraid to visit Vegas, especially during a high-profile time such as New Year's? The two most high-profile places in the United States for New Year's are New York City Times Square, which is the most high-profile place, and then second is Vegas. Vegas is like the West Coast Times Square. So is it safe to visit Vegas during New Year's? Is it safe to be in Vegas in general? Are things like this just waiting to happen? We'll talk about that. 
The state of Kentucky, which I will be visiting for the first time in my life in a few months, won a pretty sizable judgment against poker stars and their parent company, Amaya. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about how Mark Scheinberg, the son of Isai Scheinberg, the founder of PokerStars, and Mark Scheinberg had a very high position with PokerStars as well, including CEO when Isai resigned. He flaked on a deposition this year in June, even though he no longer owned PokerStars, nor did his dad, but he had agreed to be in a deposition and flaked on it, and that strongly influenced this judgment. And because of that, and because of other things that Scheinbergs did, and because this lawsuit predated Amaya's acquisition of Poker Stars, they might go after the Scheinbergs if they end up losing on appeal. So I'll talk about that stuff. This is covered very much in depth if you go to flushdraw.net, by the way. I'm not going to cover it in depth as much as Haley Hintz did, but she uh, really put a lot of time and effort into this story. So if you're interested in it, flushdraw.net, which is not a sponsor here, by the way, but that's where the stories are about this. Nobody covered this more than Haley. The World Series of Poker has announced its 2016 dates and some changes that will be occurring to the gigantic Colossus Tournament, which last year got over 22,000 entries. There will be a few changes this year to that tournament. I will tell you what those changes are. I will tell you which events are definitely coming back. And I will tell you my feelings on what I'm going to play this year, or sorry, I shall say next year, 2016, this upcoming World Series, which ones I will be playing and which ones I'm going to skip, including some that I played in 2015. Brett Ritchie, also known as Get Crunk by some people, he was part of this community for a while. He doesn't have a Poker Fraud Alert account. He had uh, left forums before Poker Fraud Alert even went up, but he was on Donk Down. He was on Never Win Poker. A lot of people who met up with members of those forums met Brett at one point. Brett uh, was a semi-known poker player. He's by no means a household name in poker, but uh, some people know who he is. He is unfortunately best known for something stupid he did. It's, it's never good to be most famous for doing something stupid, but Brett is famous for doing something stupid on TV. I'm talking about poker stupid, not acting stupid. He actually made a very stupid poker decision on TV. And it's too bad for him that he's going to be known for that because he was a good player. And the reason I say he was a good player is because Brett Ritchie, after more than a decade in the game, is quitting poker for good. Yep, no more Brett Ritchie in poker. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you what his plans are. And I will tell you various Brett Ritchie stories because I know him personally. He's not my friend. He's never been my friend. He's not my enemy. He's never been my enemy. He's just someone I know. And I know a lot of things about him. So I'll tell you some Brett Ritchie stories that I found entertaining when we get to that segment. Sheldon Adelson avowed poker enemy has purchased a newspaper. 
We mentioned it briefly last week on the show. Sheldon Adelson has purchased the Las Vegas Review Journal, which is Nevada's largest newspaper, and he spent a lot of money for it. So we'll talk about that and some of the fallout that has occurred and why Sheldon might be buying that newspaper. You might think, what smart businessman would buy a newspaper for a lot of money coming into 2016? Finally, the last poker and gambling topic. Caesars Total Rewards Program, which I always talk about on this show, has announced some details of their 2016 Seven Stars benefits. If you're a current Seven Stars member or if you're thinking of becoming Seven Stars or if you're thinking of completing your Seven Stars qualification in the final eight days of the year, because it's done by calendar year as far as whether you qualify or not. So if you complete your seven stars in 2015, then you have it through all of 2016 and uh, part of 2017, but one month of 2017. So I will tell you the details I know about the Total Rewards Seven Stars program for 2016. General topics, I believe that we are down to three candidates that have a realistic chance of winning the presidency. Now, this is not set in stone. We could see a comeback from one of the Republicans who is lagging behind, but I don't think it's going to happen. I think we are down to three candidates. One of these three, I believe, will be your president, at least your president if you live in the U.S., in 2017. Donald Trump... Ted Cruz, and of course, Hillary Clinton. One of those three will probably be in the White House in January 2017. I'll tell you why I believe that and why I think everybody else has no chance at this point, or very little chance. Not no chance, but... There's a few still have little chance, but I think that they are pretty much done for. I'm going to do a segment on credit card bonus whoring. And I think I've talked about that before on this show, but I got in a conversation with some members of this forum, and I noticed that some really weren't aware of the benefits of credit card bonus whoring. Credit card bonus whoring, by the way, is acquiring new credit cards with large bonuses to where basically you are getting paid good money to use your credit card. And I don't mean 1% or 2%. I mean 10%, sometimes 20%. Yes, 10 or 20% to use your credit card. For example, uh, when I purchased a car in 2015, January 2015, I bought a new car. When I purchased that car, they allowed me to put 10,000 of it on a credit card. I got $2,000 worth of cash and benefits from using those credit cards to charge 10000 2000 I got back. And that wasn't a fluke. So I will tell you how to do it. Now, not everybody can do it. But if you spend, I'd say, maybe $2,000 a month on your credit card, which I know a lot of you do, you should definitely look into doing this because it adds up. You can make thousands of dollars doing this. 
you're not going to be able to support yourself on it, but you can make thousands of dollars doing this. And it's not illegal. It's not unethical. You're pretty much turning the tables on the banks. They'll tell you about credit card bonus for it. The sports segments we'll do at the end of the show. Will this be a rebuilding year for the Los Angeles Dodgers? Seems strange that the team with the deepest pockets, the team that spent $300 million last year, how could they possibly be rebuilding? How could they ever let that happen? But it's starting to really look like that this is a rebuilding year in 2016 for the Los Angeles Dodgers. I'll tell you why I think that might be what's happening. Finally, in the NBA, we have an excellent team, perhaps one of the best teams, well, is one of the best teams, but perhaps the best team ever to play in the NBA, the Golden State Warriors. We also have one of the very worst teams to ever play in the NBA and could be the worst team in the NBA ever, the Philadelphia 76ers. To have both of them the same year is very strange. And I will talk about that, and I will give you my opinion as to whether the Sixers are the worst and as to whether the Warriors are the best in history. Both teams have only won or lost one game, respectively. The Warriors only lost one game. The Sixers only won one game. And both were to bad teams. (laughs) Okay, so... I believe that's it. Let me check the text phone number, and then we will get going. Free roll is starting right now, but you have 25 minutes of late register, so don't panic. You can get in there still. Let's see. I will be uh, in Las Vegas for New Year's, by the way, which I'm about to get to, but I, I saw someone was texting me about that, asking if I'll be around, and... They want to meet me. It, you know, if you're in Vegas during the days right before New Year's, you can let me know. You can text me on the 775-372-8355 number, and I'll meet you. I, I may not have that much time. I'll be with my family, but I can could, I could say hello to you. I'm always happy to meet new listeners. The 510 area code, TMMLK is terrible. Trader skew whatever should eat another apple or orange this time. Does he really do that? I don't remember him eating a lot. I mean, I guess he did once, but it's not a chronic problem. And he says, Bucks aren't that bad. Well, I disagree. I think the Bucks are a bad team, but they, they have enough moments where they're not terrible to where they win some games. But they, they've really been blown out badly in some games. Like, they've been really embarrassed in some games that I've seen them play. Last year's Bucks were much better. They, they really had some nice moments last year. They were not a great team, but they they were competitive with everybody. You, you never had an easy game against the Bucks last year, but this year it's been the opposite. There's been some huge blowouts against them. So uh, here's a text I got a few days ago. By the way, I think I forgot to give the date of this episode. The date of this episode is December 23rd. 2015. And this will be the last episode of 2015. We're not doing one next week. We're skipping a week and returning on uh, Wednesday, January uh, 6th, 2016. So no December 30th episode. But uh, this person from the 470 area code 
who is one of our few Asian listeners, who's part of the Hmong community. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. H-M-O-N-G. I don't know if it's Hmong, Hmong, whatever, but uh, I've heard of it before. I I forget the pronunciation. Uh, I guess Jerry Yang was Hmong, and I, I always just thought he was Chinese. But he's saying that Jerry Yang had to split the main event score he got for $7.5 million three ways, that the other two guys put him in a satellite, and they had a deal to split it three ways. So that would explain why Jerry Yang went broke. I mean, he only got $2.5 million then before taxes, and it's very easy to blow that money. Very easy to blow $2.5 million that you get before taxes, and then you pay the taxes. That takes you down to one-something, and then if you're not careful, that one-something million can be gone in a second. It is so easy to run through a million bucks these days if you're not careful. And I'm not, I'm not saying a million dollars is not a lot of money. If you budget your money properly, a million bucks can go a very long way. But uh, it, you can easily blow a million. It's not like ten million or a hundred million or five hundred million. Like, those take a lot longer to blow. Like, though you can blow that too. But a million, you can that can slip through your fingers without you even realizing it. But I do believe Jerry Yang is broke. Glad we have an Asian listener, though. That's good. So, somebody else asked, what are the cheapest options for rooms in Vegas around World Series time? And this is during the summer. Uh, there are some events that take place. Always watch out for that, that anytime there's like a ton of people in town, the room rate's going to go up. The room rates actually went way up for the Colossus event because so many people came into town. But for most of the World Series, the room rates are pretty reasonable. They do jack up the Rio somewhat, especially during the busy weekends and other busy tournaments they have. But the Rio is the best place to stay. But if you don't stay at the Rio or if it's too expensive for you, I think a place that's decent as far as uh, the value and not being a complete piece of crap. This is not a nice place by any means, but it's not terrible. That's the Monte Carlo. And it has its problems. Like when I stayed there about two years ago, they actually did not have wireless internet in the room, which is shameful. But it's it's not a terrible hotel and it's cheap. So... I think that's the best option if you're looking for kind of a low to mid-range hotel that's not a complete dump that's fairly cheap during the World Series if you don't stay at the Rio. But I I can't emphasize enough how much more convenient it is staying at the Rio, especially during those dinner breaks, like those 90-minute dinner breaks. It's so much nicer to just go up to your room and hang there than just mill about the tournament area and wait, 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 wait. You just go crazy. You come down so much more relaxed from a room at the Rio. It's just so much easier. That's what I would recommend. Not a nice hotel, believe me, but you'll get used to it, and that's the best place to stay if you're going to play the World Series. I wouldn't recommend staying there any other time of the year, but the World Series. SMI Florida texted me, said, uh, Druff, do you go to Vegas every year for New Year's? Recently, I have, except for in the 13 to 14 New Year's where I was in New Orleans. But the other New Year's and recent years, I have been there. Uh, Before that, I wasn't 
there very often other than when I was living there. Though I, I was living there for a while, so I was there all the time then, except for when I would come to L.A. for New Year's. Actually, it's funny because when I lived in Vegas, I did come to L.A. for New Year's a lot. So now it's kind of reversed. I didn't. I just thought of that right now. That like when I lived in Vegas, I came to L.A. for New Year's, and that uh, now that I'm not in Vegas anymore, now I, I go there for New Year's. Uh, Benjamin really likes the New Year's scene there because yeah, what I don't like to do in New Year's is go down with a crowd and stand in the street when it's 30 degrees and having people bump you left and right and feel like you'll get trampled if anything happens. I did that one year and it was awful. But it's nice to be in a hotel room where you have a view of the strip and watch the fireworks from there. And then you're nice and warm and you get to watch the fireworks. And they they shoot them from like four different spots so you can always see them if you can see the strip. And that's a nice thing to do. So just... You just have to be smart about New Year's in Vegas. You you shouldn't do what the crowd is necessarily doing. You shouldn't ever buy one of these like special New Year's dinner menus because they're always way inflated. Always go to a restaurant that serves the regular menu. Just be smart with things like that. Don't expect to play in the casino without it being totally jammed. So it shouldn't really be a gambling trip for you. But it can be an interesting place. And Mount Charleston is a nice place to visit. There's always snow up there. You can even ski up there. So it's not the greatest ski resort, but it's a interesting diversion away from Vegas. So I see a call coming in right now, but I don't feel like taking it. From the 619 area code, I'm married to an Asian. Does that count? Well, no. But if your wife listens, then it counts for her. I assume you're a white guy married to an Asian, by the way, the 619 guy. In my former profession, I was a computer scientist, a software engineer. There were tons of white guys who were into Asian girls, like really, really, really into Asian girls. Like way more than you find in the normal white guy population. But that was just never my thing for whatever reason. And it wasn't because of any kind of uh, racism or anything. And I I do find some Asian girls to be cute, but I I actually felt that... I I felt some degree of guilt dating Asian girls because I didn't appreciate them as much as I know a lot of other guys would. There's some white guys who just love Asian women, and I felt that these guys would appreciate these girls much more than I would. Like when I was uh, 22, there was a pretty Asian girl that I dated for a short time, but I just, I felt guilty. I felt like I was not appreciating her like other guys would. I knew a lot of guys who'd really, really, really be into her, and I just wasn't. I, I was attracted to her. I thought she was cute. I just, I didn't appreciate her the way I think that she could have gotten from others and has gotten from others, so I uh, I ended it. So I, I've always just been primarily attracted to white girls. That's just been what I've been attracted to. Anyway, let's get started with the agenda. Let's see what the chat room's saying. I bet they're going to comment on what I just said about the Asian girls. It's my prediction. No, nothing yet. Well, you never know. Someone asking any co-host for tonight. Yeah, we'll pick up Brandon later. This guy from 619 said he's from Seattle. He only dated Asians. All right. You know, just... 
date whatever you're into. If you're into Asian girls, great. Then date Asian girls. If you're gay and you're into guys, date guys. You know, whatever. Just You shouldn't force yourself to date a type of person that you're not into. You should always gravitate towards what you actually like and not what others tell you you should like or what others around you like. So, Let's see. JSTAT says, when I lived in Vegas, I never gambled. Now I'm a maniac. <laughs> you might wonder, by the way, speaking of Vegas, that tragedy that occurred with a woman driving up on the sidewalk, which we'll talk about shortly. Are we in danger of that during New Year's? And the answer is no, because you cannot drive at all on the strip. They barricaded starting from 6 p.m. on New Year's Eve. So let me get right into my plea. I'm going to be a beggar right now. I'm going to beg. I I should have done this last week, to be honest, but I forgot. So this week I'm going to beg. And if you can help me, please text me, 775-372-8355, or email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com. And there's something in it for you, too. I'm not just asking for handouts. Uh, Basically, I need two hotel rooms, and I only have one. So it means I need one because I have one. But I can't make do with one. I have too many people to fit in one hotel room. And it's not a suite. It's not a. It's, it's going to have a good location. It's going to be in a nice tower. I'll be able to see the fireworks. But it's, it's not a hotel room that's going to accommodate large numbers of people. So I need a second hotel room. And I'm having a very hard time coming up with a hotel room for New Year's for anywhere near reasonable rates. Now... I'm not an idiot. I understand that New Year's Eve is much more expensive in Vegas than like a few days before New Year's Eve. I I know that. I'm not expecting lower rates. I'm not even complaining that they're charging high rates in Vegas. It's one of those things. If they can get people to pay it, then they're smart to charge it. But still, that doesn't mean I should be happy about paying it. And you guys know that I'm Jewish. You guys know that I'm very obsessed with value. I, I don't mind paying for quality, but I hate paying a whole lot for something that's crappy. So I'll pay a lot of money for a steak at a high-end restaurant, but uh, I'm not going to want to pay $10 for a McDonald's hamburger. So it's not about the actual money that I take out of my Jew wallet. It's about what I get for that money. And the prices are so jacked up in Vegas during New Year's. And again, I don't blame the Vegas hotels for doing this, but... They're so jacked up, it just feels really crappy to have to shell out that kind of money just because it's New Year's. Now, I'm not expecting a bargain. I'm not even expecting that it's anywhere close to a bargain. Like, let's say a hotel room, which is normally like $90, I had to pay 250 for it. Fine, but what I don't like is when there's a hotel that's normally $40 and I'm paying 350 for it. That's just such a steep increase that's such a huge markup that you're just you're paying big money and getting very little and it sucks so despite being a seven stars member i cannot get a second room they're very stingy with that and in general they don't want to do a lot for me anyway because i'm what's known as overcomped but even if i was not overcomped uh, i'm hearing that it's difficult to get a second room in vegas unless uh, you have a pretty good recent play history so that's why some of you probably can't help me. But if you either live in Vegas 
and have access to a hotel room for the nights of the 30th and the 31st, meaning checking out January 1st. Or if you can get a second hotel room, so even if you're out of town, you can get a second hotel room and give it to me. I need you to help me by giving me the extra room. But you don't have to give it for nothing. I'm happy to pay you for the room. Now, I'm not going to pay you what the room costs in the open market. Otherwise, I just buy it myself. But uh, it's one of these things where at least you can trust the person you're giving it to. The room is not going to be trashed. The room's not going to have a big bill run up on it where you, the person runs off and doesn't pay it. Uh, I can tell you that the people staying in that room are not going to charge anything to it. But if anything were to happen for any any reason, if you if you were on the hook for any charges that came upon your credit card or your rewards credits or whatever because of anything that happened in the room, I will pay for it. I guarantee you I'll pay for it. And you know I'm good for it. You know I, I run a forum that calls out scammers and uh, shady people. I've been part of the poker community for 15 years and I've never ripped off anyone ever. People trust me with money all the time. Even the hate posts about me, even the hate blogs about me, the bad stuff that's written about me, I'll tell you one thing that no one's ever accused me of, and that is cheating people out of money. No one ever accuses me of it because no one would believe I would do it because I don't do it. So when I say that you will be zero out of pocket on this, I mean you'll be zero out of pocket on this no matter what. And that's my guarantee to you if you help me with this. But I'll also pay you, so it's worth your while. So, and, d- and don't feel bad to say, hey, you know, I, I've, I'd like the money for it. Like, you don't have to feel bad. You don't have to feel obligated to help me give it for free. Because it'll really help me still if you sell it to me for a price that's much less than it is on the strip. Now, you're not going to make huge money on this. And, and for example, if the room normally goes for uh, $600 between the two nights, I'm not going to pay you 500 because it's not worth the trouble. I might as well just buy my stuff for 600 and have it of my own and not have to meet, meet up with you and count on the fact that you're going to be there, blah, blah, blah. So, like, I'm not going to do that to save a small amount of money. I'm, I'm looking to save a larger amount of money. And we can negotiate of what that proper rate would be. But what's good here is if you have a room, you have an extra room to give away, you can give it to someone that will pay you something and you know there's zero risk. There is zero risk to you. And you'll be helping someone that does this radio show most weeks, puts hours and hours into this, and entertains you. And I never ask for anything back. And most of you cannot do this. Most of you cannot do it because you don't have the access to do it. You are not given comps, and of course, I don't want anyone buying a room for me. That's not. A, I, I don't want like, even if you're going to, even if you you feel like it's a present to me, don't do it. I, I just don't want you to do that. I'm not looking for people to give me handouts. I'm looking if you can get it anyway for free, or for very very cheap. Uh, then I'm happy to pay you for it, and then you make some money, and then I save some money, and everything's good. And again, I'm doing this just because the rates are so jacked up. Like, for example, Bally's on the 31st is close to $500. And if you've stayed at Bally's, you know that's not worth anywhere near $500. It's not even worth 250 It's just so far jacked up. Even the Flamingo is around $300 a night on, on the 31st. 
the thirtieth is a little cheaper, but you can't check. You have to check in on the thirtieth. You can't check in on the thirty-first. So if you can help me, text me seven seven five three seven two eight three five five seven seven five three seven two eight three five five, and you can also email me dandruff at pokerfraudler dot com, and I really will appreciate it. So. This is really best if you can get a second room comped or if you live in Vegas and you can get one room comped and don't need it. You may ask what will happen if nobody helps me here. What will happen is I'll end up having to fork over a lot of money for a crap room. Because I'm not going to buy a nice room and spend even more obscene money. Like a, you know, There's only so much I'm going to spend on that second room. So I'm going to end up getting a crappy room. For a lot of money So If This is the one time I'm asking for help Can I afford To buy the Crappy room for a lot of money Yes I can But I don't want to It it actually hurts It actually hurts Alright TMMLK Hello Hi Ballin Yeah I had to low house you you're you're getting out of hand. No, you can't low house me. This is important. Like I, I, I don't ask for much here. I I want people to maybe help me. Like when I say I want, I don't expect anything of anyone. I want to make that clear. I don't expect anyone to help me. It's just if you would like to, and if you'd like to gain something from it as well, and have a trustworthy person in your room that you know is not going to screw you. Uh, I'm the guy here. So it, it's kind of like that example you gave. When you had the free bets and you didn't want to sell them at a cheaper rate because you could use them type of uh, what? scenario. What here. are you talking about? Remember um, you got tickets with somebody with your comps and that you charged them uh, whatever value you thought that was appropriate? Well, okay. So th- this is the difference. And uh, see, the difference is that I can exchange reward credits for free play, which then I can turn into real cash. And I was explaining to someone who wanted me to get them show tickets at Caesars that uh, they're not doing me a favor by, like, me giving them the show tickets with my reward credits at half price because I'm actually taking cash out of my pocket to do that because I could have exchanged the same reward credits for free play and then gotten cash at very close to 100% expectation. So now if this is a close friend, I, I might do something nice like that for them anyway. But this is a person who's just an acquaintance. And they wanted me to basically sell them uh, show tickets at a huge discount that I'd buy with my rewards credits. And I kept trying to explain to them these reward credits are not just throwaway comps. I can convert them to cash. Now, a hotel room, though, like I'm talking about here, you cannot convert into cash. And that's what I'm trying to say here. Like if you, if you have access to a second hotel room for New Year's, you, you can't go to the host and say, you know what? I don't need to give me cash instead. They won't do it. They'll just take it back. So here, here you can actually turn it into cash without any risk. And I'm not saying I'm doing you a favor. You are doing me a favor, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just asking for a favor here. And I'm, I'm hoping people do it both to maybe help themselves and also just as a token of appreciation for doing the show as much as I do. So are you saying that if the room rates are 600, my guess is you're willing to take or to offer 300? I haven't thought of the exact figure, but yeah, something around that. Yeah, like something where I'm getting a substantial discount to where it's worth my trouble to not have to just buy it myself. 
And and uh, like if it's going to be close to the going rate anyway, I might as well just buy it myself. So uh, if it's going to be a substantial discount, then obviously it's worth doing, and then it also helps the other person. So uh, just I'm just, I don't want to make a long segment out of this, but that's that's what I need. And if you want to help me, text me or email me. Okay, so let's talk about what happened in Vegas. The woman who drove her car onto the sidewalk near the Paris Hotel. And think of this. I'm, most people listening to this show have been to Vegas at least once, even you, Team Gay. And when you were there, were you did you walk the Strip? Did you walk down the Strip, like past Paris or other places? Yeah, when I was there, I walked there. That They were doing the construction, and it took me like a half hour to walk from MGM to the Bellagio for yeah. the uh, Aria. Well, it's, it's, yeah, that's not all that close, but I could, uh, half an hour does sound like a lot, but okay. When I've walked the strip, I've never thought about some psycho just driving on the sidewalk intentionally to hit me. But I have thought about drunk drivers. I've walked down the strip and thought, like, what if a drunk driver runs up on the sidewalk and hits me? I have thought of that before. I talked to Brandon about this shortly after it happened. And he said the same thing. He said when he's walked on the strip that he has thought about what if this ever happened. So this is really a nightmare for anybody who visits Vegas or has visited Vegas because it's something that you can relate to because you've walked down the strip. You think, Hey, it could have been me. And you don't have a lot of time to react. You don't expect it. It's a, a car is just coming at you. You don't have a lot of room to move. There's a lot of people around and it's amazing that only one person died from this. It was a woman from Arizona, but there's some people in critical condition. Some people probably never be the same after this. And the perpetrator, his name was Lakeisha Holloway. She's 24 years old. She was apparently homeless, but wasn't always homeless. She has a, a backstory. I'll play you a video of, uh, from a few years ago that she appeared on. Uh, she was someone, she was a black woman with a tough background. She had a, a mom that... Uh, uh, both parents had drug problems and her dad left and then her mom uh, pretty much booted her out when she was 14. So uh, she was on the street. She was having uh, difficulty with school, as you might imagine, especially being homeless. She said that nobody in her family had ever finished high school before, but she turned it around and she finished high school and she got a, she got a decent job. She uh, was in a video, like an inspirational video about people whose lives had been turned around. She did that video when she was 21, and now she's 24. She has a three-year-old son. She and the father of the son are no longer together, and for whatever reason, she decided to drive up on the sidewalk and try to kill people, and did kill someone, and seriously injured several others. And hit 37 people total, which is pretty bad. So, it was a chaotic scene. And uh, when she drove up on the sidewalk the first time, of course, people wanted to get her out of the car so she couldn't do further damage. So, people started smashing the windows to try to drag her out of there. And she got away from that somehow, drove off the sidewalk, drove up on another sidewalk, hit more people, drove off again. People were trying to chase her car yelling, stop, stop, stop. They didn't know what was going on or if this was intentional or not. And then 
the weirdest thing was that she drove up to another hotel at this point, went directly to security, and told them that she just ran over a lot of people on the sidewalk and that they should call the police. So she turned herself in. Very, very, very weird. So people immediately thought maybe terrorism, maybe a drunk driver, maybe drugs. Uh, The reason is not known. It's known to police. It's not known to the general public. The police will not release it. The police said they're not comfortable releasing the reason that she gave for hitting people on the sidewalk, which is very odd. And that's really the main clue we have as to the reason that she did this. So you can rule out some things, I believe. Like, for example, if the reason she did it was I was feeling depressed and I just didn't care about my life or anybody else's anymore. Well, okay. That's obviously not a good reason to do it. But that's not something the police would be uncomfortable saying. Because it's obvious someone who does that on purpose, which has been confirmed, does not care about the lives of others and obviously has some kind of bad motive that uh, there's no way you could justify. So something like that they would definitely share with the public. Whatever she said is provocative in some way to where the police feel that it will it may cause more problems. And the place that a lot of people went immediately was race. What is it? What if she said, I decided I'm going to kill white people. I saw a lot of white people on the strip and I decided I'm going to kill them. You can see why maybe they don't want to reveal that because they're afraid that this will cause a backlash and that uh, maybe some white people will then take it out on innocent black people. There's also the terrorism angle, though the authorities keep insisting it's not uh, terror-related, but there's the angle of what if she said something like uh, that she recently converted to Muslim and she decided she wanted to kill the non-believers. Something like that. Maybe she's not part of any organized terror plot, but uh, she was Muslim and wanted to kill people who were not Muslim. I don't think that's it, but uh, it's something. Whatever it is, is something that they are afraid to say. Now, here's some strange things about this, beyond just the initial strangeness of someone driving on the sidewalk on purpose and hitting people on purpose. Uh, She had on her Facebook a picture of the Paris Hotel, and the picture was taken in the exact spot that she drove up on the sidewalk. So that's really weird. You have something to say, PMLK? No. Okay, well, you're making noise at least. At least say something if you're going to make noise. That's my chair. Okay, I hear... I'm like, okay, he's getting ready to say something profound. And then you say no. It's a chair. It's my chair. It's squeaky. Okay, get a new chair then. You never hear my chair squeak. Well, I have a lazy boy chair, so... Um, that should be good quality, though. Like, I, I have a chair that actually, it's like a leather chair, but it had to be built. Like, it comes in like a box, and you had to build it. But it's actually a, a good chair. I've had it for like yeah. 10 years. 
I need some WD on it. <laughs> okay. So she took this picture of the Paris, posted it on her Facebook three years ago at the identical spot where she ran up on the sidewalk. There's no chance that's a coincidence. She also, in October 2015, petitioned and successfully changed her name to Paris Paradise Morton. Keep in mind her name is Lakeisha Holloway, so Paris Paradise Morton does not sound anything like Lakeisha Holloway. Now, I don't know about the Morton part, but Paris, she has some obsession with with either the city of Paris or the Paris Hotel. She had the picture of that on her Facebook with no caption. She went up on the sidewalk right where that is, and she changed her name to Paris. She legally changed her name to Paris. Now, Paradise, that is a major street that runs parallel with the Las Vegas Strip, and the Las Vegas Strip is technically the town of Paradise. It's actually not Las Vegas City. That's something that isn't well known about Las Vegas, that the Las Vegas Strip is not officially the city of Las Vegas. It's Clark County. It's unincorporated Clark County, considered the town of Paradise. Just a tiny bit east of the Strip is considered real Las Vegas, the real city of Las Vegas. But uh, this is technically the town of Paradise there. So I, I have to think that the middle name of Paradise, again, is some kind of Las Vegas reference. And I don't know where the Morton came from. But she did change her name to that. They're just not referring to her as that name because she changed it so recently. And everyone knows her as Lakeisha Holloway. And I'm assuming that authorities want anyone with information about her who knew her as Lakeisha Holliday, Holloway her whole life to come forward. And if they say it was done by Paris Paradise Morton, no one will know who that is. So, but that, that is her legal name right now and has been for two months. Uh, apparently she so she had a three-year-old child in the car with her while she did this. The child did not get injured. And fortunately, the child probably didn't understand what was going on. So probably is not really traumatized by this other than being away from his mother. The child father is out of the picture she is estranged from the father in fact they're trying to locate the father the, right now the child's in protective custody obviously she will not be getting her child back at any point uh, they filed murder charges against her along with various other charges so she's she's going to go away for a long time no matter what but especially with someone dead but why did she do it why did she do it in, in, with a three year old in the car too now, keep in mind that uh, she didn't live in Vegas technically. She 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 drove to Vegas and, and had been there, I, I heard, about a week and was homeless and apparently was being chased out of various places where she was trying to sleep in her car. It's actually harder to find a place to sleep in your car than you might think. Because really, no one wants you on their property sleeping in your car. And you can understand, if you owned a business, you wouldn't want someone sleeping in their car in your business. You'd you'd want the police removing them as well. So often it's hard to find a place to sleep in your car. Uh, Tim MLK, have you ever slept in your car before overnight? No. I actually have. I have a few times. I've slept in my car. It's always been because I was too tired to continue driving where I was going. And I, I tried to make the sleeping in my car like a minimum amount of sleeping, just enough to where I could be awake enough to continue driving. But uh, I've slept in a Denny's parking lot before. 
I've slept uh, just in random places on the street. Not on the street, but uh, the car's on the street, and I'm sleeping in the car. Uh, I have actually slept in my car during lunch breaks when I used to work on days I was very tired. I'd set an alarm and sleep for 45 minutes. <laughs> Believe it or not, that actually helped. So I've, I've actually slept in my car more than you would think I did. I haven't much recently. The last time I slept in my car, uh, it, it was uh, I was on, on the road, actually only about 90 miles away from Vegas in the city of Baker. And I was very, very tired, much more tired than I expected to be. And I... Uh, I was with Benjamin and Ben's mom, and I said to them, you know, I, th- I think it's safer at this point that I just want to take a nap for about 45 minutes. And Ben's mom was too tired. She couldn't take the wheel. So I I said, let's just pull over here next to some trucks where their drivers are sleeping right now and sleep for about a, an hour. So we did. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I remember when I slept at the Denny's in the uh, – it was – Southern California wasn't Los Angeles, but it was near Los Angeles. But it was a very, very cold night in the winter. And I kept waking up because it was so cold. It was like a 32-degree night, and I kept waking up, and I'd be freezing. And then I'd turn on the heat in my car and blast it as much as I could, go back to sleep, wake up again because it was so cold again. So those were some of my car sleeping experiences. I've never been chased away from sleeping in the car, but again, I've never slept like overnight in the car. I've always... uh, Slept for the minimum I need to sleep and then keep driving. I also slept in my car after losing my virginity in ni- in 1989. I it was I, I was out all night and I was far away from home. So I had 55 miles to drive back, and I drove about 15 miles and I couldn't continue. So I just pulled off into a residential neighborhood, as bad guy would be proud to hear. And I, I went to sleep in my car for about two or three hours there. And then uh, I woke up, turned on the radio, and, and Shadow Stevens was doing his American Top 40. Which is kind of interesting because many years later I ended up talking to Shadow Stevens. He was a victim of a scam, which I actually kind of got involved in uh, outing the, cul- the culprit. So kind of a weird uh, connection. So anyway, back to Lakeisha Holloway. I didn't mean to make this uh, a tangent about car sleeping. But uh, she was chased away from various spots and was getting annoyed by it. Now, how you go from being annoyed that no one's letting you sleep in in their parking lot to wanting to kill people on the sidewalk, I don't know. I can tell you that even if I had been chased out of the places I had been sleeping in my car, I, I never even would have had the passing thought about killing people on the sidewalk. That's, that's a thought I would never have in my life ever for any reason. But apparently she did. And they said she was very like, cold and calm when she went in there. She didn't go and go, oh my God, I can't believe I just did this. Oh my God, I killed people. What did I just do? It wasn't like that. She just calmly went to the security guard, told them what she did. They arrested her and she calmly told the police what she did and why she did it. Now, if you listen to this, I'm going to play a video for you. This is kind of crazy because if you listen to what she says in this video, it sounds very positive. And this does not sound at all like the person that you would have thought was going to kill people uh, in such a fashion. So let me jump to the right spot here. As usual, I have to produce the show during the show. But let's see here. Here we go. Five years ago, 
That's right. My biography sounded a lot different than it does today. Boy, have I come a long ways. Then, I was a scared little girl who knew that there was more to life outside of crime, drug addiction, lower income, alcoholism, being undereducated, all of which were things I grew up being familiar with. My mom always tried to do what was best for my sister and I. As a single parent with an eighth grade education, it was all a struggle for her. And later down in line, it became all too hard for her. I'm going to stop it for a second here. Uh, if you notice that her speech sounds kind of stilted, uh, I have a feeling that this was scripted in some way. Like, By scripted, I mean this is probably all the truth or mostly the truth. But it was clearly written out beforehand, maybe by the producers of the video. Like they, they interviewed her, asked her her story, she told them, and then they wrote this for her to make this speech. And then she's probably reading from cue cards or from memory. Because this does not sound like natural speaking. And it, it really sounds like a prepared speech, which is kind of weird. Because usually when they, they have these type of interviews, people just speak naturally. She drank more and cared less. I'll never hold any of those hits and misses against her, but as a result of things becoming too hard for her, I became homeless. I was scared out of my mind because no one I had known successfully graduated or completed high school. During my freshman year in school, my mom put me out and that would be the last time I lived with her. As a result, my grades and attendance suffered and by the end of my freshman year, my GPA was 1.41. Needless to say, I beat the odds and was the first in my immediate family and circle to graduate high school. Not only did I graduate, I left with the 3.40 and $17,000 in scholarships. So hang on a second. The math doesn't add up here. I, this shouldn't bother me given that it's a minor part of this whole story, but the math does not add up here. So let's say you finish your first year of high school with a 1.4 GPA. Uh, the maximum you can get in any year is four if you get straight A's every single class every single year uh, the most you'll get is a 4.0 after year year after year so uh, the maximum GPA that she could have finished with uh, is 3.35 <laughs> so she said she had 3.40 and I would think if she did get straight A's from that point forward that that would be a much bigger part of the story than just I finished with a 3.4 GPA. Like it's a great improvement to go from 1.4 to 3.4, but it's an even bigger improvement to say I had a 1.4 my first year of high school, and then after that I got an A in every single class. So something's a little bit weird about that. I think that's an exaggeration. I think, again, this was probably written for her. I think that uh, maybe she went from a 1.4 to a 2.7, and they're like, eh, let's bump this up a bit so it sounds better. But it's kind of a weird thing. Just I, I, Because I'm a math guy, that jumped out at me right away. I'm like, oh, 1.4 is sick. Not only did I graduate, but I graduated with a GPA of, and I'm thinking, okay, what's she going to say, 3.0, 2.8? No, 3.4. No, that does not make any sense. She was clinched out at 3.4 as soon as she finished with a – a 1.4. I used to actually kind of obsess over this in high school. Uh, of uh, if I, you know, once I if I had a, a quarter a semester that wasn't as good, then I go crap. Like the best GPA I could possibly get is this from this point. So anyway, let's let's go on. 
I wanted to make a couple shout outs to uh, Snow Tracks and Ricky. I just donked Ricky on a four or five offsuit on the river. I hit okay. a four. I'm, I'm sure everybody cares about that. But let's let's go on. Once and I graduated oh, high school, hold on a second. Don't you need player hating? This is what I was afraid of. Let's continue the video. And and really helped me get my life back on track. Although I didn't have any real communications or ways to be reached because of my living situation, Lee Rappaport continued to reach out to me and continued to make sure that I would have employment. In addition, I was the first in my family to go to college. PSU is where I spent my first year. This was also the period I began working for the Forest Service. Little did I know, this job would begin to help write a new chapter in my life. Yeah, so she went to work for the U.S. Forest Service and she was in Portland. That went to PSU. Um, they show her walking into the U.S. Forest Service door there. I guarantee that was staged. I guarantee they weren't just following her to work that day. They, This is how they make these type of videos. They stage everything. So they show her walking through, walking through the Forest Service door. But this is all true, though, that she did turn it around. She did go to PSU. She did graduate high school. She uh, She was homeless during high school and overcame those odds and got a job at age 21 with the forest service. So how do you go from that to three years later being homeless and killing people? Today, I am not the same scared girl I used to be. I'm a mature young woman who has broken many generational cycle that those before me hadn't. Being homeless and on my own taught me how to stand on my own two feet. Not only did I manage to beat working dead in jobs that I had seen my mother struggle with, but I managed to land a federal job at 21. Now that is what I call living the grand life. I graduated back into the... Okay, so that's some other guy. Well, very weird. Very, very weird. Uh, I also have to say that uh, I heard her child uh, breaks uh, the new generational norm in her family. <laughs> so, whatever... Uh, Whatever failures occurred in the generations before her, I have to say that uh, they still did better than she did. They didn't kill people. Really weird. Really, really, really weird. Uh, Some theories being thrown around are that uh, she got involved with drugs and then she kind of just lost it because uh, because she didn't have any kind of living situation. She she couldn't... uh, I I think she just kind of snapped. I think after a week of being... uh, Pushed away. I don't know what she was doing in Vegas. Probably because uh, of this romanticizing of the the whole Paris hotel thing. So she probably went to the location that uh, was most enchanting to her for whatever reason. But I think she had a bad week there, and she had been getting crazier and crazier. I think maybe the the drugs. Maybe she was doing drugs, and it was affecting her mind. If you see the recent picture of her when, when she was arrested, now it's possible this is from injuries. But you see all these like red dots on her on her forehead. She looks like she's in bad shape. Whereas it's a picture of her from a few years ago, probably a few years ago, that has also been posted where she looked pretty good. So I have to think it's both drugs and just a growing frustration with her living situation and, and her kid not being able to raise her kid in, in a home. And I, I think she just snapped. It's also been suggested that. Uh, the fact that the kid's father wants nothing to do with her probably also may have caused her declining state of mind. But uh, 
again, this wasn't someone who just in a fit of panic just went and gunned the gas and went on the sidewalk and then thought, oh, my God, what did I do? This was someone who seemed to have planned it, planned it did it intentionally, and then was so cold afterwards, uh, calmly went and turned herself in and calmly told the police why she did it. So this is a real sociopath. I mean, this is, a normal person can't do this. A normal person cannot be this calm when they do something like this. A normal person can snap, but to snap and be so calm about snapping is, is really dark. Let's see if the chat room has any theories on this one here. Uh, has someone saying she wanted a cot and three hots. Yeah, that's, I guess that's one way to get it. Uh, Jay Stat saying, I've slept in my rental car at the Stardust parking lot because Vegas is sold out. That's why I rented a big car. <laughs> FPS Rasha saying, I wish I could just sleep anywhere. No way I could sleep in a car unless extremely tired. Uh, Forum Wars, who always brings us a lot of good information. This guy, uh, I used to call Bukowski72 the walking image library, but he hasn't been around much, and Forum Wars has kind of taken over. This guy's always bringing good info to us. He's the one who brought us that video before I saw it elsewhere. The video I just played you guys. He said, according to NBC's KSNV, Holloway told police, I'm hurting and I wanted others to feel pain. Hmm. So, yeah, it looks like it is frustration. Like she just, uh, she was so frustrated and she just wanted everybody else to feel crappy like she did. But see, you have to be pretty damn psycho. I don't care how, how much you're snapping. To, to do that and then be that calm afterwards, I, it takes a certain mind to be able to do that. Someone is saying ISIS in chat. I don't think it's ISIS. I don't think it's terrorism. I, I really don't. I, th- I think this is just someone who is a sociopath and someone who snapped and... Uh, she decided she was frustrated with life and uh, she wanted to hurt others and make them hurt like she was. Mumbles badly in the chat saying 30-minute catnaps are the best. You know, there's some people who tell me that it's bad to sleep for an hour, that you wake up more tired than before you went to sleep. I reject that. I say, at least for me, that those improve how you feel. Now, when you wake up, you feel awful for about five minutes. I'll give you that. But after those five minutes pass, you feel a lot better from just that, like that one hour of sleep. It's very, very difficult to wake up after an hour of sleep, but once you get yourself up, you will feel better. At least I do. Nice hand. What do you mean, nice hand? Um, I just wanted to talk about a few things that are going on in the world of sports, no, if no, you no, don't no, mind. No, 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 no. We're not, we're not up to that. No. Well, um, you can snap me off after this. No, no. You can call back when we do that segment. Wow. Why are you being a Christmas Scrooge? <laughs> I'm Jewish. I can be a Christmas Scrooge. Holy I, moly, I, I'm trying to help you out getting hotel rooms. I, 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 you haven't gotten me anything. I, I, Listen, I, play, I, I played Santa Hold on, hold on. I played I Santa Claus has got the AIDS this year. That shows you how much I care about Christmas. Okay, call her on the I air. Connection. Call her on the air. What up? I just wanted to give a little insight on having to sleep in the car. Okay. So I had to do it for a couple of months or whatever. Um, 
basically I was on unemployment Mm -hmm. and then I, I went to my home state and I was just going to crash there until, until I had to start my new job or whatever. But they called me back early. So I had to spend like while working, I slept in my car for like a month and a half. Like pretty much I, I could have got one of those shitty weeklies for like 40 bucks, but there's definitely plenty of cheap Jew in me as well. I figured that's 300 bucks a week. I could just crash in my car. So I did that for a little bit and I got chewed away from a couple places. The best places to go were behind grocery stores <laughs> just cause there was a bunch of shit you could park next to. You don't have to worry about too many bums there, but every now and then like security would tell you to fuck off. But pretty much what forced me to just break down and get an apartment was after one of the Mayweather fights. I was crashing my car, hung over a little bit. Cops and shit like pull up. I was behind like a Smith's or something. And they're all, uh, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm just sleeping, blah, blah, blah. And then I, I tried to make it seem like, oh, yeah, I just stopped here for a minute to rest my eyes. But it's like morning and shit. So they could tell I was lying and whatnot. And then pretty much I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm just crashing in my car. Like, I'm out of job and shit. Like, I had my badge on me and all that bullshit. And then the cop pretty much told me, he's like, yeah, he's like, you can't sleep back here. But if you go to places like Circus Circus, I guess you could crash there. And then he told me pretty much any Walmart you could crash there. Oh, so this is in Vegas but, you were doing this? Yeah, this is Vegas. Okay. And Circus Circus. He sends you over to Circus Circus. <laughs> that, that says a lot about Circus Circus. Uh, was it, yeah, I, hope this wasn't, I hope this wasn't in the winter because it's pretty cool in Vegas at, at night. Yeah, it was actually the tail end of the summer. Okay. Um, so I figured I better hurry up and do something quick. I mean, it wasn't too, too bad. Like, it only sucks sleeping there, but I pretty much just go to work, go to the gym, and then around 9-ish or so, try and crash. But I'm only 5'8", but the car I had is like a little fucking Fiesta. So no leg room, hunched over, and I was like 240 at the time. But, I mean, other than that, like it gets annoying and shit and like you get pretty mad, but I'm not mad enough to kill someone, but well, so now, now did you, uh, that, it was, did you, where did you shower at the gym? Yeah, just the gym. I'd wake up in the morning, just go to the gym, get ready and then go to work. Now, now why, come how, back, how, shower before bed. Now, why were you paying for a gym membership rather than an apartment? Doesn't the, wouldn't the apartment come first? Well, the gym membership was only 50 bucks or so. And then I just started the job where, I mean, I was getting paid decent. It was like a thousand bucks every couple of weeks or so, but it was just a bitch to try and get a place to like lease out to you. So I had to pay like a few extra months of rent up front. So basically, I just had to deal with it for a bit. But I mean, the gym was just fifty bucks. Like if I'd have got a a hotel, it would have been fifty bucks a day. Yeah, I, I wonder. Uh, I wonder how many people in Vegas are sleeping in cars. You'll start. You'll notice more. Like you'll um, next time you go to Walmart, like the cars you see parked way far the fuck off. Just pull up next to them. Like you'll catch someone in there. You look closely enough, you'll see blinds. Um, there's even some dickhead on YouTube like showing people how to sleep in their car and not get caught. <laughs> I, but you'll <laughs> you'll notice a lot. What I've found is that the best time to sleep in your car is when it's raining because no one's going to go mess with you when it's raining. They're not going to see you through the drops on the windshield. Uh, they're, they're not going to be walking around looking at cars. The police aren't going to be walking around. Like No one's going to be walking around to bother you when it's raining. 
Yeah, true. It, I would say the worst spot to try and do that shit would be a park. It seemed like there's always some fucking cop patrol in the park. Well, not only that, there's a lot of weirdos around there, too. I'd be afraid someone's going to like break in and do something bad to me. Yeah, that, that too. But, I mean, uh, I don't know. I guess I was confident in the fortitude of my car and shit. And I had, like, a baton. It pretty much, it's really hard to get in a deep sleep like that. So, anything, like, you're alert. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> definitely not the best decision. Yeah. Bad decision. Yep. Okay. That, that's a good input there, Timo. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks. Thanks for the uh, thanks for the insight there. Good later. Have a good night. All right. Thank you. So we got to learn more about uh, sleeping in cars in Vegas, which I've never done it in Vegas. I've never slept in my car once in Vegas. The closest I did was that time in Baker, ninety miles off Vegas. That was for is that because hour. you're a seven star member? Yeah. Yeah. But actually, it kind of is because I can get a, a room at any time there for free. Well, does so. it? Oh, it doesn't seem like it because you're asking. People well, no, I, I get one day. room, not not two rooms. I get one room. So why don't you sleep in your car and allow the other people to stay in the room? That's a great idea. I think that's what I'm going to do. I think Actually, that's... stay at Circus Circus and stay in the parking garage. I think that's, I Benjamin think that's what I'll do. Play I, the games. I think that's what I'll do. I think I'm going to tell Benjamin's mom that uh, we will give the other people the room I have at Caesars, and uh, we will be spending the night on New Year's mm-hmm. in the Circus Circus parking lot. <laughs> okay. To save $600, why not? Yeah, that's, I'm sure that'll go over well. That gets a lot of teddy bears for Benji on the. Uh, <laughs> okay, so. So, okay, so that's uh, something very bad that happened. And, you know, I, I still don't have any fear about going to Las Vegas. I, I think this type of thing is a fluke. The chance of something like that happening to you is still very, very small. And especially on something like New Year's, uh, they're really, really on guard for anything that uh, appears out of the ordinary. If if there's a time it's going to happen, it'll be a time like what just happened there, just a random day that's a non-holiday, non-event, just regular day in Vegas, someone drives on the sidewalk. That's when that type of thing will happen. Uh, at New Year's, uh, not only can't you drive on the Strip, there's no way. They, they block it with you know, big trucks and big barriers you'll never get past, even if you have a bomb. But I'll tell you something about terrorists. Terrorists want to succeed. They don't care about their own life, but they care about the mission succeeding. So terrorists do not attack when the odds of success are low. So if they think there's a lot of police presence or if they think it's, it's expected that terrorists are going to try to attack, they won't attack. Even the ones that attacked in San Bernardino, uh, it came out that three years ago they were going to do an attack somewhere and that they aborted it because uh, they felt that there was, there was uh, too much suspicion and too much uh, – That, that, that there was like a, a terror threat elsewhere and that the, the levels were higher of, uh, of people watching for that sort of thing. So they were afraid it wouldn't be successful. The, the terrorist's biggest nightmare is that he tries to kill people, does not kill anyone, and gets caught. That, that's the nightmare for the terrorist. Not getting killed, but, uh, but, or, or, or getting killed without killing anyone first. That's the biggest nightmare for a terrorist is failing in the mission to kill people. So that's why I do not believe that there will be a terrorist attack on New Year's in Vegas. That is why I don't believe that incidents like this are going to happen. I think that most people are going to do things like this are going to choose a time when no one's expecting it. So, 
is is there a chance something bad will happen in Vegas? Like, for example, what if somebody brings a high-powered weapon in a suitcase and then they get out of their car and uh, they jump out with a weapon and just fire it into the crowd? Could it happen? Yes. Could it be prevented? No. But I don't think it's going to happen. So, like, for example, the biggest crowd gathers for the fireworks at midnight. But there's tons of police presence there. So if somebody does have a high-powered weapon, what they would worry about, even if they don't care about their own life, what they would worry about is before they could kill that many people, the police will see it or hear it, shoot them dead, and that'll be that. So if, if you want to inflict the maximum carnage, you've got to do it when no one's expecting you to do it. And that would not be New Year's. So I feel safe there on New Year's, and I'm not even going to be out on the street anyway <laughs> during New Year's. Not for that reason, but just because it's cold and it's crowded. So let's, uh, let's get to the next topic Seven seven five fraud fifty. Okay, shout out to C Money. Seven seven five fraud fifty five. Seven seven five three seven two eight three five five is the phone number to the show. Shouldn't be too long until Brandon appears here, provided he appears. He. Uh, There's been a lot of discussion in the TMMLK pick form about uh, my uh, association with C Money and whatnot. So, one uh, poster uh, uh, mentioned that um, I could be. Making the picks on his behalf. Uh, okay, you you can get his permission. See if he's okay with that. So no, that's what they're saying. They're saying that he's telling me the picks, and then I'm posting it. I see. I see. Well, that, that's. I'm going to read you a text I got from the six six zero code. Some high schools calculate GPA resulting in honors, AP, or college classes differently than they do with other classes. The scales are highly variable, but often they give an A and an AP. P college, of course, a value of 4.33 in the GPA calculation. Yeah, I mean, I'd seen that before uh, where they inflate it, but usually they don't do that when they calculate the high school GPA. They do that for the GPA they, that they report to the colleges, but maybe that's what was going on. I, I, don't, I don't know. But again, she didn't mention she was in honors classes either, which I wouldn't expect her to end up in honors classes from being like way behind in ninth grade. Like she wasn't saying that she finished high school in honors or took the toughest classes. She's just saying she finished and had a, a good GPA. All right, let's take this phone call here. I know who it is. Call her on the air. Yeah. Can you please cut off T-L-M-L-G? Hi, Limitless. Stop trolling the chat, Limitless. Scott, shut the fuck up, okay? Get off the radio. Who is this? Who is it? Okay, well, your opinion's been noted. We'll we'll see how this goes. Okay, th- th- thank you, caller. Who is that guy? I don't know. Don't know. Didn't bother to have him identify himself. I think it's Grenade Roger. <laughs> no. I don't think so. I think he's in California. That wasn't a California number. So, what number? What area code was that from? Six three one. Six three one. Who yeah. is that? I think it's New York. I, I don't know it that well, but I think it's New York. The state of Kentucky sued poker stars 
And they won. They won a sizable judgment of one million dollars times 290. They won 290 million dollars against poker stars. Now, this lawsuit dates pretty far back. It goes all the way back to August of 2010. Uh, it was uh, a lawsuit against several U.S.-facing online poker rooms. And a pri- it was filed by a private law firm working in conjunction with the state of Kentucky. Uh, it, later in 2010, Party Poker... And Full Tilt filed motions to dismiss the action, saying that uh, the state could not sue them. And uh, in 2011, about a year later, November 2011, the judge who was uh, presiding over this whole matter, a judge named uh, Thomas Wingate, the judge said that Kentucky can sue. So basically, this lawsuit is based upon an old Kentucky statute. When I say old, I mean old. It dates all the way back to the 18th century. That if you operate illegal gambling in Kentucky, that the state can sue you and collect from you every dollar that gamblers lost to you. So basically, they can take all your proceeds of what you won from the whole thing. So, in 2014, Judge Wingate issued an order to Poker Stars uh, that uh, Mark Scheinberg, who is the CEO, is Esai Scheinberg, the founder's son, and the, the software uh, developers called the PYR, they're the ones who made the Poker Stars software, that, the, that their director named uh, Pinhas. Sherpa, that they have to make themselves available for a deposition before the end of April 2014. So uh, Poker Stars in April 2014 got uh, the whole thing moved to U.S. federal court based on jurisdiction. But the whole thing... uh, Stalled for a little time. And uh, in that time, four months later, is when the big sale occurred. When Amaya Gaming bought Poker Stars and Full Tilt. So, uh, this is where we start to have a problem. In that this has not been completed. This lawsuit has uh, had not been heard at the time, and yet a sale went through. So at this point, if the state of Kentucky wins the lawsuit, who has to pay? The previous owners who actually committed the offense or the, the current owners who bought the company and maybe all of the company's liabilities? At the end of March 2015, uh, it, it was removed 
from the federal court system and moved back to the Kentucky court system. And on April 15th, 2015, four years exactly from the date of Black Friday when PokerStars was uh, busted, Judge Wingate ordered Rational Entertainment, the former owners of PokerStars, to respond to the request for the depositions by May 31st. This is of this year. So, what happened was that uh, Mark Scheinberg did agree to do their deposition remotely from London on June 3rd. So they they came to that agreement that, okay, Mark Scheinberg said, okay, I will do the deposition. You can depose me on June 3rd. I'm not coming to the U.S. for this, but I'll do it from London. There was a May 31st deadline for the deposition, but he agreed to June 3rd, and the court's like, okay, fine, do it on June 3rd. This is of this year. Again, this case stretches back to 2010. Well, this is where a snag really hit because Mark Scheinberg, no longer the owner of PokerStars, no longer having anything to do with PokerStars, but still was to be deposed over his actions when he was at PokerStars. This is Isai's son. He just decided not to show up for the deposition. He, he just no-showed. He just, he just blew it off. Just, I don't want to do it. I said I'll do it, but I'm not doing it. Too bad, guys. So that pissed off the state of Kentucky. That pissed off the judge that Mark Scheinberg just no-showed. And that was it. Uh, there was really no more cooperation from the rational group or from Mark Scheinberg. So on August 12th, Judge Wingate, Wingate, Wingate grants a partial summary judgment in favor of the state of Kentucky. And the and then a, a month later, the state of Kentucky submits a motion for uh, the amount of damages that they have estimated. Team MLK, how much would you estimate that Kentucky thought that people from their state lost on poker stars total during the time stars operated there? What, what would you guess that figure was? What's the population of Kentucky? That's a good question. It's not that large. By the way, your sound is terrible all of a sudden. What's the population of Kentucky? You guys get a little away from the mic. You sound like you're deep throating the mic. What is the population of Kentucky? Okay. The population of Kentucky is 4.4 million. How much did they lose? How much did all all people who played on PokerStars from Kentucky during the time they could play on PokerStars lose total, would you guess? I would say 5 million. I think that's probably a bit low, but uh, would you believe that the Commonwealth of Kentucky, which is also known as the state of Kentucky, estimated the damages, meaning the amount, the total amount lost by Kentucky residents on PokerStars to be almost $536 million. <laughs> that would be a lot of money to have lost on PokerStars for Kentucky residents. Kentucky only lost $536 million there. I, I wish I got some of that. <laughs> but 
here's the reason they came up with that number. They used uh, very shady tactics to come up with that number. It was determined that they that players lost that amount, but they did not offset that amount with wins. So if a player loses a pot and loses $300 in that pot, and then the next hand wins a pot where they win $300, they should be even. They should not have won or lost. But according to Kentucky's calculation, they simply would have lost 300 So they're just not adding the wins back in there, which is ridiculous. So they're not calculating this properly. So that's where they came up with that obscene number. I don't know exactly what records they used to obtain that figure, but it's the figure's wrong either way because you, you can't have that number before adding the wins back in and then they claim that the total damages. It's not because people didn't lose that much from Kentucky. Not, in, not even close. So, in October 2015, Amaya actually handed the court all the data for Kentucky players on PokerStars. So if you live in Kentucky or lived in Kentucky between October 2006 and 2011, or in April 2011, uh, the state of Kentucky has seen your poker results. And Judge Wingate then revised the damages down to $290 million. But again only did it based upon losses. Now, I guess it wasn't loss per pot, but it was per day. So they just added up all the losing players who lost $5 or more on PokerStars in one day, but did not offset it with the winners. They just said, okay, who lost today? Okay, who's from Kentucky? Okay, of those people who lost $5 or more for the day, okay, we're adding that in. So they, they didn't take off the wins. So again, if you... Or the right. I don't know about the rake, but it, it's uh, I mean, the rake counts at losses. So that would make sense. But they, they just counted the amount people were down for particular days. And then if they were up the next day, they didn't count that back against the, the total, which is crazy. So Amaya obviously wasn't uh, happy with this, and I don't blame them. So they filed motions, they and uh, the Rational Entertainment Group, filed motions to Judge Wingate to reconsider the judgment, saying this is ludicrous. They should be figuring out the actual amount lost by Kentucky residents, not uh, this thing where you can't subtract the wins from there. Because I have a feeling if, if it got down to a low enough number, like your $5 million, I don't, I don't know what the right number would be, probably more than $5 million, but whatever it was, if it was low enough, they probably would have just paid it and been, been done with it because it's a, a big company that can afford to pay something like that. But $290 million, that's a lot bigger of a deal. So, Wingate said no. In November, November 20th, Judge Wingate said no. The defendants have engaged in what can only be characterized as a pattern of delay and obfuscation throughout the course of this litigation. And he confirmed the judgment of $290 million. So, he's claiming here, basically the judge is saying, I'm fed up. The, you guys were not producing Mark Scheinberg for the deposition. You were jerking me around. So F you, we're not changing it. Now, even though this was the previous ownership, uh, they're basically saying you guys didn't cooperate enough. So F you, you didn't produce Scheinberg, F you. And uh, Amaya, if you're not happy with this, then you go after the Scheinberg, you sue them. But uh, because between the two of you, you didn't cooperate enough. 
I'm affirming this. Which I, I don't think is right, but that seems to be what happened. Uh, Amaya said, all right, well, <laughs> we're going to appeal, but if our appeal does not work, if we are still required to pay $290 million or anywhere near there, they said in a statement they plan to, quote, seek recovery against the former owners of Poker Stars. In the event that all future expected appeals in this case fail, and the company is ordered to pay a settlement. So this would be, this $290 million would actually be considered a major portion of their net worth at the moment. So they're definitely not going to just hand that over to Kentucky. So they're going to try to go after the Scheinbergs for this. So the Scheinbergs are not out of the water. They, you, you, th- you thought that maybe the Scheinbergs got away with what they did with uh, operating poker stars illegally all these years. And their banking shenanigans and everything else that they used to operate the site against U.S. law, and then sold it off for a lot of money to Amaya, made off like bandits and didn't go to prison. It sounded pretty sweet, but they're not off the hook yet because now it looks like they're going to be sued by the new owners. It's going to be Amaya versus the Scheinbergs to get back the money that Kentucky has sued them for. You also have to wonder, will other states now copy what Kentucky is doing and go after poker stars in the same way? And at what point is, is Amaya just going to throw up their hands and say, we're not doing this anymore, F you. We're not even going to pay. So it's a, kind of an ugly situation here. And this is a statement from Amaya Gaming. From six days ago. Amaya today provided clarity regarding a dispute in, in the Commonwealth of Kentucky relating to certain activities of PokerStars business during a period between 2006 and 2011, approximately three years prior to Amaya's acquisition of the brand. Amaya believes the action is frivolous and without merit. The civil proceeding was initially filed in 2010 under an antiquated 18th century Kentucky statute. The Commonwealth claims that it is entitled to recover un- alleged losses of Kentucky residents who played real money poker on poker stars during the period between October 12, 2006 and April 15, 2011. By the way, those dates are chosen because October 12th is after the UIGEA was passed and April 15, 2011 was Black Friday when they stopped taking U.S. customers. A similar action filed against poker stars in Illinois was dismissed by that court earlier this year. During the five-year period at issue, PokerStars generated aggregate gross revenues in the Commonwealth of Kentucky of approximately $18 million. So there you are, Tim Gay, you're not that far. Of course, like I'm a baller, because you've got to look at it, $4 million, how many people are under 19, right? 19. You see, it's it's a, just like a Canadian, it's actually, it's at 21. Or actually, yeah, poker stars play on poker stars well, in the states. Is, no, no, uh, actually, it's, well, it's, it's twenty-one to gamble in the states, and uh, it's eighteen to play on poker stars when they were operating okay. illegally. So you got to factor in that a majority of that population is under eighteen. Yeah. By the way, the nineteen thing for those of you that don't know, everything becomes legal in Canada at nineteen. Like you can drink and gamble and do all that when you're nineteen, right? Well, actually, you can. Um, you can't gamble until you're nineteen. Yeah, but what about drinking? I think drinking's 18. I don't know. If it's it's screwed up. Oh, it's screwed up. I, I thought everything just happens at 19 there. No. 
I think you can buy scratch tickets at 18, like play the lottery and whatnot, but you can't um, drink, so you can't go to the casino because that's 19. Okay, but, but 19 year olds, but 19 year olds can drink. Where in the U.S. you have to wait till 21. Yeah, U.S. 21. Hmm. Okay, so anyway, so it goes on. Uh, 18 million is what uh, Amaya is claiming the Kentucky residents lost, which is is probably true. Nonetheless, the Commonwealth sought as an award as high as 290 million and requested it to be uh, trebled. I don't, know, I don't know what they mean by trebled. They mean that they're going to sing the award in a high voice. Two hundred ninety million. Is that what they mean? Trebled. Hmm. The trial court subsequently indicated that this amount is incorrect and has not yet entered a final order awarding damages. Any such final order would be subject to appeal. Amaya intends to vigorously dispute any liability that may be ordered by at the trial court and believes that there are a number of compelling legal arguments reserved for consideration, including, without limitation, the lack of standing to bring this proceeding in the name of the Commonwealth and the court's failure to properly apply the law. To the extent that PokerStars entities may be ultimately obligated to pay any amounts pursuant to final adjudication following exhaustion of all appeals and legal options, Amaya intends to seek recovery against the former owners of the poker stars business. So poker stars, I, I don't want to say a civil war, but the new versus the old war might be coming to a courtroom near you. So you don't mess with the Kentucky. They got a good basketball team. Yeah. Another reason not to mess with them. The world series of poker has announced its 2016 dates. I'll be there. I don't believe it. If you're there, I'll well, if you're there, I'll meet you. But I don't believe you'll be there. I don't believe it. I, I I've already seen you before. So well, you've seen pictures of me. You've never seen me in person. Uh, no, yeah, yeah, you haven't. Okay, so okay. Nice time. <laughs> so let's go. I'm going to read you the information that's been given by Seth Polanski, and uh, then we will discuss it. I'm always interested in the World Series. I should have had this up, but uh, I don't. She started with your Caesar's Total Rewards program. That would go on for two hours and get into everything. Well, I, I can do that if you want. Or you can just skip to the sports section and you can snap me off clean. I could snap you off clean right now, like that guy wanted me to do. Well, you ever think of that? You could snap me off clean, but uh, let's just talk about sports and you can snap me off. No, let's not. But uh, so here, here is the uh, the press release from Seth Polanski. Regarding the 2016 World Series of Poker. Okay. Now here's really what here's really what he had to say about it. Oh. I won't mess around anymore. And I and you're telling me I have phone issues. Nice answer. Now this is from uh, the interview that Seth Polanski did with Quad Jacks back in 2012. That was that's actually Seth Polanski's voice. That really is his voice. Okay. Uh, decision. Okay, so the amazing thing is, like three years later, this is still up. There. Almost four years later, this is still up there. So, but here's really what uh, Seth Polanski wrote. He's the guy who always sends out these press releases. Uh, where'd it go? Now I lost it. 
Okay, so the dates have been released. The World Series of Poker will officially start on May 31st, 2016. The final nine of the World Series of Poker main event will be reached on July 18th. So those are the dates, May 31st through July 18th, 2016. It will be a 50-day event. Now, one thing that they are updating is the Colossus, the gigantic event last year, $565 buy-in that had over 22,000 entries. Keep in mind that a lot of these were duplicate entries. These are not 22,000 unique people, but still 22,000 entries. They are now calling it the Colossus 2 Electric Boogaloo. No, it's actually not Electric Boogaloo. It's just Colossus 2. And it will have a $7 million guarantee and two additional entry flights over last year. So it looks like six entry flights are going to be occurring, if uh, I remember properly. I, I remember there were four entry flights in 2015. There was a backlash last year with 22,000 entries and $565 per person that uh, everyone was expecting a very large first prize, only to find that it was like $638,000 and everyone was pissed. Imagine you win a tournament like that with 22,000 runners at $565 each and you don't get a million bucks. We're anywhere close to there, even two-thirds of that. So this year, they are guaranteeing that first place will be... One million dollars. I knew they would do that. I knew that was a mistake they would not repeat. And they will change the format of Colossus. This is really weird to where you can finish in the money several times in Colossus. And I don't mean bump up in the money. I mean actually cash a few times in the same tournament. So this is a new format that came up with and first tested at the World Series of Poker Europe Oktoberfest event, where each starting flight is treated as a separate tournament until the money's hit. So if you're in flight 1A, then you stay with those same players until you cash. Then when you cash, they halt it. And then uh, when everybody, when all the flights cash, B, C, D, E, E, and F, then they halt all of them and mix everybody together. So since you are allowed to enter all the different flights if you want, you could cash, I believe, up to six times in this event. Yeah, but how would that work, though? Like, you would take your biggest stack or would they combine it or like <laughs> it, it must be biggest stack it couldn't be combining they wouldn't be fair it must be yeah. biggest stack and then you're getting rolled with the there would be no point in doing that then because all you're going to do is bin cash i didn't think of that but that's a good point that's, that's the first good thing you've brought up on this show second yeah. good thing the second good that's thing. why i'm a legend no, you've brought up two good things one was a, a reasonable es- estimate about uh, what was won from kentucky residents and uh, and this point I didn't think of that yeah uh, if you cash multiple times then you throw away the stacks then <laughs> what's really the point to enter just a mid cash? See, that's, that's why you keep me around. That that is weird. I agree. That is weird. Uh, you would never enter that six times. If no, no, there's no, there's no way. <laughs> I mean, I guess if You'd I didn't selling pieces at like eighty percent like you did last. No, year. So, no you know if I. If I didn't cash, maybe I would enter the next one. But I'm actually going to tell you the truth. I'm not going to enter this at all. I, I think this is a, a lousy tournament for reasons I'll get into shortly. 
so it will be $565 again. It will be a 13% rake again, meaning that only 500 of those 565 goes into the prize pool. Now, some of that rake does go, or to- go toward paying the staff, but most of it goes into the pockets of Caesars Entertainment. So only uh, a small amount of that goes into the pockets of the dealers and the other staff there. They'll keep you with uh, free hotel stays, so they need to make money somehow. Yeah, I guess. I guess it's all the free hotels I'm taking. So 13% rake, which is pretty brutal. Last year, 22,374 people entered the tournament. So that is coming back with this weird format where you can cash multiple times, but then apparently just min-cash and throw away your stack, which is weird. I don't know that for sure, but that's what it kind of seems like. Maybe someone in the chat room can... Confirm this. Thank you, Hoser. Uh, Hoser mentioned that my joke about you uh, sleeping in Circus Circus was his third good contribution. Okay, so you've had three good contributions. I'll give you that. Thank you. Okay, so here's some other events that are returning in 2016 for sure. And if I'm not listing an event you're thinking of, don't panic. It's just they haven't decided on those yet. But these are some events that are coming back for sure. The Millionaire Maker. The Monster Stack, the little one-for-one one drop, the Seniors event, not necessarily the Super Seniors, but the regular Seniors, we had to be 50, and the Ladies Championship event. So those events are all coming back for sure. Why? Because they had huge fields. They made a ton of money for the Caesars Corporation. So there's no way that they're going to cancel these events for 2016. How big? Well, and of course the main event is coming back too. So the main event had 6,420 people. The Millionaire Maker, 7,275. Monster Sack, 7,192. Little One for One Drop, 4,555. Colossus, I already told you, 22,374. And the seniors, I don't have the total, nor the ladies, but those both also got a lot of people. So uh, they definitely wanted those back. None of that is a surprise. In fact, I would have been shocked if any of those were not run again for 2016. They were huge success stories. Uh, There are some events I'm concerned about not coming back that uh, I played last year and either will or might play in 2016 if they're back. One of them is the Extended Play No Limit. The Extended Play No Limit was uh, a No Limit Hold'em event with 90-minute levels. I knew immediately that I would like that format, because I am better at uh, picking good spots to move up and less and, and I'm not as good at accumulating chips really quickly through like wild and crazy play. And, I, and now there's an incorrect impression of me that I'm like a, a super tight, straightforward player. I'm not. I actually do a fair amount of bluffing and, and blind stealing and all that. Uh, it's just that uh, I, I'm not one of these crazy young internet guys who can run up chips really fast. So the better formats for me are the slower formats, so I knew that the extended play would be a good format for me. I played it for the first time ever because it was the first time they ever had the event last year, and I cashed. But I am not sure if it is coming back because the extended play did not get uh, the feel they thought it would. Uh, It ended up getting, uh, let's see, pulling it up here. Uh, 
1,914 people, which sounds like a lot, but it's really not. They they uh, they were really hoping to do better than that because this is a No Limit Hold'em event, $1,500 buy-in. They were expecting more than 1,914 people on a weekend event. So that was, a, that was considered a failure. Uh, even a bigger failure, and I, I really think this one's not coming back, is the DraftKings 50-50 event. The DraftKings 50-50 event, uh, obviously it's not going to be called that. DraftKings was the sponsor. It had nothing to do with DraftKings, but they were the sponsor. They definitely won't be sponsoring again after what's happened with them. I'm sure the World Series wants nothing to do with them. But the 50-50 event was an event where 50% of the field cashes. Now, 50% does not make money because if you finish in the top 50%, but not the top 10%, then you either break even or lose. So if you finish between the top uh, 25% and top 50%, you get two-thirds of your buy-in back. If you finish between the top 10% and top 25%, you get your buy-in back and break even. If you finish top 10% or better, than which would normally be cashing, then you make money. But of course, when you cash at the top 10%, you're getting a lot less than you would otherwise because a lot of the money in the prize pool has been given away to those finishing between 10% and 50%. Now, I entered this event thinking, hey, since I don't shoot off my stack really easily, since I'm pretty good at uh, reading where uh, where I'm behind and folding, that uh, this would be a good event for me because there's a lot of events where I make it past half the field. Well, I did make it past half the field, but I also made it past a quarter of the field or three-quarters of the field. I made it past 90% of the field. I made it very deep. I finished in 40th place out of 1,100-something people. But I only got like $4,300 out of it because of that fact that they had to give away a lot of the money to the lower places. So that I was unhappy about, that I made it so deep. That was my deepest run in 2015. And I was three-outed for a huge pot to cripple me. Ace-King suited against King-Queen suited, and on the river, a queen. All in pre-flop. I did say at the time that I got lucky on two hands prior to that, where I would have been knocked out, so I felt that was kind of, in a way, justice against me. Not that I deserved it, but I couldn't complain I was unlucky, because I was also lucky before that to get there. So instead of spinning the seat, did you uh, tip over the seat? No, in fact, Poker News complimented me on how well I took the beat. They said Wittellis took the beat like a professional and said that since he had been lucky earlier, a bad beat was eventual. Something like that. They actually they interviewed you after? No, they, they heard what I was saying at the table after it happened. Like, I was really disappointed, obviously. I'm thinking, oh, wow, what if I... Like, I see it get all in for this, all my chips with Ace-King suited against King-Queen, and I know if I win this, I'm like 50% above average chips with 40 people left. I'm thinking, oh wow, I'll finally win that no limit bracelet, and, and then you won a bracelet. Stop it! I've I've <laughs> I've, I've won a bracelet in limit, but not no limit, and I was uh, yeah, it'd be really nice to have one in no limit, but you'll be uh, catching Phil helmet soon. Yeah, but then then I, uh, you know that that queen hit me, and that was that. So I was very disappointed, but. Uh, I, I said right away, well, I got l- really lucky twice before this to even still be here, so I guess this is the type of thing that's eventually going to happen. Something like kind that. Kind of reminds me of that uh, poem I read last week. Maybe so, maybe not. We'll see. That's right. The Asian poem, even though you're white, supposedly. No, I'm Asian. And now you're back to being Asian. Okay, so 
By the way, they said it's not a proverb. Someone corrected you on that. Well, that's what it is. It's, it's a well, it's pronounced proverb. But what is it? What is what? Is it a proverb or is it something else? It's a proverb. Okay, I'm not going to try to figure this out. So that may not come back. I, I think the fifty-fifty won't come back with eleven hundred something people on a weekend event. That's that's a big failure. That's a big failure. They they wanted way more than that. So when they come up with these gimmick events like that, they really want to get a, a big turnout. So they got the huge turnout for a millionaire maker. That was a wild success. Monster Stack, wild success. Another huge turnout. Uh, the extended play, moderate failure, 50-50, big failure. So you got to think they're going to be replacing these with other events, but maybe not. Maybe they're going to give it a second chance. I think extended play is probably about 50-50 to come back. I think the 50-50 event is not 50-50 to come back. I think that's probably uh, maybe a 20% chance of returning. Just guesses off the top of my head. I would definitely play the extended play again. The 50-50, I'm not sure if I would. It's kind of funny, that's the one I did the best in, but I'm not sure if I would play it again just because of the terrible prize pool. That you have to, you really have to make it really, really, really deep to win any kind of good money in that one. So, I will say that the field in that event was very weak. And that, that would be one thing that would bring me back there. And Brandon noticed the same thing. That was the event where, uh, coming into the final break of day one, that me and him were the two chip leaders. It was actually him and I. He was he was number one, I was number two. I don't want to sell Brandon short here. But we both noticed that the field was much, much weaker than usual. So that was a nice thing to have. Now, day two, once a lot of the docks had fallen out, and mo- it was already kind of close to the 10% mark where you're guaranteed making money, uh, by then there were a lot of good players left in the field. But in the early stages, boy, there were a lot of fish there. Is it possible to have a master scaler on the line? He has a a phone, but I I can try to call him. That guy is a legend. Let's try to call him. Let's let's break up the segment with. I'm sure he's not going to answer. I'm not sure, but I'll call him. She can uh, burn somebody in the oven again. I, I don't think he's going to. No, we're not going to bother Colleen. I actually have her number. I'm not going to bother her, though. Well, we can, yeah. Well. I'm sorry, but the person you called has a voice mailbox that has not been set up yet. Goodbye. 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 Yeah, that's what you usually get when you call him. He leaves the cell phone off most of the time. So why don't you give him, like, two quarters to get on the uh, payphone? Well, how am I supposed to give it to him? Uh, mental telepathy? Send it in the air well, to him? Does he not have text message? He's got a cell phone? It's off. He turned it off. That's why I got that in the first ring. Well, you can still send him a text message saying if he turns it back on. He won't see it until way after the show. He leaves his phone off all the time. Like, he turns it on once in a while. He's a, he turns it off basically when he needs to make a call, and that's it. So what's a skinny on Master Scaler? I know he was involved in some sort of, uh, like, uh, I guess that was the guy in the uh, thing you had posted. About how he's trying to roll Master Scaler? Yeah, maybe I'll tell you guys about this after the World Series segment, which I'm getting close to being finished with. So they're going to announce the rest of the schedule in January or February. Uh, They're basically only putting out the things they're sure about right now. 
Some dates that they know, the Casino Employees event will be on June 1st. I don't know why they say it starts May 31st if that's the first event. Maybe they mean you can start buying it. I don't know what they mean by May 31st. But the Casino Employees event is June 1st. The Colossus will take place on June 2nd. And then uh, the other flights will be on June 3rd and June 4th, I guess, two each day. The main event will start on uh, July 9th, which is later than usual. Which probably means they're going to have more prelim events. A few more this year. It's interesting. I think it usually starts like July 6th, July 5th, July 4th, that sort of thing. Uh, The seniors event will take place on June 17th. And they're not really seniors because you have to be 50. 50 is not really a senior. I will be old enough to play that event in six years. And I don't feel like a senior or close to one. There are many listeners to this show who can already play that, who don't consider themselves old. Maybe we can put Delaware in the uh, seniors event. He can enter the super seniors. That's for 65 and older, if that comes back. Let's get some sort of uh, free roll going for them. Some donations, fly them out to Vegas, and uh, put them in there. People enter the seniors event expecting it's going to be a piece of cake because there's none of the young internet guys. It's going to be all old guys who don't know what they're doing. And then they sit down, and there's like eight other 50-year-olds there with them. They're like, ah, crap, that's not what I was expecting. So it's it's really the super seniors that would probably be the easy event. The seniors probably is not that easy. There's a lot of pretty good players who are over 50. Are you catching that age by now? Or are you? I thought you were like 45, 46. No, I told you. It'll be six years. I'm not 45 or 46. I, I, I'm going to be 44 soon. I'll be 44 when the World Series is taking place. So it'll be six World Series from this one I can enter it. Benjamin will be like 12. Uh, Benjamin will actually be 11. So Benjamin's got a while to go before he can enter the World Series. He can enter the World Series when I'm 60. So you can fall. You can't play this. I was going to say, never mind. That wouldn't be super senior. Yeah. You could be like, that's my dad. He's a bracelet winner, guys. Maybe that's what he'll say. I don't know. Maybe he'll say I'm a, a multiple bracelet winner if I can make it happen again. Can we take action on that? Uh, well, when would it pay, though? Because I could just... I could win it at any point, or not win it. You don't know. No, when when Benjamin becomes legal age. Oh, we well, want to take action on a bet for uh, that'll pay sixteen years from now. Yeah, <laughs> I should do that because if I win a bracelet before then, then I can collect from you, and the chance of you being able to collect from me in sixteen years is probably pretty low. Why do you say that? I, I don't know. I I just think that maybe things will be different. There'll be no more poker fraud alert. You know, I'll just kind of be out of the picture. I could even be dead. Well, Who knows? Because you're snapping off your members. Like you got legends like uh, Marty, or he's not snapped off. Marty writing forms about him. Like no, come on. Mar- Marty can post. Boy. He's not snapped off. No, but you were posting about him and putting them on tilt. Respect the legend. <laughs> okay, so so uh, that's the story with the World Series. They will announce more. They claim it'll be uh, more than 60 events, which, of course, I I was guessing it'd be more than 70 if they're going to be starting the main event on July 9th. But they claim more than 60 events are expected that they will announce in January or February the full schedule. So we will see. 
All right, so I'll take a little break from this poker talk, and uh, I'll tell you guys about what's going on with Master Skeeler. Team MLK wanted to hear about it, and it's it's an interesting yet disturbing story. Master Scaler, also known as Ken Scaler, is a longtime friend of mine. We're almost upon the 25-year anniversary of when I met him in person. The reason I say in person is we actually interacted on party lines before that, but didn't really know each other. We kind of heard each other, but didn't really think much about each other. Like he, I didn't even remember who he was when he told me who he was on party lines, but uh, uh, he knew who I was when I told him who I was. I'm surprised uh, Master Scaler uh, snapped off that Asian girl on Blind Date. He, he could have had her. Yeah, he kind of blew that one. But he just doesn't like older women. Well, he blew like three of them. So uh, he he has a, a lot of problems, so to speak. Now, he's he's perpetually broke. He works menial jobs. He He has a master's degree in political science, but he's so strange, and he really can't function normally in society he kind of just uh gets by he, he has a lot of a lot of issues and I, I believe he has asperger's syndrome what's that it's uh, you can look it up but I, I believe he has asperger's syndrome and i think that complicates things even further so he really can't take care of himself very well and one thing that happens to master scaler is that people take advantage of him people see an easy mark because they they uh they either try to intimidate him or they uh, they they find a way to trick him. He's just not very street smart. So they, they just keep taking advantage of him as much as they can. Uh, he also has no value for money. So this is a type of exchange that I've had with Master Scaler before. He asked me to do something, whatever, just something he wants me to do. Could be anything, something trivial, something stupid like uh, – you know, let's go to such and such movie. I see. I don't feel like it. Come on, let's go. No, I don't feel like it. Come on. Okay. I'll, how about I buy your ticket? No, it's not about that. I don't want to buy. It. Okay. How about I I buy your ticket and give you twenty dollars? And I, I'm telling you, it's not about the money. I just don't feel like. Going. Okay. How about I buy your ticket and give you two hundred dollars? Like he'll <laughs> he'll do that. Like he'll just start spouting off crazy offers of money he's going to give you if you do what he's asking, even if it's something trivial like going to a certain movie. Uh, he's done that to me before. I've always refused. I've never taken advantage of it. And and told him, no, that's ridiculous. And just if I don't want to do something, I just won't do it. I won't, won't let him bribe me because uh, he can't afford it. And I, I wouldn't feel right taking the money. But as you can imagine, a lot of others do feel right taking the money. And in fact, some take it a step further to where rather than just letting him offer things like that, uh, they find ways to get him to owe them money. So Ken works at a place that sells toner printer toner and this is a very scammy industry it basically this uh this toner industry they sell way marked up way overpriced toner to businesses that don't know better and they call up random businesses they strongly imply that they're the manufacturer of the printer but they they don't directly say it so this way they're not directly breaking the law. They'll say things like, uh, this is the printer's company or things like that. This is the company for your printer, which implies it's the manufacturer but doesn't directly say it. They say, we show that you're due... We got a communication from your printer that you need more toner very soon. Usually these businesses actually have a contract with the supplier of the printer or the manufacturer to... 
get a certain amount of toner as part of their contract for free. But a lot of them, they don't realize it. Or even if they don't have such a contract, they could buy the same toner for much, much cheaper. So these companies do ship toner. They really do ship the product. It's just marked up by many times. And they misrepresent themselves as the printing company or the, the company that manufactured the printer or the, the company that's leasing the printer to them. So very shady stuff. I've told Master Scaler to leave there for several reasons. Number one, it's just not right to do that. Number two, the people you work with there, as you can imagine, are not exactly fine, salt-of-the-earth people. Uh, TMMLK, have you ever applied for a job before? Well, yeah, I do work. Okay. When you've applied for a job, was there a section on the application where it asks, have you ever been convicted of a crime before? Yeah, it always has that in here. Yeah. So have you ever wondered if you check yes, if people ever get the job? Um. Well, unless you have a pardon. Well, yeah, but when I've seen that, I'm like, yeah, if I checked yes here, they'd never give me the job. Like that's, I always think that. That the second they see a yes there, they just throw it in the garbage. But I think, well, ex-cons have to work somewhere, so how do they get a job? Well, this is the job they get. This is a perfect job for ex-cons because nobody else wants to hire them. And people who were in prison before are much more likely to be willing to do something like this, to participate in a scam like this, than someone who was not in prison before. Someone with a criminal background is much more likely to... Uh, be dishonest with things like this and, and work for a dishonest company than others who may say, no, this is against my moral fiber to do. So Ken ends up working with a lot of really unethical people and criminals. And when criminals see someone that is easy to take advantage of, what do they do? They take advantage of him. So, you might wonder why is Ken working at these jobs? Does he make a whole lot of money? Does he make huge commission for scamming these businesses? No. He makes more than minimum wage, but not that much more. Like the bonuses are not that great. It's not like he's he's taking home 100k a year and saying, "Hey, I I could never make this anywhere else, so I don't care if I've got to work for a kind of a scam company. I'm I'm happy with the money." He he makes crap. He only makes a little bit more than he would working for a legitimate company. So yeah, I, well, Master Scaler wouldn't get bonuses anyways because he'd be on the phone for like hours going on about things. No, no, he's or actually they, no, no, he's actually good at this. He's actually good at making sales me. on the phone. Yes, you you would never like he does not. Sound, well, I believe it. I that. He doesn't sound weird or anything like that. He he comes off very well on the phone on these type of sales calls, not just for like the scam toner things, but even other jobs he's held in the past for telemarketing. In fact, he holds a he has a regular telemarketing job for a non scam position, but it's only part time where he sells things. So he's actually good at this. So. Years ago, he was at a different toner company, and some guy there intimidated him into being his roommate, a guy who was living out of his truck, intimidated him to letting him move in there, said he'd pay rent, and then didn't pay anything, and I had to trick the guy to leave. I had to make the guy think I was sending down, uh, because this guy just was not leaving. He just refused to leave, and to evict someone in, in Los Angeles is a very big process that takes months, so... And I wasn't even sure if Master Scaler would have the balls to do it to this guy. So I, I rescued Master Scaler. This is years ago. I called up the guy. I told him, yeah, I'm a friend of Ken's. And I told him that I know what's going on here, that I don't approve of it. I don't appreciate him taking advantage of Ken like this. And so the guy started 
bragging to me that he knows his rights, that he that we can't just throw him out, that uh, he is a tenant there now, even if he doesn't have a formal rental agreement, which is true, that it would take a whole eviction process to remove him. In fact, he was actually overestimating his rights, believing that there's just no way to get rid of him. So I said, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. You're not being removed. The furniture is. He says, what? I said, well, you don't have an agreement that the furniture there, so I'm, I'm sending my guys down there. And they're going to take every bit of furniture out of that apartment. And since you don't own any of the furniture, the furniture is going to be taken out. And Ken has agreed to this. I said, Ken, do you agree? He said, yeah. I said, there you go. So I'm sending my guys down there. They're going to take every bit of furniture out of there. No bed, no tables, no couches. Even the refrigerator is going to go. So you can, you can have the empty apartment. So the guy started freaking out. And he started making threats. He started saying, if you come down here, you try to take my, this shit here, I'm going to fucking beat your ass. I said, no, 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 no. First of all, I'm not going to be the one coming. I'm sending my, my, my guys who work for me. I'm not, I'm not coming down there. I live in Las Vegas, which I did at the time. I said, I live in Vegas. I'm not coming all the way from Vegas. I'm sending my guys in L.A. to do this. And he says, all right, well, I'm going to kick their fucking ass if they come down. I said, no, that's fine. You can try. I said, you know, these guys I'm sending down here, these are tough guys. They, they just got out of prison. They enjoy a good fight. They're, they're actually hoping that you're going to start a fight with them. Now, they're not going to lay a hand on you. They're not going to beat you up when they get there. They're just going to come in. They're going to take the furniture. And if you dare lay a hand on them, they're going to beat you to a pulp. And then it's self-defense. So they're hoping. I hope you do it. So he started to panic because he knew that either way he's screwed. And his girlfriend was there with him at the time. His girlfriend started to really panic because she was worried he was going to get beaten. So the guy left. Well, you were really good at those uh, type of uh, yeah. So I plays that's not, like I would never have thought of that. Yeah. So 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 the guy left, and I so like I felt all proud of myself that I rescued Master Taylor from the situation. So fast forward to I don't know about uh, two years ago, year and a half ago, something like that. I lose track here. <laughs> There's a new roommate there from that is moving in that Ken knows through his job that's there through coercion who isn't paying rent. And I go, oh, my God, how'd this happen again? Is it the same guy? No. Well, I'm like, I'm like this job is awful. You've got to leave there. This keeps happening over and over. He said, it's a different job. It was actually a second job, a completely different job unrelated to the first one. He said they both were toner jobs where he has someone moving in with him uh, through coercion and not paying rent. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe this happened again. So I'm, I, at this point, I'm starting to feel like, like no matter what I do to to help him, he, it's just enabling him. He's just going to keep running these same situations. But uh, eventually, when it got so bad, he's begging me to help. Well, this guy actually left on his own, thankfully, because Colleen was coming over to stay with Ken because she had nowhere to go for like a short time. And this guy got in huge fights with Colleen, and uh, he hated her, and he was like so pissed about the whole thing. He decided that he's leaving on his own. Strangely enough, so this guy because of his hatred of Colleen actually left on his own, which is a big surprise. So Ken dodged a bullet there. So I said, okay, Ken, stop letting these leech roommates move in with you through coercion or whatever. You can't let it happen. You, you, you lucked out these two times, one time because I helped you, the other time because uh, uh, you know, the guy was having trouble with Colleen, and, I, and I, told Ken, I told Ken what to say to him to try to encourage him to leave on his own, and he did. Uh, you're not going to get this lucky eventually. Well, what happens, uh, Ken insists that he needs a roommate to pay the bills, which is really strange because 
Starting from the beginning of 2015, Ken started just really, really to struggle for money worse than ever before. Like, he's had that same job forever. And remember that girl Stephanie we used to put on the phone? She used to, like, they used to go out in places all the time. Like, he doesn't see Stephanie anymore, so, like, where's all his money going? Because before he'd see Stephanie spend a lot of money on her and still have no roommate and still be able to pay for everything. But now... Is Stephanie the one that wanted to burn the person in the oven, or was that Colleen? No, that was Colleen. But what I'm saying here is that his money was disappearing down a mysterious rat hole, and he wouldn't explain where it was going, and he made up excuses. He was taking payday loans. Uh, he was taking loans from me. He, he was making up excuse after excuse for where the money was going, but it just wasn't adding up. Give Master Scaler a loan, I don't believe that. No, I did. I, he still owes me some money. So so, so, so check this out. Uh, in, uh, in the summer, he needed a roommate to pay the rent because uh, all his money was disappearing somewhere. And through a guy we both know, not not anyone in poker or anything, but a guy we both know who's not from his work, like a legitimate guy, uh, knew of someone who seemed like a good fit. Wasn't a criminal, you know, which just seemed, a, seemed like a normal guy. Guy who was like in his late 50s. So that guy moved in. Well, unfortunately, this guy was like a career scammer. He wasn't violent. He wasn't a criminal, like he wasn't like, wasn't like a violent criminal with a, a criminal history, but he's like a career scammer, like a low-grade career scammer who just kind of uh, squats places as long as he can with payment, you know, promises of paying rent and then just doesn't pay, doesn't pay, doesn't pay, and, and just stall, stall, stalls until you get rid of him. So, again, Ken was stuck. Again, this guy wasn't paying rent. This guy wasn't leaving. Ken was almost about to get evicted. So again, I had to work my magic, and I had to threaten that I was turning off the electricity there. I told them that uh, uh, that I've taken control of the electric bill there, and I'm turning it off if he doesn't leave. And they'll be sitting in the dark. So that made him leave. The guy got up and left. So I'm thinking, oh, thank goodness we got it again. I go, Ken, I can't keep rescuing you. This is it. This is the last time. I'm, I'm not – I don't care. You know, I know you have issues, and I feel bad for you, but I, I'm not rescuing you every time you, this, this happens. This is it. I'm, I'm quitting. But I still didn't know where all his money was going. Well, the problem is in the meantime, uh, he he owed me money more than he ever had before. Not huge money, but for him, big money. Um, I might as well give you the number. He owed me $2,000. So, Jesus. Yeah. So, and he's Are always paid. He, no, I'm not charging interest. And he's always paid me in the past. Like I've always gotten paid back from him. Always. So, but now this is, it's run up higher than it had before. And so I was getting concerned that uh, he's not going to pay me and that it's dragging. And where's all the money going that he's making from work? I just wasn't understanding it. So uh, he has a roommate now who actually does pay. He's got a really weird guy, but at least he pays. Uh, so I'm saying to Ken, okay, you have a roommate now. The guy's paying every month. You're still not paying down my debt here. What's going on here? Where's all the money going? So finally, finally, the truth came out after a lot of pressure. The truth is that a guy from work, different guy than the one who moved in, but the one who arranged the last one to move in, the one who left because of Colleen, uh, a friend of his at work, has uh, been extorting large sums of money out of Kent. Sort of extorting. I'll get to it. It's more, more like loan sharking. Uh, in January of this year, for whatever reason, Ken needed to borrow $100. I don't know why, but he had to borrow $100. Maybe he'd been borrowing too much for, too much for me and uh, didn't want to ask me again. Whatever it was, he borrowed 100 bucks from this guy at work that had before already 
had some pretty bad deals with Ken and, and screw like this guy like two years before that made bets with Ken that were impossible to win regarding like call quotas there that Ken couldn't like make this many sales in this amount of amount of time. And he made like impossible terms and Ken stupidly accepted and lost like thousands to the guy. So this same piece of crap loaned Ken the hundred dollars with the condition that Ken pays back a few times that like 400 bucks for a hundred. Like, so it was something like, I don't have the exact terms, but I'll give you the hundred dollars, but you owe me 400 within two weeks. Which is totally illegal. So Ken agrees to it. Two weeks come. Ken can't pay the four hundred. So then the guy acts like he's all pissed, starts talking about how he knows gang members, you know, that uh that they're gonna beat up Ken, blah blah blah. Ken says, Oh, okay, okay, hold on, hold on. How about you just you know nobody beats me up, how about everything's fine? How about how about if you just give me two more weeks, I'll pay you eight hundred dollars instead of four hundred. The guy says, okay, two more weeks come. Ken can't pay the 800. Okay, okay, how about you give me two more weeks and I'll give you 1,500. So it kept going like this to where tens of thousands of dollars, I don't know how much, accumulated over this $100 loan. But you may say, well, what's the big deal? If Ken hasn't paid him anything, the guy has actually collected zero. Ken still has 100 bucks from him and hasn't given him a dime. Well, no. In the meantime, this guy has been going with Ken to cash his paycheck and collecting almost all the money from the paycheck every week. This guy has taken most of Ken's money in the year 2015 and still claims that Ken owes him five years worth of paychecks for all the interest. Over a $100 loan. <laughs> now, Ken says, well, I did offer it to him. I was scared of the guy, and I, I, you know, just to get him off my back, I'd say, okay, how about I pay you this much? But clearly the guy knew what he was doing. And also, this is illegal. It doesn't matter if the person agrees. You cannot charge thousands and thousands of dollars of interest on a $100 loan. So I heard this, and I couldn't believe it. And, and so Ken says, I don't want you getting involved. And I said, well, guess what, Ken? You're lucky. I'm not getting involved. He's actually not lucky, but I said, I'm not getting involved because I, I'm done with this. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not, if I bail you out of this one, it's, it's going to be a few months later, the next one's going to happen. So I gave him advice, but I, I said I'm not getting involved. I didn't. Uh, I'm not interested in calling the guy. Not interested in changing it. I I told him what to do. I told him he needs to leave the job. After a lot of pressure, he left the job supposedly, and is looking for another one. That's not in toner, and that's where he stands right now. And I don't know if he's paying the guy or not. Now Ken has since paid me about six hundred of of what he owes me. And seven fifty. Sorry, is Ken still uh, selling blood plasma? Yeah, he's still selling plasma, and and, uh, and actually, seven fifty of what he owes me is in tickets to the Coachella Festival at face value. So I could always resell those for a profit. So that you know that if he doesn't pay me, I could just not give him those tickets, and then just resell them myself and actually make a profit. So I, I could take another seven fifty off if worse came to worse of his debt. So what he really owes me, if you take away those tickets, is six hundred fifty, which is more reasonable at this point. So one question. So if you sold the tickets at a higher amount, would you subtract the seven fifty or the amount you got? No, I'd subtract the seven fifty because what? Because that's not. It, so you I, are charging kind of interest. No, but I paid for them. These are not that his tickets. Can. It's not. It's not like he took. It's not like I confiscated tickets from him. These are my tickets. I bought that I'm going to sell to him at at, uh, at even money, which is doing him a huge favor because he doesn't have a credit card to buy them. Otherwise, he had to buy them from scalpers for like double the price. So I, every year I've been doing this for him for uh, for no profit at all. I I, uh, I, I give him uh, the tickets 
at face value. And uh, I, but I'm not going to. But if if he still owes me money, I'm not going to give it to him. I'm just well, not that. only you, you're getting your Jew gold off the credit cards, and then you're rolling Ken for the. Uh, no, you're doing not, the same thing to Ken. No, I'm not getting much off the credit cards there. So <laughs> anyway, the believe me, I've. Uh, I've been the one who's treated him best at everybody, and I've gotten him out of all these situations. And I, n- I never seek to make money. I'm not making money off him here either. These are my tickets I bought that I could have resold to anyone. So do you go to the event with Ken? or you No, just... I don't go. I, 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 I really would just sell them. I, I have no interest in that music. So who does Master Scaler go with? Uh, it just sometimes no one, sometimes you know, a friend who wants to go to. But uh, these two tickets are for the two different weeks. It's not two tickets at the same time. Anyway, it, it doesn't matter. What I'm saying here is uh, it's just it, – it's frustrating to watch this. It's frustrating to me to watch these leeches take advantage of him. I mean this this piece of shit here who is taking his almost his whole paycheck over a $100 loan for the whole year and, and can basically can't afford to eat. I mean it's – and, and so people have said, you know, if you're such a good friend of his, why don't you put a stop to this one too? I just – I can't anymore. I, like, I, I feel like he's got to end these things on his own. He's got to he's got to handle these on his own. Otherwise, he's never going to learn. It's, it's going to be one after another. Is that, otherwise, he gets the feeling like every time he gets in these spots that I'm just going to keep bailing him out of it. And it's true. I have been, keep, I have been bailing him out of it. It's like the old saying, if you give him else a cookie, he'll oh, want no. a glass of milk. Oh, no. More Chinese proverbs. No, that's not Chinese proverbs. It's from the movie Air Force One. Yeah, but it, it was really too bad. Like I, I, I hate seeing this happen, and I really care about Master Scaler, but I can't – and I hate seeing people take advantage of him. But I – this is not just all – because of his condition, he's he's doing a lot of this by choice. He he always thinks he has control of these situations. Like I asked him, why do you work with these people? You why don't you just get a regular job with with normal people who you know may also be poor, but they're you know mostly poor good people? Why are you working with criminals? And I said, I think you believe you could handle life with these criminals, and you can't. They take advantage of you, and they run all over you. Well, maybe Master Scaler can apply to Subway, and then he can put your tomatoes on the side. That's true. That that would be. Uh, I don't think they'd want to hire him there, though. He he also has like kind of a homeless look to him. Yeah, and and that's the. I, I've told him to change that too. Like you can't. I said no one's going to take you seriously when you look like you're homeless. And he, I said, and people have accused <laughs> people have like confused him of being homeless before. And I've said, Ken, in my life, I've never had one person ever think I was homeless. Like it's never happened to me once. So do you think it's a problem that people sometimes say to you, "Are you homeless?" Like that's. That's a sign you Even when you worked wrong. at your old job and you were sleeping in your car, maybe people thought you were homeless? Or no? no, in fact, I'll tell you, when I worked at my old job, I made sure not to sleep in my car in the parking lot of that business. I'd drive like a mile away and sleep in a, a totally different business. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, like I, No, I did not want to see, have them see me doing that. Now, I, another question that was brought up in the uh, chat. Um, if for the Conchella uh, tickets, if you sold them for less than face value, what would happen? Would you give Ken the credit of seven fifty or you? Yeah, I give him seven fifty. You know, at that point, I just take ownership of them. But there's no way they'd sell for less than face. But if they did, I wouldn't penalize him for it. That's uh, at that point, they're just mine, and whatever I do with them, I do with them. Like, like let's, let's say whatever happened. Like, let's say I lost them. I wouldn't. Uh, again, I wouldn't penalize him for that. That would be my fault. So, uh, anyway, I believe me. I don't. I don't. I don't ever seek to make any money off Ken. Ken is broke. Uh, he never has any prospects to make any money. Uh, I, I feel bad for the situation he's in. Uh, I, I would actually do more for him if he wasn't. If the problem is if I do any more for him than I do, uh, it just enables more problems. So, 
Where does like Ken must live in like some sort of low rental housing? In no, he LA. doesn't. He, no, he's had he's had a an apartment which is actually in a good neighborhood for twenty years, and it's rent controlled. So it's it's uh, he gets a good deal there. So he's so maybe in like uh, fifteen years, Benji could uh, be his next roommate. <laughs> you, you know, uh, Ben, just to show you. Uh, Ben made a comment when he saw Ken walk up last time. He said, "Why does he look like that?" <laughs> See, even I said, "I said, you know, Ken, if if a four year old is commenting on uh, the way you look, you've got a problem." Wow, like father, like son. No. So, Have you ever ran into like any occurrences with Benjamin at like the toy store, and he wanted a certain toy, and you would like would not get your Jew gold out? Well, there's, you know, you don't just give. Ben, whatever he wants. Usually, it's not really at the toy store he does it. It's it, where he really says he wants things is he's very susceptible to advertising on TV. Like he'll see advertising during these kids shows of something, and and he'll say, "I want that, I want that." He, they really do a good job making those ads. Uh, because situation, you kind of like uh... it gets through to Benjamin. So, so you know, sometimes we'll get it for him, sometimes we won't. We he, he can't just have everything, and he gets spoiled. Yeah, but when Benji doesn't get his way, what happens? Like, does he? Going tilt and uh, you know about about things that he wants from TV. Not really because he knows he can't just get it instantly, even if we were to say yes. So then it kind of passes. He forgets about it. But uh, but yeah, I mean yes, he'll have uh, he'll get angry if he wants something and you won't give it to him or you won't. Uh, you know, a lot of kids do that. So another question from the chat: uh, What ha- what happened to Stephanie? Do you any update on Stephanie? Or? Yeah, Ken just stopped seeing her. Ken got sick of her and her abusive ways and just ditched her pretty much. So that was one. Do positive. you have a number? I do, but I, I don't. I don't want to open that can of worms again. Well, I I, I remember talking to her on air. I, I don't want to open that can of worms and have her start searching for Ken again. That's just going to add more problems to his life. Well, Ken's living in the same place for 20 years, so obviously she knows where Ken lives. I, but he's, like, never home there, and it's, it's a lot harder to find him. And like, if, I, I just don't want to remind her, like, like if I call, she'll start thinking, you know, oh, let, let me see if I can find Ken. And she'll, I, She kind of <laughs> got out of the habit of seeing him, which is amazing. So I, I kind of just, like prefer it stays what, that way what does ken do though like he must stay at home if he has no money no like, no he like I, I, that's a mystery i don't know like he just goes he, he's not at home he's like, i've talked to his roommate about it so <laughs> what's ken doing like, i know he, he goes he on the computer like the library and then <laughs> he still goes on myspace believe it or not like I, I don't know what he does with the rest of his day oh he also he does have a second job now which he worked only part-time and then he also uh else he's been doing i have a funny feeling that ken may be panhandling no no he's not i'm sure about that you're sure about that yeah now i don't know what he does with this whole day what's interesting with ken is that there's nobody in his life that has the full story nobody knows everything that goes on with him there's like secrets from everyone including me even the detective wow yeah so That's, that's surprising yeah, uh, yeah, you know, and it, something like let's say I had, I don't have something f- like this, but let's say I had a position to hire him for, where I could pay him a lot better than these crap jobs he'd been getting. Um, like I would and I wouldn't do it because I, I'd be happy to have him make better money and and be able to live a better life that way. But 
I'd be afraid if I paid him, like let's say I had a job to pay him $50,000 a year for, which isn't huge money, but it's a lot better than he's making now. I would be afraid that people like that guy from work, like that the people like that will get the money out of him. Like I just don't want leeches getting any money. Like I, I just detest those people that they squeeze money out of him. They don't deserve it. Well, maybe Ken can be like uh, your nanny, like Benji's nanny. <laughs> You can hire Ken. You guys can all live together and yeah. play poker, and uh, Benji can be in good hands. That'd be, be a great influence. Ben that way, Ken couldn't get rolled anymore, right? He'd be safe and sound yeah. in the uh, the Jew house, and uh... well, maybe uh, maybe Benjamin will start rolling Ken. They're <laughs> 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 like, Ken, buy me this toy, and I'll pay you back. Oh, okay. Yeah, and Ken's never driven before. He's never had a driver's license, and oh, pick him up. And uh, so the, the the two challenges with him are uh, between him and Benjamin, who's going to have a girlfriend first? Now, he's had girlfriends before Ken, but the, who's going to have the next girlfriend, Benjamin or Ken? And who's going to drive next, Benjamin or Ken? Wow! I, and Ken conceded that with the driving, Benjamin's going to beat him to it. But uh, the girlfriend, he says he thinks he's going to beat Ben. And I, I say you're probably right on that one. Well. So, Ken, Ken has had has had a lot of success with girls. I mean, I wouldn't say a lot of success. He's into the chubby chasers, and he's had Stephanie and Colleen on the go, and you, you know, know he's he's doing, he's doing all right. Ken, yeah, I don't know, but uh, yeah, actually, he may he may lose to Benjamin on that front too, because there's a a girl at Benjamin's school. That he plays with all the time. That he even said once, "This is his girlfriend." So maybe, uh, maybe Ben already has a girlfriend. Oh, I thought you were talking. Okay, well, you no, had no. me worried for a second. No, I'm talking about Ben. Okay. Ben. Oh, Benji's uh, is Benji into the chubbies or no? No, this this girl's not chubby. There's not many girls are chubby at that age, though. Okay. They're they're all pretty thin around. Uh, I mean, there's a few that that are big, but most most kids that age are. Uh, yeah, five years old or not fat. Um, Hot Shots uh, pointed out in the chat that we should have a new segment, uh, Benji or Ken. <laughs> I'm going to put him on the radio one of these days. He's there sleeping by now at, at uh, 1022 here, but one of these days, maybe in 2016, I'll uh, I'll have him come in and, and uh, talk on the radio here. He's aware of this show. He's aware that the show talks about poker. But that's about all he knows. He, and he knows there's a guy from Canada, not you, unfortunately. But uh, he knows about Daredevil and about Brandon. And he knows Daredevil's from Canada and, and that Brandon's from Las Vegas. He knows those things. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, put Benji on air. I'll, uh, I'll talk to him. So, okay, let's... Uh... You know, I actually... Are you teaching Benji how to play cards yet? Like poker? Are you, no, he's you... he seen me play on Bovada, and he's, he understands a little of it. Are you rolling his allowance and uh, <laughs> heads up limit hold'em? Or... I... You know, I actually called Benjamin from the World Series and actually talked to him on the phone in 2012. So he was one years old. It was one and a half, a little bit more than one and a half. But yeah, I was actually able to have a... Sort of a conversation with him, not not a very coherent one, but sort of one. So you're colluding with Benjamin how to uh, play this hand. But I thought that was cool. Like I was away from it, so I thought this is cool. Like I can actually call up and speak to him for the first time. 
So. Well, welcome to the 20th century. Well, no, I said his ability to speak. It wasn't my ability to make phone calls. All right. Now, actually, what I do is I, I call him on FaceTime now. We just uh, we we talk on FaceTime. Well, maybe I'll download that app and we can talk on FaceTime one time. I, I would like that. All right, let's see. Let's what talk else. about my NFL picks. We we went on a big tangent here. Let's go on to uh, hopefully people enjoyed the Ken Scaler story. Now we'll talk about the Brett Ritchie story. Brett Ritchie, also known as Get Crunk, was a member of this community for a while. Never super active, but he was there. He was a longtime middle and high limit poker player. Also played a lot of tournaments. I got to know him because he was part of this group that Micon hung out with a lot. Uh, this group included people like John D'Agostino, Scott Bowman, uh, Matt Woodward, also known as Woodrow, uh, Brad Lisbon, also known as Brad L., uh, Eric Crane, Jack's Poker. So he, he hung out with those people. He also had a group of friends from uh, his area. He was from uh, New Jersey and New York, originally New Jersey. So he had some people he hung out. When I first met him, I think it was on the Party Poker Cruise in 2006. And he was definitely on that cruise with this Russian guy named Eugene. Not Eugene Kachalov, by the way. And uh, he was a good poker player, but he had problems with bankroll management and, and problem with uh, life leaks. So he, he found himself busto several times. I was never friends with Brett Ritchie. I was never enemies of Brett Ritchie. It was kind of a acquaintance sort of thing where through Micon and other people that he was friends with that I was either friends with or or semi friends with that you know, I, I would see him in those sort of uh situations. He I, I believe he had sex with Chantel, by the way. I believe he was one of the many to have done that. There was once a, at a uh, there was a party at uh, one of the summer houses of people in that group. I think maybe Scott Bowman, but uh, a bunch of people got together and compared notes about Chantel, <laughs> and a lot of them like realized for the first time like exactly how many of them in that group she had been with. It's pretty comical. Too, too bad I couldn't uh, add my two cents to it, but. Uh, He is quitting poker. Brett Ritchie's quitting poker, according to an article in Poker News. The Poker News article says this, and then I will uh, tell you some Brett Ritchie stories. Brett Ritchie leaves professional poker to focus on a daily fantasy sports app? Yes, this, this is why he's leaving professional poker. With $1.4 million in lifetime earnings, which again is not winnings, that's just tournament caches, which I'll, I'll tell you in a second how he was entering a lot of these tournaments, by the way. You probably didn't know. Brett Ritchie is no stranger to poker. This two-time World Series of Poker runner-up, so I believe he's finished twice uh, in second place, has been playing the game for a decade. His first cash came way back in April 2005 when he took third in the 2005 New England Poker Classic for 44K. But as of late, he's disappeared from the poker scene. The reason? Daily fantasy sports. So that's not the entire reason. The other reason is I heard he was broke. However, unlike former poker pros who left the game to play daily fantasy sports, Richie left poker to focus on Blitzpick, a mo- mobile app for FanDuel and DraftKings users featuring a lineup optimizer, player news stats, and real-time alerts. 
Since the 2014 main event, which saw him finish in 323rd place for 33K, Richie pretty much quit playing poker and moved from New York City to Vegas to launch the app alongside Eric Liu, a high-stakes poker player and sports better. Poker News had the opportunity to speak with Richie about his new venture, and the chances we'll see him return to poker. Now, first of all, I don't understand this because he doesn't have any experience in that. He's not a computer guy. He, he Unless he's learned a lot of new skills in the time since I have last... Uh, known him he couldn't develop an app he just doesn't have those technical skills i don't even think he has the skills to design an app and then have a programmer do i just don't think that's in his skill set i I, this has never really been what brett Brett richie has done it just hasn't been uh he i don't know what he went to school for but he he's one of those young guys who you know back 10 years ago actually I, i first saw him in online poker in 2004 on inner poker but he's really one of these guys who just kind of, from a very young age, started playing poker and did well and ran it up and lived that life for many years. I, I don't see how he could be developing apps. So, Brett uh, Ritchie said, I created Blitzpick because when I surveyed the landscape of helper tools for daily fantasy users, they were almost all web-based tools geared more towards serious users. There really wasn't anything for the casual mobile user. There were nights I would be going to a poker game or out with my girlfriend, and I didn't have time to spend hours on my computer researching, but I still wanted to play Daily Fantasy Sports that night. Even if I managed to set a lineup, I would end up constantly checking my phone for injury news. I wanted to create a product that would let our users generate diverse quality lineups and would track the news for them so they wouldn't have to constantly check their phone for relevant injury news. Our lineup diversity comes from our proprietary algorithm. We generally only include high-value players and then filter them through our unique lens, where we include upside consistency and overall value compared to the salary cap. Did you need to get permission from FanDuel and DraftKings? Are they supportive? No permission necessary, he says. As long as you don't break the terms of service, all affiliates get access to the same information. FanDuel and DraftKings are supportive of the affiliate and helper tool industry in general because we drive a lot of business to them, so it's a mutually beneficial relationship. I'm friends with a few guys at both places, and they like the app. What sports does the app cover? Are there expected to be any added in the near future? Right now we offer NFL, and we're about to release our NBA product. Our Major League Baseball product is almost done as well. Then we're going to focus on getting PGA and college football and basketball ready. We eventually plan to cover every sport FanDuel and DraftKings offer, but for now we're just focusing on the most popular sports. Why did you skip the 2015 World Series? He says, I skipped the 2015 World Series because I was getting Blitzpick ready to launch. I spent a lot of time at the Rio this summer promoting Blitzpick, so it was definitely interesting to spend so, so much time there without playing a tournament. I was busy every day with meetings and a lot of other tasks, so it didn't make sense to shift my focus to play a tournament where I made to be distracted from my business for three days. I don't believe that either, by the way. Again, I heard he was broke. Do you feel you're done with poker? I'm definitely done playing poker at a professional level. Playing live poker for a living is not enjoyable or mentally stimulating for me, and when you factor in the travel and late hours, it's something I'll never do again. I really enjoyed playing online professionally, but I haven't played in over four years and it's banned in the U.S., so I feel pretty comfortable saying that the ship has sailed as well. I love poker. It's a beautiful game, but I never envisioned it as a long-term career. I ended up staying with it a lot longer than I originally anticipated, but overall it was very rewarding. But surely we'll see you again, at least recreationally. He says, right now I'm focused on blitz pick, but eventually I see myself as a recreational player who plays occasionally but takes the game seriously. So uh, I'm going to stop there. He's, he's talking about daily fantasy sports and legality and other crap that uh, I don't feel like getting into. I'll end with the question of what's in store for you for 2016? He says 2016 is all about, yep, you guessed it, blitz pick. 
We are building out our internal development team so we can continually iterate and improve our product. I'm enjoying the experience. It takes a mindset similar to poker. There are a lot of ups and downs, and it's best to stay even keeled and try to make the best decision possible. So this is some app, basically, that if you're a casual daily fantasy sports player, that it will aggregate news about players that may be in your lineup and other things so you can have it all in one spot when you're setting your lineup or alert you when players you've selected get hurt, blah, blah, blah. So a few comments about this. First of all, I don't know how he got into all this because this was never his thing. He's never a software guy, never developed apps, anything like that. Uh, number two, I've heard that he's broke again. That's the last thing I heard. He's been broke a few times. He told me a story back in 2007, and I believe it because I watched it happening. On Cake Poker, I saw him playing there, the, the 1020 No Limit, and it was doing very well. And apparently that was a lifesaver for him, or at least a bankroll saver, because he was just about completely broke. And he took a shot at Cake Poker and noticed there were some really, really horrible Russian No Limit players on there. Like really, really, really bad ones that just were free money. So he ran up his almost nothing bankroll up to like 500000 on Cake Poker just destroying those Russian players at 1020 No Limit on Cake. I eventually noticed those games too, but by the time I noticed them, it was too late. Then there were a lot of better players exploiting this and some of the Russians had also either improved or gone broke. So it wasn't the same anymore. But they, he made a lot of money on the No Limit games to rebuild his bankroll, only to lose it again. Now, at some point, uh, I, I think it was shortly after he busted his bankroll again that he made on Cake. Uh, he had been staked by someone at a World Series event, and he happened to be placed next to one Eric Lindgren. And Eric Lindgren was very impressed with Brett Ritchie's poker play and said to Brett, you know, I don't even know who you are. I've never seen you before, but I, I really think you're good. And Brett said, oh, thank you. And so Eric said, so you entering on your own dime? Are you being staked? What's going on? And and Brett said, well, to be honest, I'm actually kind of broke. I got someone to stake me for this, but they're not going to do this long term for me. So if you know anyone who's doing stakes, I'd, I'd love to take it. And Richie, And so Lindgren said, well, guess what? I do stakes. So he staked Brett Ritchie. In a lot of tournaments. And this is back when Eric Lindgren had $250,000 rolling in every month from Full Tilt for doing nothing. All he had to do was his minimal promotion of the site, and he was getting two fifty k a month, Eric. Now, you all know what happened with Eric Lindgren, how he stiffed everybody on all these debts. And what was pissing people off, who he owed a lot of money to, including Haralabob Volgaris, was that Eric Lindgren could have just sat there and done nothing for a year, made his $3 million, and paid off everything he owed to everyone. Because that was about what he owed, his $3 million. But instead, Eric Lindgren was so addicted to action between prop betting, sports betting, fantasy sports betting, and, and not daily fantasy sports, like really, really expensive fantasy sports leagues where he pretty much had no chance. He also staked people. He staked so many people. Like, as you saw here, he just saw Brett Ritchie playing in one tournament, was convinced he was great, and just decided to 
have a long-term backing deal with him. Well, right then, uh, Brett Ritchie went into a big tailspin and was losing every tournament he was playing. And he got way in the hole to Lindgren, something like 400000 500000 way in the hole. Now, he didn't owe this money to Lindgren. Lindgren was staking him. So he was deep, deep, deep in makeup, meaning that Richie had to win a whole lot of money and it would all go back to Lindgren. And until he got out of that hole, then uh, the staking was pretty much for nothing. That, that Basically, Richie was keeping nothing of anything he'd cashed, but he wasn't. He was barely cashing that anyway. He was just in a big tournament slump. So then this happened. Brett Ritchie made a final table of a No Limit Hold'em event. I was there watching this final table in person with a number of Brett Ritchie's friends, including Brian Mikon. And Brett Ritchie was very happy to see that he was dealt pocket kings. Eight-handed at this $3,000 no-limit hold'em final table. Brett Ritchie with pocket kings is going to raise it up to 80000 Brett could use some luck here. To Beth Shack. There's one ace. She's got luck. She got pocket aces. A raise. Doesn't bode well for Brett. Beth's trying to figure out how um, much she wants to raise. We know she likes to go all in with Ace Queen. I'm all in. She goes Heidi Ho. Now, now keep in mind. I think this, by the way, was a tough event. I think it's the. I think this may have been the 5K uh, No Limit event, which is a tough event at the World Series. Beth Shack, for those of you that don't know, is, is the former wife, and then she was married to. Really, really, really rich guy, Dan Shack, who was a hedge fund manager. So she's just a – she was the wife of a really rich guy who put her in these tournaments. She didn't have any poker skill. She totally luckboxed into this final table, totally luckboxed. They even mocked her by saying that she likes to go all in with ace-queen. So I, I didn't see that hand, but she probably went all in huge with ace-queen against a much better hand and sucked out, is my guess. But uh, she got aces at the same time Brett Ritchie got kings – which happens. You can't blame Richie for that. He went, you know, he raised first. She went all in. Now, he he raised 80K. She went all in 504K. So that already starts to be a tough decision. But, you know, with Best Shaq, who does it with Ace-Queen, you have to call her with Kings. But here came the complication. <laughs> <laughs> that means all in. Now to Phil Helmuth, who has the other two aces. All in. And he moves all in. Both pocket aces all in. Three other players back. Action back to Brett Ritchie now with pocket kings. I'm going to chop up my poor little boy. One. So, so this is a very unusual situation where Ritchie opened with kings. Beth Shack went all in. Pocket aces. Phil Helmuth looks down pocket aces, and he goes all in, obviously. So Brett Ritchie, who has a decent-sized stack, so it's not a matter of, like, your short stack, you don't like it, but you've got to go in at this point. He can fold here. He definitely has enough chips to fold here. Quarter second it caught. The minute she said all in, all in. Quarter second I was Phil all in. Quarter one second. quarter of a second. Phil, one quarter of the second. I one quarter of a second. One quarter of a second. The high five. No, her chips on. Action is still to Brett Ritchie to decide. Can you pull the 80s in? Got it. Got it. Beth is dancing it. already. That's wrong. <laughs> so she's dancing, saying, I got it, I got it, I got it. And she's dancing. And signaling with her arms back to her husband, Dan Shack, like aces. And then he's saying back, 
I think she has aces. Uh, there's Phil's 80, okay? Flash and signs to her husband, Dan. I think she's had aces. This could influence Richie. Yeah, I'm all in. But- so, so believe it or not, he goes all in anyway. It's just, he goes all in anyway. So now, in this situation, by the way, uh, she had him covered, and Helmuth was short stacked, and uh, and then they chopped up uh, Richie's. When, you know, if he doesn't catch the king, which he didn't. But he is going to move all in. This has to be our degree all-in moment. You know, Phil berated Perry Friedman earlier. Brett Ritchie was deciding for his tournament life right there, and the poker brat was grandstanding. And Beth Shack was out of order, too, singing, I got it. Everybody's out of order. So bottom line is both Phil Helmuth with aces and Brett Ritchie with kings are at risk. Beth Shack with aces has them both covered. I don't think I've ever seen that before. And Brent had a lot of chips left. I guess he should have figured out one of them had aces. I wouldn't have. They were helping him. So, Shaq with a- so even uh, Norman Chad's making fun of Brett Ritchie's play here, saying that uh, if he was playing, he would have figured out that one of those two had to have aces the way that went. Two red aces. Help me with the two black aces looking for action. It doesn't matter. It's, it's still four to one. All the suits are covered. I got both the suits covered. You got two black kings. I got two black aces. So, so uh, Phil's pointing out here that because they both have the same suits, that there's no way that Richie could beat him on a one-card flush. That the only way he loses is to a king. Or a one-card straight, obviously. All the aces are gone, but Richie knows there's two more kings left. It is like a three-ring circus in here. And Phil Halmuth is always on two of the rings. Well, his tournament life is at stake, as is bracelet number 12. Three. Here we go to the flop. It is 10, Trey, 7, two spades. Oh, if runner, runner, spade comes, I believe Phil Helmuth would launch himself into orbit. <laughs> he has the ace of spades, of course. Richie still looking for one of the two kings. Turn card now, eight of clubs. Oh, well, we're almost certainly going to have a split pot here, and that would eliminate Brett Ritchie. And the king of hearts. Brett will need a king and a king only, or he is wham-boozled. River card, four of clubs. And it will be a split pot, and Brett Ritchie will be eliminated in eighth place. Sorry. Helmuth and Shaq get the double degree check mark. Yes! Bev Happy, her dead ace is held up. So Richie takes his lead. He will win over $42,000. But Helmuth and Shaq with their aces will chop up the pot. What was that? Aces no good. The kings were no good. The aces are still here. So that was the embarrassing moment for Brett Richie, And uh, he never really lived that one down. Obviously, he had to fold there. Now, Eric Lindgren was watching this and hoping that with one tournament, Brett Ritchie would win it and get out of makeup. And then he saw this, and he couldn't believe it. And I was actually there when Eric Lindgren said, <laughs> he didn't say it directly to uh, Brett Ritchie, but he said, if ever there was a time to fold kings, it was right here. That was what he said when he was speaking to me and several other people who were uh, there to rail Brett. So, bad moment for Brett, and I'm sure that's one he very much regrets. 
Now, don't get the impression that he's a fish. He's actually a very good poker player. I'm, I'm not trying to bash the guy. He's actually a very good poker player. This was a bad moment for him. He was not a good poker player in this video. But in, in a final table, especially televised one, it's, it's easy to not play your best. To wilt under the spotlights. So that's pretty much what he did there. And it also made it look like he called a lot faster than he did. He, uh, I remember he was thinking for a while when I was watching it. Here it just was really fast, but they, they edit that for TV. So that's one thing that Brett Ritchie is known for. Another thing he's known for is being a white rapper. He had a rap group he called Dream Clone. And uh, and then he abandoned that later on and uh, went on his own. But here is uh, a little promotion he put together for himself with them talking about him being a rapper on TV and ESPN and uh, and a little clip of one of the raps he did. Brett Ritchie primed to be the last man standing with Pocket Kings. He's crushing the table. Is a queen, and that will do it. Brett Ritchie wins this table. Brett Ritchie's in a rap group. Maybe we can get something out of him at the final table. Believe me, he's better than Prahlat Friedman or Jeff Madsen. That's, that's funny. In that, in that in that clip there, it's Mike on in the background. Mike on and Eric Froelich, of all people. Can't fuck with me, I'm too good. If you want to stay, run away, I think you should. You bitched out and you all backing off. So that that was uh, that was his song "Too Good," and uh, I have someone on this show now who is uh, said to be sometimes too good for this show. Brandon Drexel Gerson, hello. Are you still doing the fraud podcast? We're talking about Brett Ritchie who quit poker. Yeah, he quit poker a while ago. Well, it, it's that's a Poker News article about him quitting poker. What did it? What did it say? It it says that he's quitting to. Develop a fantasy, fantasy sport yeah. app, yeah. <laughs> Rise before Zod, now kneel before Zod. Trader Ruski? No, that's that's TMML gay. Oh, he's been he's been warming the bench here because uh, oh, okay. he's he's like the minor leaguer we promote when the uh, the normal pitcher can't start. Uh, Dare, well, it's time to wave him. Dare, yeah, Daredevil couldn't. Uh, couldn't make it. Yeah, I think maybe we should wave him. Okay, thank you, Tim. Hold on, okay. can I get in my picks, though, before you wave me? Because I'm a legend. Okay, quick. What are they? Okay, this week I like uh, Oakland, uh, sorry, San Diego plus six. And I like the uh, Denver and Cincinnati game over 41. What are you, what are you running a tout show now, Druff? <laughs> he, he's, been baking all uh, show, he's been baking all show to do this. He wanted to do this like, right uh, at the beginning. I said no. Drexel, okay. C-Money acknowledged in the chat that I'm a god of NFL. So don't be hating on me. Okay. Thank you, Team Gay, for uh, keeping the bench warm. Oh, so the pussy whisperer comes in and snaps me off? Nice. That, that's pretty much basically, what happened. Basically, yeah. Goodbye. <laughs> all right, so... I mean, you uh, got you got a few hours on here. That's uh, no, it's, it's like a warm up act. It was it was the warm up act. Yeah. So so yeah. So I was telling some various Brett Sto- Richie stories. I just played the clip of uh, the Beth Shack and Phil Helmuth Ace's hand. Oh jeez. Uh, I was only asking. I didn't know if that was even public about his app for. Uh, no, no. It's it's it's, it's, there, it's there, yeah. It's there in uh in poker news. Yeah. yeah. He didn't play in any events during the World Series. Yeah, that's, that's, and, there, that's, uh, there, that's there too. Just, and I, yeah. I I said that uh, I mean I, I know. You know him better than I do, so I, you know you don't have to comment away. You don't have to, but I, I said that I believe that uh, he's also broke, which probably also has to do with why he's quitting poker. 
So. I mean, the one thing I can say is that if you want to keep playing, you could have kept playing. Well, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure I mean, you know what I mean? I it mean, wasn't like would, yeah, people would stake him. I'm sure it's uh, absolutely yeah, yeah. And no, I, I did I did say that despite that hand that that was on uh, on ESPN, he's a good player, and you know, so and and I mentioned the the Lindgren staking deal, and, uh, like people stake him. So yeah, he's he wasn't forced out of the poker. I mean, world. he what was it the. Uh, was it 100 K mine or 50 K? I think it was either in 2012 or 13. He played in the Pro Players Championship. I don't know what the buy, and he actually cashed in it. Which yeah, that, is, and that was really strange, right? Thanks for reminding me of that. He that been was so cashed. Weird because, I mean, he barely cashed. Yeah, I think it, he either bubbled it. I mean, he was like the bubble cash or like right one after. No, no. What was amazing was that I think it was in 12, and what was amazing was that he was the not just the low stack, but like the low stack with almost no chips for like a really, 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 really long time, and then. Barely made the the money, but it looked like he had no chance to make the money because like everybody was even the bottom stack ahead of him was so far ahead. He looked like he had absolutely no shot, and just he just kept that tiny stack for the longest time, and then ended up uh, barely min cashing. But I didn't even understand that one. I guess he must have gotten staked because I remember I was hearing he was broke, and then I see him entering the fifty k players championship. That wasn't. I mean, that's always kind of relative. You know what I mean? Just broke. I mean, you know what I mean? Like it's just he. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I don't. Not that I'd really say anything about his finances, anyhow. But I, I don't. You know, I don't know that. You know, I don't know how he was doing. I know that it was his choice. He kind of, I guess, for lack of a better word, got kind of burnt out of poker. He moved out here to Vegas uh, right before the World Series, I think, with with his girlfriend. He was living in New York before. And he seemed really, really excited about this. And funny enough, I guess since all the hate and the regulation and, and all the you know just craziness started with, uh, I guess was it DraftKings and what's our FanDuel yeah, DraftKings? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I haven't really heard from him, oh, so I kind of think that. I mean, yeah, yeah, we we were talking once a week or so up until a couple months ago, and I'm glad you actually remind me. I should probably see what he's up to. Yeah, you know, so so uh, something that it, I mean, we actually had the last exchange we had. It was I don't know maybe two years ago. I mean, I see him in the hallway occasionally, like the World Series, and uh, and like he'll say hello, but. The last exchange we had, I was at the Limit Hold'em shootout, maybe two years ago or something, and his friend uh, Woodrow was at the table, Matt Woodward, yeah. and uh, so w- for whatever reason, Woodrow texted him that I was tilting and I was throwing chips at the dealer, which was totally not true. Like, I, I, I took, like, a bad beat against someone, not even Woodrow, against someone, and I just, uh, but I didn't throw anything. I, I, He could probably tell I was frustrated, but I, first of all, I never say anything bad to the dealer, I never throw anything at anyone. Uh, I, I probably just looked frustrated. So Woodrow texted to Brett Ritchie that I was tilting and throwing cards at the dealer, or not throwing, throwing chips at the dealer. So then Brett Ritchie tweeted uh, something about... Uh, like mocking me for the whole thing and saying, uh, I, I heard someone is tilting and throwing chips at the dealer, but I'm sure hashtag it's just bad luck. Remember that stupid thing? Oh, God, uh, and then he put like ha- hashtag you donk. And so, so I, uh, so I tweeted back to him. No, I'm only tilting because I, uh, I I'm only tilting because I don't know how to fold aces against uh, kings against aces. <laughs> so, so then, uh, then I saw him in the hallway right after that exchange, which was kind of awkward, and uh, and and I said, "Why did you say I was tilting? I wasn't tilting. I was, 
I don't know what you're talking about there. And he said, oh, well, that's what I heard. I say, oh, I know who you heard it from. He says, I'm sure you know who – he says, I'm sure you do know who I heard it from. You know, I will say that little crew, I, I never would actually say I was a part of it, but I, I know them all. They do kind of gossip like a bunch of they do. Jewish They women. do. I know. I know. They do. Like just what you're saying, I've never heard that story before, you know, but it makes sense. But they, they – <laughs> I could definitely see it. Well, and what, uh, what happened then at that point was uh, – oh, you know what? It was the one – it was the limit shootout where we both got heads up and lost. I think was that the last year they had the limit shootout. Uh, no, I think. I think it was, wasn't was it? it? Maybe it was. was. I, I think I played every year until they okay, stopped okay, it. maybe it was then. So, yeah. so yeah, that one. The year before that, we both, or no, the year before that, I know I won my. T- anyway, I remember the one you're talking. about. That was the one with the vape guy won. Yeah, the vape guy beat. He beat me. Heads up, yeah. and then and then he Darren. finished. Yeah, then he finished second in the whole yeah. event. But yeah. but that guy. Uh, so yeah, Woodrow, it, it kind of was fitting after he texted that BS over to Richie, who then tweeted mocking me about it. That right after that, Woodrow like lost two big pots against me, so including mm-hmm. one where it was a bad beat. So that was kind of uh, fitting. But and then I got down heads up against uh, that Vegas vapes guy who was friends with Mike on and lost to him. So back in like. Jeez, oh, 2010, I think it was. We were in a hot tub at a condo that I own. It was actually me, Brett Ritchie, uh, that one guy that's a felon, um, Brad, and a bunch of other people and some female friends. Wait, yeah, what, what, wait, hold on, what's your, who's the felon? What are you talking about? The felon, the the one guy that committed all the crimes. <laughs> come on, really? How come I'm drawing a blank on this? The, the one guy that the, the, the he's a terror to society. The the Bitcoin guy. Oh, okay, oh, that felon. Okay, I thought I, for some reason I was thinking I mean, he is a felon. I, I was thinking he, he is. He is right now until he gets reduced. You're right. He is a felon. Okay, I, I blew it. Yeah, so I was trying to be a little subtle there, but yeah, no, no, no. The problem Anyhow, I, I was thinking of like some some like violent felon. I wasn't thinking of Micon. That's what that's what happened. Okay. No, you don't have to be violent to be a felon. I know, I know. I, my my well, mind is made off. He's a felon. My mind is in the wrong place. So go ahead. So so it was you, Micon, uh, this uh, Brad, Brit- Brad, and, and a bunch of yeah, the other, usual group uh, there. Yeah. yeah, and we had a little female entourage and i don't remember how it came to be but it was about eight o'clock in the morning and we decided to go down to the golden nugget under the pretense that we were the band weezer i remember that story yeah (laughs) and brett ritchie was the lead singer and we went down there and sure as shit i I kid you not they ended up comping us a penthouse suite this was a ridiculous fucking room i mean it had a pool table it was about four i mean for the golden nugget you know i mean it, it, it i guess it'd still be nice you know, on the strip somewhere, but um, served. We charged food to the room. I mean, it, we were only there for a day and a half, but it, it was literally ridiculous. They ushered us up through like a back door, like they had some young little like intern come meet us, and we really pretended for that day that we were the band Weezer. Yeah, I couldn't believe and, that you pulled that off because he doesn't even look like the lead singer of Weezer. But that's the whole thing, and that's why we ended up picking Weezer because who knows what the lead singer of Weezer really looks like. <laughs> I mean, unless you're a huge Weezer fan, which I don't really know anyone that is, would you really know that looks like a rock and roll guy and he'd tell you he's the lead singer of Weezer? No, he doesn't really look like a rock and roll guy either, the lead singer. Well, I mean, you know, he raps. I don't know. It's kind of the same. No, no, I'm talking about the, the actual lead singer. Oh, I, don't, I wouldn't know if he was next to me what he looks no, like. No, I didn't know. I just looked him up. I didn't know what he looked like either. Yeah. What, what is his name? His name is Rivers not... Cuomo. I mean, really? Rivers he, Cuomo. The funny thing is he's actually older than me. He's actually born in 1970, so it's also the, kind of the wrong age. Not like way the wrong age, but still the wrong age, probably like by 10 years or so. Yeah, look at this guy. He doesn't look like a... You're right. Yeah. Jesus. That's funny. 
So, anyway, that was a true story. We ended up getting it comped and uh, stayed there for a day and a half. Yeah, that was a funny story. I remember hearing about that. And uh, good times. And and I know that uh, he, he was he was actually loaning uh, or staking the, the the felon for a while until uh, oh, for a number of years. Yeah. I don't think that was any secret. Yeah. Um. But that then, I mean, I guess it's not really a secret, you know, because I guess he kind of touted it. But that summer, he had really run it up. Um, I remember. This, I guess this had to be the last. Well, I'm trying to think. When did when was Black Friday? What year? I mean, I don't eleven. Know. Okay, eleven. So yeah, this was 2010. So I remember sitting there, and uh, I mean, besides the fact, I remember it was like five or six in the morning, and he was playing. This is true. Like he was playing Sam Grizzle on full tilt. It was like one K, two K. It was like a mixed game, and and he knew it was Sam Grizzle because he ended up sending him money, or Sam Grizzle gave him money to put on online. But even funnier, it's like five or six in the morning. And uh, everyone else is asleep, and Brett and I are just laying on this couch in this suite. And he's texting back and forth with someone like at 5, 6 in the morning. I'm like, who are you texting with? It's like, it's Patrick Antonius. And I'm like, what, like, what do you guys got going on? I'm like, oh, we're about to bet 100K on uh, the French Open, the tennis tournament. And I'm like, well, who are you taking? I don't remember who he, he took, uh, but Antonius took, uh, what the fuck is a guy? The Clay Court King. The guy that hasn't, someone from the chat, I'm not logged into the chat. The guy that never loses on clay. I know his name if he said it. He's like, like South American. Hold on, I'm going to Google it. Anyhow, long story short, of course, he, like, the guy loses, you know, Brett's guy loses in straight sets and this clay court king. What is his name? I mean, I know you don't know much so, about so, No, I don't know much. So, 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 so Richie lost 100K. Uh-oh. So, Brandon, we're losing you. Yeah? There you're back. We lost you a little bit. Um, and he wasn't even upset about it. That's how I knew he had to really run it up. Like, of course, he didn't want to lose, but he wasn't sick over it. Uh, N- like, Nadal. Yeah, Rafael Nadal. That's who it was. Yep. I'm sorry. I just was drawing a blank. But whoever he was playing in, it would have been 2010. That's that's who he took. And he didn't know shit about tennis. kind of think he just wanted to make a bet with Antonius. I don't even remember if they were laying odds. I mean, if you're smart, you kind of would have had to because Nadal is just a fucking... I mean, I'm not a big tennis guy, but he's he's just really dominant in the French Open. I don't know how many he's won, but I know you know it's a lot. Yeah. But anyhow, true story, sat there like at 5 in the morning because that's what time the final was airing in the U.S. And um, yeah. He well, he ran it up several times. I, I mentioned about it in 07 when he ran it up on cake against those Russians. And uh, Oh, yeah, that's right. And, and uh, see, so he ran it up several times and then chunked it off, and he had that staking deal with Lindgren where uh, he got way in the hole, and then yeah, those, the Kings thing happened where he could have maybe gotten out of it. So... Uh, he, he's really been one of those players who was up, down, up, down, up, down. I didn't know the lingering thing was like new. I mean, everyone knew about that. I mean, he told me a long time ago. It's like, yeah, I met lingering in the tournament. It was, uh, this is the story he always told me. They, they met at some tournament at the Bellagio. I don't know if it was like five diamond or whatever it was. And he said that lingering was impressed with the Yeah. Meat yeah I told, I told the story on here already. And it's, okay. it's I just like, never knew if it was, it was public knowledge. Well, which a lot of people knew, but yeah, that, that was true. I, 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 I don't, I didn't either, but I just told yeah. it anyway. So. And then after uh, Lindgren, you know, had his issues, you know, he, there were other people, of course, that wanted to stake him because he has had, you know, some tournament success. But I think he just kind of got burnt out with it. Like I said, it definitely was his choice not to, you know, I mean, when I saw him during the summer during the World Series, he was really excited. It kind of makes me feel bad now because he was really excited about this app. And he told me a little bit about it. Well, so, but how did he, do you know how he got, how did he get involved in that? He's not a software guy. He's not someone that, uh, 
I would expect to get involved in that sort of business. You know, I think somebody brought him into it because, like I said, I remember you know he was living in New York, and uh, he kept telling me he's gonna he's gonna be moving out to Vegas and he's gonna be working with these guys that are developing this app. I mean, he had a lot of friends. He's a personable guy, really friendly, you know, real charismatic. Um, I don't think it was his initiative, like that he was starting a company. I kind of think that he knew people that, you know, and I knew that you know he's. I don't know how much this would help. I know he's really you know big on sports and he played these daily fan. And I, I'll tell you, I never even played. I mean, now I guess it's illegal in Nevada, but even when it wasn't, I never once played. No, in, I never uh, played either. Any of these days, it just seemed like the odds were just insurmountable. Now that I'm reading about it, how like the majority of the money went to like. Three percent of or two percent. Yeah, of so, the, so so we were right. Not to play. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I knew I was never that good. That you know, and then you're reading what these people do and the time they put in, and you know, and then I guess what was a big thing that came out. Although I guess so far there's no, been no evidence, but it was that there was allegations that the guy that won on FanDuel that worked for the competing site knew what rosters had been set in advance or something like that. Well, yeah, but basically they had access to all their, you know, their two giant sites. So they, they each, the employees of each site have access to their own site's data and then figured that the other site's data is going to be approximately the same for who owns what. And then they would use that to their advantage to set their lineup and it gives you a huge edge. So some of them, including this one guy, uh, uh, Ethan Haskell, did really, really well playing on the other sites, and it's not a coincidence. See, that's one reason why I'd never play, just for that reason, because you would you would kind of suspect. I mean, besides the fact I'm not that – I mean, I'm knowledgeable. Like, I, you know, I can name every star player on every team, but not to the extent these guys are, where they know shit. Well, also, just... the, also the players, who even ones who didn't work there, people, they were using automated programs to, to scan to see if there was injuries. They would instantly swap out the yeah. players from, like, thousands of entries they have. So if you don't have those tools – uh, you really have no chance. Oh, by the way, from I'm looking right now from the French Open. From 2005 to 2014, Nadal won every year except for one year, 2009 when, when Federer won. So he won one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten out of 11 years. So that's not the guy you want to bet against probably, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyhow, how, how's the, the, the show going tonight? What, yeah, fine. We, we, we kind of made do with uh, Team MLK. We had uh, Where's no, Trader Ruski? No Daredevil. He just, I don't know where he is tonight. He's just kind of uh, missing. Let's, let me see if we've gotten any texts. We're, you actually came on at a good time for you. I told a whole uh, Ken Scaler story, which I'm not going to repeat for you, but I uh, told a whole Ken Scaler story just before. I'll catch in the archives. Uh, let's see. <laughs> uh, here, here's some, here's the girl that, that crashed. Yeah, 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 I talked all about that. Uh, Here, from the 734 area code, hi, Druff, I like big penises. I I hope that's from a girl. Uh, You think about that girl, by the way. I was talking to my dad at dinner tonight about this. Do you think he's convinced for some reason she's only going to get like 20 years? I'm convinced she's the the big decision, although it's probably, I can definitely most likely see it not happening, is going to be whether the debate of whether life in prison or or if they even try to go for the death penalty. Yeah, I I think it's going to be life in prison. But I don't think I don't think this girl's looking at stepping outside of prison again. No, in her I don't. I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. Especially either. how cold it was. She just you know she just walked in and t- turned herself in and, t- and was very coldly told them what she did and why she did it. Yeah, it wasn't like someone even snapping. Kind of excuse that she was aggravated that she couldn't sleep peacefully. Yeah. That security yeah. was harassing her. Yeah, it seemed like it was something like that. We we actually had a whole discussion about sleeping in cars. I, I talked about how I've slept in my car before. Not not like as a place to live, but when I've been in places that uh, I had no other choice. Like what? What's an example when you've had no other choice? When I'm tired and I'm driving in the middle of nowhere. Oh, like like yeah. uh, like an arrest stop or something like that? Not a rest stop usually, but yeah, somewhere that. Well, I... Like you're just pulling over. Yeah, yeah I've yeah. done that before. You know, I used to do that a lot. 
you know, I lived in Florida and, you know, up until I moved out here and we have in Florida, anyone that lived there, this is called the Florida Turnpike. And it's kind of like an elitist road because a lot of people won't use it. And also there's no truck drivers on it because the tolls are pretty high. And it will take you down from like Miami area all the way up to a little bit north of Orlando. You know what's so sick? I, I've been on that thing accidentally and then it just charges you like there's no way yep, out of it. Yep it's, yep, it's very hard to get off it. But you know what? Like I remember, I mean, and it's pricey. I remember when I was in college, you're talking like 30 bucks, you know, which is a lot for a toll road. But this is what you're getting, you know, at least back then, you know, because of how much it was and they charge like trucks you know for how many wheels that they have and you know how much weight they or they're pulling there's no trucks on there so if you're going on a road like i-75 or 95 you know sometimes it's a little scary with those fucking trucks coming right at you and you know but anyway the thing that i liked about the florida turnpike was they had rest stops like every i don't know 40 or 50 miles and they had like you know like six pretty cool like different restaurants in them and you could sleep and it was real safe and so i did that a lot in college i just leave it like you know if i was going home to south florida i'd leave Tallahassee at, I don't know, whatever time, 1, 2 in the morning, and then if I got tired around 5, 6 a.m., I'd pull over. But right around that same time is when Michael Jordan's father died. Oh. I don't know why that, that always is, is in my head. <laughs> I guess mainly because they didn't kill him because he was Michael Jordan's father. They just killed him because he had a you know nice car and he was on the side of the road. Yeah. Like, it was just so random. Same thing with, uh, what's his name, Bill Cosby. Yeah, I know. I, I've thought of those before, too, when I was I started done. thinking, fuck, you know, they got Michael Jordan's dad, and he was on, like, an arrest stop in, like, a nice part of North Carolina or somewhere. And that just, now, I, I, probably since then, I don't think I've slept. I mean, I, I never pull over the side of the road and just sleep. I just won't do it. That, yeah, when I do it, I try to look for places where trucks are already stopped and, and parked next to them. I mean, I guess in today's day and age, it's not really that hard Unless, you know, you're that tired and you're just a danger to yourself to just get a hotel somewhere. I mean, I'd always, you know, I, I don't know. I, and I'm not big in sleeping in my car anyhow. I, I maybe could nod off if I was really tired for an hour or so. But Well, that's what I would do. I would sleep for an hour or two and then go on. Yeah, and it's hard to get the temperature right. You either have to leave the car no, I know, on. I know. That's, that's, that's going to be the worst part. <laughs> yeah, the temperature is never going to be right, you know. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I actually, I mentioned earlier in the show, but I'll tell you too because I, I think you'll find this interesting. The first time I slept in my car was after I lost my virginity. <laughs> I, was, I was 55 miles away from home, and I, it was very late at night. It was like actually morning, like 5 a.m., 5:30 a.m. or something. And I was I was exhausted, and I, I tried to drive. I, I went about 15 miles, couldn't stand it, and uh, pulled over and slept in a residential neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, so, I was 17 then. So okay, let's let's uh, go to the next topic here. The topic of uh, Sheldon Adelson buying the Las Vegas Review Journal. Have you heard about this? We talked about it last week when I had the Daredevil in my suite. That's true. But this, so it was this supposed is... to be a surprise birthday gift for the wife. And uh, I, 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 can you believe it's been sold? What is it, the second time in the last year or 15, 18 months, something like that? And it went for, what, $140 million? $140 million. And, uh, and there's no viable business model. And the, the editor is, uh, has resigned. I, mean, I, I thought he was bought out. Or he's bought. Sorry, yeah. he, he was actually bought. I was said resigned, but he. What do you think they gave him? The wall. What is an editor today? What is an editor? I mean, I guess you'd call, in terms of size or volume, the Review Journal kind of like a middle of the road paper. I mean, it's not like small, like you know, I don't know, say like the Barstow, whatever news journal, and it's not big like the Washington Post or the Herald or the L.A. Times, but it's kind of. Would you say it's kind of in the middle? Yeah. 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 What, do they, what, do you, what does an editor get these days for a buyout? I, I don't know what they, what they get for a buyout, but they probably overcompensated him just to get him to leave. 
what you, I, I mean, you're talking like mid, low six figures. Yeah, yeah something like that, yeah. yeah. And they, they probably, it's got to be something that was worth his while to leave. And Adelson has so much money, and he, he wants to control the message there. So he, he probably saw that this guy wasn't going to play the ball he wanted to play. And uh, and all this came out that they were, they were told a couple months ago to start uh, getting all the, gathering all the information they can on a judge that, Funny enough, came out later to be that he was presiding over a case that Adelson was a defendant in. Do you read about this? Yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah. So it's, I mean, it's amazing you have that you have that kind of money. One hundred forty million. What what is he worth now? How many billion? I don't know, but a lot. So what do you to someone like you or me, or mainly would just say someone like me, not you? What 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 would that be like? Him spending one hundred forty million is like equivalent of me spending like a thousand, maybe. <laughs> Maybe you know it's. Uh, but would it be is, like me buying? Is it like well, me buying a new laptop? He buys a newspaper. No, I think maybe more than that. But it's what's the thing that you can't really compare it is is that it still is 140 million, and the amount that can buy in the world it, it's just so much. You can't compare it to the same thing. What does he do? You just write a check for that? You just like write a check payable to the Review Journal, well, maybe, whatever, maybe, or the parent company. Maybe what he did is he he did credit card bonus whoring, and he was getting big <laughs> bonuses on his credit card. Maybe he got two percent cash back. <laughs> Maybe he was getting uh, free airline miles for it. Jesus. So yeah, so he bought the. He now has the biggest paper in Nevada, and uh, that's not really saying much. I, I mean, know it's not, but still. No, it isn't. But it, it is. He does control now the. He does control the biggest newspaper in Nevada, and and has a lot of influence over Nevada now. Did you what, get the paper? No. I don't get the paper. My dad gets the paper. I'm going to guess your dad gets the paper, your mom, one of the two. But when that generation is gone, like, is there even going to be a paper? I don't know people that are in their 30s and 40s. No, it's going to die. I mean, do you know? Do you have friends that are in their 30s and 40s that get a newspaper? Uh, the majority of them. I mean, do you know a lot of people? Are, you know, the thing is, I don't know for sure who gets and who doesn't. But do your parents get a newspaper? Yes. Of course they do. So do mine. They wakes up in the morning, but they drink their coffee. First thing they do, they read the paper. Right? Yeah. Yeah, same thing. But now when that generation's gone, it, it, it's – I mean, who the hell is going to – I'm not going to do it. I just go online. Yeah. I want to do the news, go to ESPN.com. I want to look at a paper. I read it online. Well, that's what people are saying it's so crazy. try to tell me I have to spend nine ninety five for six months, and you know what? I don't click on it. Some of those papers, you know, they want you to pay to, to read the online content. You know what? Then yeah, don't, you just don't, don't click on it, yeah. yeah. You know that uh, – I. I, I I think uh, the, the 140 million is a very high price tag. It just shows you how badly he wanted it. I I don't think it's worth that, especially since there's the the long term and even medium term business model there couldn't be that good. And it's it's something that only has a finite lifespan before it becomes near worthless. Yeah, it's it's kind of like think about if you bought a company. Uh, 15 years ago that was providing dial-up internet. It would be worthless today. Totally worthless. How does AOL, I mean, AOL, is that the only one out of the member of the CompuServe prodigy? And AOL now is more of a multimedia company, but is that the only one even left? Of, yeah, of, yeah. Let's see what, Pro- prodigy well, let's see what Prodigy.com is. You know what's weird? You mentioned CompuServe. Prodigy. Is, 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 uh, someone just contacted me on Facebook recently. I was a prodigy guy. Yeah, someone just contacted me on Facebook recently. A girl I knew from Washington, who uh, was I knew from Prodigy. Not anyone I had any kind of uh, like 
Remember, yes, we used to go to those. Uh, you can go to like a bookstore. For me, they had them in grocery stores, and you'd get the little AOL or CompuServe discs out of the magazines. Oh no, no, no! I'll tell you about the CompuServe ones. I'll tell you about a prank I used to play back in the eighties and the, yeah, the CompuServe ones. Okay, I, so you got these CompuServe ones where you can just keep signing up and uh, right. That's what we did. And, then you wouldn't have to pay and, and getting the... free time. So yes. what I would do is I would just use this to troll because I decided I like I really wasn't that interested in what CompuServe had to offer. I like being on the local BBSs, but CompuServe itself. Uh, it just kind of like it, everyone just kind of seemed too old. It just didn't seem like that interesting. So what I did is I would use those things, and first of all, I would ask for a credit card. But you literally could just enter any sixteen digits, and it would just accept it. Like I wouldn't, I wasn't uh, committing credit card fraud because it wasn't charging anything. It just wanted the credit card on file. So first, I just like type in a random sixteen digit credit card uh, just to yeah you know, to get the account through. Which again, it's not trying to bill. That's why it it gets through. It's just like in case you stay for longer than we'll bill you. So then I would go on to the chat room, the the group chat room, which I think they called CB then. And you'd go into the CB mode. And so I was doing two things to troll people. Uh, one was a little more clever than the other. So, so the, the one that was this kind of just uh, juvenile was I was changing my name to something very, very close to the other people's names and then say derogatory things about myself or like come out of the closet as gay. And like people would, would freak out about that. They'd go, that's not me. That's not me. And I'd say, no, this really is me. It's the, the other one saying it's not me is someone who can't accept the fact that I'm gay and wants to try to prevent me from coming out of the closet. So like they'd be freaking out, insisting it's not them. Like I, I'd be like, you know, like there's a guy, let's say there's a guy named John in there. I'd be John, period. So it, it wasn't like – What was, was the name of this chat room? Uh, no, it was just whatever the chat was called in CompuServe. I think it was like the uh, CB okay. chat. Well, do you remember AOL? You know, and I wasn't nearly as big a chat person as you are. Do you remember in AOL they had like the different subsections of chats? Like you go to like romance and it'd be like lonely of hearts. Well, no, I never, went, I never went on AOL chat. No, never. No, I've never into that. But but let me tell you the other thing I did on CompuServe. I used to, when I got tired of imitating people because that got old even for like a fifteen year old that was old that got old quickly. Yeah. Uh, what what I found much funnier was to go in there and say. So everybody, uh, who wants a MasterCard? They go, what? I go, here we are, five, four, three, one. And I like I type out like a format of what a MasterCard would be, but I just make the numbers off the top of my head. So it's actually not even illegal what I'm doing because I'm not giving out real numbers. And they go, oh my god, what are you doing? This is illegal. And I go, okay, well, who wants an AT and T calling card? And I type, I go, here you go. Uh, then I type out a, a fake number again. I I just kept typing one after the other, and everyone was freaking out AT&T in there. AT and T calling cards. Yeah, they were freaking out. I was giving AT and T calling cards, and Mastercards, and Visas, and the. It's amazing. I mean, it really is amazing how much things have changed relatively in a small amount of time. I mean, when you think about you know just fifteen twenty years ago. You know, there was calling cards, and that was like this big thing. And then collect. I mean, people even – is there even collect calls? Remember all the commercials on TV that were fighting for your collect calls? Yes. Like the MCI and AT&T and like – do you remember that? They were fighting to get people to use their 800 yeah. collect call number. Like 15. Yeah, 1-800-COLLECT. Yeah. Yeah. And then you could do uh, – what 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 – God, what was it called? Was it like a person-to-person collect call? And then like the operator would like talk to you, but you could scream out information in time. Do you remember? You know what I'm talking about? Because it's they talk. You know, you'd kind of be in the middle. Yes, yes. Like, no, no, you could kind of like get a message across. Well, yeah, well, you, you know, it's a hello. You have a collect call from. Hey, come over here and pick me up. Right. Exactly. Right. 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 Then, well, no. You know what? You know what sound I loved? I can't seem to find it. I, I was looking for it as you were talking. I, I can't seem to find it, but. The the tone you would hear when it was time for you to enter your calling card, it would go. Dun! Do you remember that tone? That tone? 
is that the? I don't know if I'm thinking of. I, I know what you're speaking of, but I, I what is it called? I, I know you were into this when you were younger. Where when you'd use a payphone, you could replicate the sound of the change. Oh, that that was different. That that was a uh, a red box. And I remember Radio Shack used to sell one. Yes, of those. What, what, I had a bunch no, of friends. Well, they didn't directly these, sell it. They sold they sold well, something that right. could be you'd modified. Have to, you'd have to adjust it or you know yeah. tamper with it. But I had friends that could make all the you know payphone calls they want to do for free. I mean, I, I never was into that. But tell us about that. Well, so this was. Uh, this was something that could be done. Uh, the payphone, when you would drop a quarter in, or a, really any coin, it would play a uh, a, a twenty. Uh, oh, what was it? I heard say. I don't think it was twenty six hundred. That was a different tone. It, it, w- it would play a uh, a tone that would signal the phone that a coin has been dropped in, and and would enable it to make a call. And would actually signal the switch that the 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 amount of money has been received by the phone. So so the, this way the call could be placed. So. So what would happen would be uh, if you could replicate that tone, then you could make unlimited calls from payphones and never actually pay anything. So it just so happened that uh, a Radio Shack tone generator, which really just makes touch tones like a phone would, except it doesn't really dial anything. Think of a cell phone that really can't dial but just makes the sound of dialing. That's what a Radio Shack tone generator was. I'm not sure what the why people really bought it normally, but uh, if you went in there and, and replaced the crystals – to the frequency of that sound, uh, it happened. It just so happened that the Radio Shack tone generator you could program to very easily to make that exact tone. And then you no, just, wait, tell me again. I, I kind of dazed out for a second. I, I had uh, Joe Stonecrab that I at Caesar's Delicious. Um, what was the actual intent of these tone things? That I, I never figured it out. I, I never figured well, out okay. exactly what people were buying those for. But like, what were they? Sound, like what would you? You no, you I don't know theory? what you would do with it because it was no. I don't really have a theory. Maybe to test phone lines. I don't know, but, but do you think? <laughs> I don't understand it because uh, phones make those tones. You don't need to buy a tone generator separately from the phone. So, uh, but those tone generators, you change the crystal inside of them, and then you can program them very easily after that to make the exact sound. And each each little beep was equivalent to a nickel. So like beep meant a nickel, beep beep meant a dime, and beep 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 beep, beep meant a quarter. So, I think this was made uh, in pop culture in the movie, the 80s movie War Games. Well, sort of. They, we didn't really do that. They, they did well, a, he did something where he, he opened did something the where, like, thing. He, he shorted out the phone. He, like, he shorted the fo- wire in the phone to make it uh, place make the call the, for free, yeah. which is fictitious. You can't really do that. But well, it's a movie. But Yeah, it's a movie. But yeah, that was the same concept. Good movie. Yeah, it was a good movie. So, so, you, make, so you could sit there and you could make unlimited lo- long-distance calls. And this is uh, local. What was the password again? What do you mean password? In War Games. Oh, uh, crap. What is the password? <laughs> it's been so long now. Uh, I'll give you a hint. It was it was his son's name. It was yeah. a doctor's son's name. Yeah, I'm forgetting the damn name. Joshua. Joshua. That was it. Joshua. <laughs> That's right. Okay. So, so yeah, you could make these calls. And now, it wouldn't work on all phones. If it didn't work on a phone that wasn't owned by the phone company. Because though, if it was a privately owned pay phone, then that would manage its own system. Basically, you would pay it, and then it would make the call on its own dime, and they'd pay the phone company separately. Uh, and later on, they started to change the phone company's phones to where it wouldn't enable the mouthpiece until after the call's been paid for. Because that was what you do. You put the tone generator up to the mouthpiece, and it would go, dee, 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 and it would think you put in a quarter. So you, you'd make a call. Let's say it says, please deposit $3.75, please. You just hit that quarter button. Now, am I, am I recalling incorrectly, but I, 
when they used to have those announcements, didn't they sometimes a live operator come on and tell you to deposit money? If you sat there and didn't do it, then yes, a live operator would come on. Now, here's the funniest one is for whatever reason, sometimes it let you run over. And I never understood that. Instead of just cutting you, it would let you run over sometimes. And it would like, try to bill you for no, it or no, something? No, it would, call the pay, it would call the pay phone back. So you hear a pay phone ringing and you pick it up. It goes, please deposit 50 cents for the past 10 minutes. Go, what? The past 10 minutes? <laughs> Why would I ever do that? And so it goes, please deposit 50 cents for the past 10 minutes. And so then I would just wait for the operator to get on. This wouldn't even be my, like, my call. I'd just be walking by and hear the pay phone ring. So I'd answer. I'd answer. I'd wait for the operator to come on. She'd go, uh, sir, please deposit uh, 50 cents for the past 10 minutes. And I say, why would I do that? She says, well, uh, because you, you ran over. Why? You've, you've already let me place the call. Why would I ever give 50 cents at this point? Like, it's too late. You should have collected it from me before. Right. Said, well, we're just going to bill the person you're calling. I said, well, that's fine. That was an enemy of mine I hate, and I did this on purpose. So this way I'm going to run up his phone bill even more. So go ahead, bill him. This is amazing how, how things have just so changed. Like so they didn't know what to say at that point. Yeah. And, uh, and I always answered a ringing payphone when I walked by one. Like it, it wasn't always this. Sometimes it was people calling to reach other people that were there. But I always answered a ringing payphone. Always. I used to like doing that too. I loved answering ringing payphones. <laughs> so Interesting. Yeah. I, and, I, and now I don't even know. I mean, obviously, we have no need for it. Do they even make payphones? Well, yeah, Ken Scaler calls from them, but the, the, you can't call into them. The, you don't. You cannot make. They don't uh, ring anymore. They don't ring because they were being used by drug dealers, so that was done away with. Oh, I didn't know that. Interesting. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. And and they were thinking, what's the practical application anyway? Because payphones are to be able to make outgoing calls you need to make, not to receive calls. Yeah. And. But yeah, I mean, back when I went to high school, everybody had to use payphones to call their mom to pick them up or whatever. Like it was a very common thing to have to do. So I don't know how we got on that topic, but uh, what was the, what were we going to talk about? Oh, yes, oh, Sheldon Adelson, yeah, the, the newspaper. The, I mean, I, yeah, his we'll, wife was we'll a see, gift. Yeah, so I guess we'll see what happens. Uh, if, how much he really tries to control the message? They uh, Howard West Stutz is that his name? He who posts a lot. Of, he makes a lot of. Uh, he writes a lot of articles for the Review Journal. He wrote a, an editorial basically saying we're still going to report the news responsibly. Of Nothing's going to change. Gonna yeah, of course they're going to say that. You can they're talk, not going to say that, well, you know, we may have a conflict of interest. Yeah, and It was such a phony thing the guy wrote. It looked like such a forced thing like they made him say it. Was it like the three things? They had this – I don't know if this is what you're talking about. But the day after they had like these three principles – or excuse me, three principles that they're going to abide by. I don't and think I had, saw that. Let they had it in bold – I'm sure. I mean, it's on the internet. They just listed three things that they were going to adhere to just to make us believe that we can fully count on them and that there is no conflict of interest. I know. I remember one of them was that uh, he apologized. Casino wise, like if if they were reporting on a competitor of Sheldon Adelson or you know a business that he owned, that they would disclose it before. Uh, and there was like two other big principles that that they posted. Um, I don't. I you know. You tell me. Do you really think he's spending 140 million dollars on a dying vehicle just to really potentially try to convey his own message? Is that really what he's doing here? I, I think so. Yeah, I don't think this is. Uh, I because if he just he doesn't necessarily want to convey his own message in 20 years when the newspaper's dead. He wants to now. He's not well, going to be alive. Not be alive. That's yeah. what I'm saying. He's not going to be alive that much longer. So as long as he's still alive, which won't be that much longer. Uh, the newspaper will still have some relevance. Oh, I mean, they said that about Kirk Kevorkian, too, and he lived a, that's a 
former MGM guy. He lived until, I think, what, last year, and he was in his early 90s. What is Adelson? Is he in his mid-70s? No, no, no. He's, oh. he's older. Really? Much older. Let me see. Much older than mid-70s? Yeah. Yep. Let me see here. I'm looking to. He's uh, 82. Yeah. Yikes. I knew he was over 80. Well, you know what? What's Like I said, Kirk Kevorkian went to 92 or 93, maybe even 94, and he was still running MGM day to day. Yeah, he has he has a twenty nine billion is his net worth. God, <laughs> so, uh, you know I, I want to guess that most of that he accumulated in Macau. Yeah, probably. I don't think he had, he had it's all from Vegas or even the Sands Convention Center. Yeah, and and by the way, the the article I read from Howard Stutz it wasn't Kirk Kevorkian ran MGM till he was ninety eight. Wow, June sixth, nineteen seventeen to this past summer. Yeah, ninety-eight years old. And he was still <laughs> everyday driving, and fuck. Well, you know, some of them they don't want to give it up because they feel like if they do, that they're going to die. Because like uh, a lot of times when they break the routine like that, and and don't have the daily routine to live for that they were used to, uh, it changes something, and problems start to set in. So some of them feel like they have to keep going, keep active, keep what they were doing before, or otherwise. Uh, you know, the slightest thing changes when you're that age, and you can, you can die. So, okay, uh, Howard Stutz, I, I, I can't find the article again, but he had wrote he'd written like an apology almost to everybody, saying we should have told you earlier, sorry about that, sorry for covering up who really bought this, uh, but but now we're telling you we're gonna we're gonna be straight with you guys, don't worry, we're you know we're gonna win your trust back. It, it was kind of like an apology, like we fucked up, we're gonna make it better. So I I, I think that's why he's buying it. I think. Uh, in a way, I think he's even. I don't know if this has to do with online poker or not. It could even have. So hundred. Okay, a couple facts here. The circulation of the daily newspaper is one hundred sixty-seven thousand subscribers. It's not a lot. That's an entire state. One hundred sixty-seven thousand subscribers. He bought it for one hundred forty, which what we said before. But it was almost forty million more than what it was sold for just eight months ago. Eight months ago, it was sold for one hundred two. So did he not even negotiate? Did they not want to sell it until he made them an offer yeah, they couldn't I, I, refuse? I think that's what it was. I think they didn't feel like – after they just bought it eight months ago, they're like, no, we, we... – You want to keep it. He just kept going up and yeah, up and finally yeah. like, fuck. Yeah. We have to take this. Yeah, we made a quick eight, $38 million. All right, cool. Jesus. Wow. I, I guess he figures, yeah, it's, it's such a small if – it's, if his worth is $29 billion, then what's $140 million? Think if you Think if you have $29 million, it's like spending one hundred forty thousand, which is nothing for someone who's twenty nine million. Well, Adelson's this is, a, this is actually the L.A. Times I'm reading. Adelson's interest in acquiring media properties is surprising, given given his past confrontations with journalists. He has sued reporters personally, including one well known case against Review journalist columnist John L. Smith, who was driven into bankruptcy by Adelson while fighting a libel lawsuit from Adelson that was eventually dismissed. Jesus Christ, really? <laughs> he was driven into bankruptcy. Adelson doesn't fuck around. Nope, I better watch what I see on this show. Really? <laughs> wow. Well, anyhow, I it's interesting, like I said, I, I, I don't read the Review Journal, and to be honest with you, I don't even uh, read it online unless there's something that I just happen to Google or, Google or something specific, you know, that I want to know about. Um, I you know I don't I think more than anything I probably how do you get your news just independently like you'll just go to Google News or something like that yeah would you actually read 
Is there any newspaper you read? No, not really. And uh, I hear Forum Wars, who always gives good information, says he's like the new Bukowski. Yeah, I, I mentioned that earlier. I said mm. that he's like the new Bukowski. Uh, the the editorial mentioned that Hengel had accepted a quote voluntary buyout. But in an interview Wednesday, Hengel said that he first learned of his acceptance of the buyout from when someone from the newspaper read the editorial to him over the telephone Tuesday night. At, at the same time, he received an email with a formal offer. The, quote, editorial was the one that Adelson printed in the Las Vegas Review Journal. That's from <laughs> the L.A. Times. I don't know who Hengel is, though. Hengel? Yeah. That's the uh, – you mean the editor? Oh, that was the editor? Okay. Angle is the editor that oh, took okay, the buyout. Okay, 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 okay. Yeah. The buyout, okay. You know, it's amazing. I, I, I mean, I know this. I, I don't know why I didn't say this before, but people may not even realize there's another newspaper in Las Vegas. Actually, I actually prefer it to some degree. The Sun, yeah. Yeah, the Las Vegas Sun, which was uh, founded by the Greenspun family. And I, I'm sure they have a ton of interest, but other than the, the newspaper, they also own half of what casino? I don't know. Green Valley Ranch. Oh. You ever been there? Yes. It's kind of like a miniature, or maybe not a miniature, like a sister version of the Red Rock. Yeah, I always thought it was like the Red Rock, is what I thought. Yeah, it's in Green Valley, which is kind of like basically Henderson, but kind of an upscale area of Henderson. And it very closely resembles uh, the Red Rock. And basically every restaurant that the Red Rock has, there's a version of it at Green Valley Ranch. Um they even had the bot there. I actually played it a couple times there just when I was on that side of town back in the days when, uh, you know, it was beatable and worth playing. Um, you know, I just, it's kind of a far drive for me. It's, I don't know, 30 miles. It so seems like it's far there. from everywhere, that Green Valley Ranch. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, well, it's west of, of Henderson. It's about, I, I guess to give people an idea, if you know where McCarran Airport is on 215, it's a good 15, 20 minutes uh, west of, or I'm sorry, no, east of there. So yeah, it's it's quite a distance. But in terms of Henderson and that area, it's kind of like the crown jewel of casinos out there. Because besides that, you really have just a bunch of older casinos. So if yeah. you live out in that area, um, you know that it's really the best of what you have. Funny enough, I was just talking about this the other day. Um, do you remember? Do you know a lot anything about Lake Las Vegas? Uh, I've heard of it. I- well, Lake Las Vegas was a very, very upscale area, uh, even more east of Green Valley Ranch. It's actually, it's kind of close to the Arizona border um, near Hoover Dam and, and all that out there, Lake Mead. And it took, obviously, a very big crunch during the real estate boom, and, and most of it now is just bankrupt. And But they, they spent a lot of money. This was supposed to be a just master plan, like real, real upscale community, but it's like, I don't know, 45 minutes or so away from Vegas. It's where Celine Dion lived. I don't know if she still lives there. And a lot of other wealthy people settled there. They actually had, um, in this area where there were housing and apartments and condos, they also had a bunch of hotels and they had a Ritz Carlton casino, the only, or I'm sorry, the Ritz Carlton hotel with a casino attached to it. That was managed by another company. It was called the Monte Lago. And both the uh, Ritz-Carlton went bankrupt to that particular location and uh, the casino as well. And now there's not even a casino out there. But um, it was a real high-end area. I mean, like I said, there's never been a Ritz-Carlton in Vegas. And they were kind of camping on – I never really understand this, just that whole 
people are going to come to Vegas and, and kind of want to stay 45 minutes away from the strip mentality and just not be on the strip but still have access to gambling and this and that, and it, it just didn't pan out and it ended up losing a couple billion dollars. Wow. And this was during that time when every, you know, everything in Vegas was just building, building, building. But uh, I mean, it's a real gorgeous area. There's a man-made lake that is just enormous. Um, it's a real high-end part of Vegas, and it's just it, – it, you know, there, there wasn't any potential for the growth, and just when uh, you know the real estate boom hit, it just went. Yeah, I see, I see where it is on the. Uh, I'm looking at the map right now. Yeah, it's far out there. It is way out there. It's, it's, it is close to what Lake Mead. Yeah, but it's a gorgeous area. Like I said, I've been to that Ritz. It's actually really, really funny. I went. Uh, it's the first time I've ever been to a Ritz in my life, and I went there and gorgeous hotel. But again, is there that much demand, especially in a city like Vegas with so many cheap rooms and and. You know, even for for upscale people, who's going to spend? I, I remember back then inquiring because, like I said, you know, I know the brand, and uh, I think I either went to the front desk or asked somebody. I don't remember, but it was like a thousand dollars a night for you know a standard <laughs> room. Now, of course, it's a Ritz Carlton. You know, I mean, yeah. and you get excellent service, and but I mean that kind of I, I don't think there's that much demand. No, there is, especially way out there like that. Yeah, exactly. And it's not so. even it's you know it's 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 got its own little like lake there, but it's not. It's not right on Lake Mead either. It's, you got to drive a little bit to get there, so it's got its own little lake. It's, I can't see the allure of what it's really bringing to the table. And yeah, the way you would get there, I see, is that if you, you go down ninety five or what, if, if you were going east on Boulder Highway, yeah, if you go east out of Vegas and then uh, where you would normally turn to go south on uh, five fifteen to become ninety three to get to Boulder City and uh, and the southern part of Lake Mead, you would go north on this five sixty four. And end up at the very north part of Lake Mead, almost. Yeah, that's where it is. But it's really middle of nowhere. Yeah. Well, last week, I, and I'm, I know I'm not trying to get off the topic here, but last week we were, I mentioned uh, a very infamous gambler in Las Vegas, uh, basically all of all over the world, actually, named Kerry Packer, an Australian media yes. tycoon. And uh, I was actually kind of surprised both you and Daredevil did not know who he was. Did you end up reading about him or doing any I, I research? Actually, I actually didn't, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you know, I'd like you to maybe, and after the New Year, we could talk, I'm not going to sit here and talk about it now. because. But there are there, more, more so than probably any other gambler, there are a lot of interesting stories. And, and I, unfortunately, during the, the time I was in the casino business, never did interact with him. But I do know a lot of people that I worked with. Uh, that I know, you know, t- to be telling me the truth that did, that told some incredible stories. And I think sometimes, you know, people tend to love this kind of stuff because it's sometimes hard to put aside what's fact and what's fiction and, you know, just to hear all these stories. And the things that he did, and it wasn't that long ago, we're talking 15 years ago. I mean, he used to play at the Venetian when it opened. Um, and the reason why he played there was he was actually 86th from MGM Properties. And I'll just say this one little tidbit and hopefully we can talk about this next year because I, I do love talking about this subject but uh, he came to the MGM Grand um, early part of maybe 2001 or 2002 and he ended up winning about 50 million dollars in a weekend and he won so much money that immediately like that following Monday or Tuesday they had to MGM had to uh, basically admit there was going to be a third quarter, fourth quarter losses already. It was like they were like a week into it. It, it was like the reverse Terrence Watanabe. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, and you know, of course, the, the higher ups weren't happy with it, and I never really got get this. But you know, they ended up eighty sixing him. And you know what? 
if you don't, you know, the thing with him and, and as well as everybody else that, that bets like that, and there's only a handful of people that have ever bet, you know, 100, 200, you know, 300,000 a hand, multiple hands for a long period of time is that, you know, you just can't walk into a casino and do that. You know, these are like prearranged agreements. And in most cases, they even have terms that are added to it, such as like, you know, at least if you're smart, such as like rebates or how many hours you're going to play, you know, per day and just things of, of that nature. Anyone that's a big gambler like that. I know when Ben Affleck used to play at the Hard Rock, for instance, he had tons of deals already in place. But the point I'm making is a casino knows what action they're going to get. And then for them to later, and this is what always pissed me off. Like, you know, they'll take somebody's money and that's fine. You know, but then they lose the terms that they agreed upon. They, they ban the guy. And you know what? Like, if you don't want that kind of action, which, you know, any company should, because, you know, over the long run, I mean, they, they could have easily won, you know, they could have won 50 million or even more from him. Uh, I worked at a place called the Suncoast. It was basically the first real casino I worked at. And this was funny enough before anyone really even knew who he was outside of just real, I guess, people that were just real into the poker scene. Because this was like 2003. And, of course, I'm talking about Phil Ivey. And he got banned from the Suncoast Ruff for playing craps. Huh. He, he got banned. They told him, and I, I was actually there when, when this was going on. They said, you can come in. You can go to – because he lived right by – this is in Summerlin. This is before the Red Rock was built. So there wasn't any other place in that area of town for people to go to. And he'd come in with his wife, who's now since divorced from, and he'd go to the movie theater. He'd eat at the steakhouse. Um, you know, he'd, he'd sit there with his wife and play dice, and he liked to play dice alone. A lot of people, you know, for the most part, because dice is a – craps is a sociable game. For the most part, everyone's usually rooting, you know, for each other because everyone has money on the pass line. But Phil Ivey likes to play alone. He doesn't like other people. He'll walk up to what's called a dead table, meaning no one is playing at it, and start the game up. Um, but anyhow, he ended up winning. You know, and, and the other thing is dice isn't a game like blackjack where you can use some skill like card counting. There is no, there, there's no proven way to win at dice. Now, people, if you look on the Internet, they're going to tell you that you could be what's called a dice setter. Yeah, I've heard about the it's, dice influencers. There, there's never been yeah. any proof at all in the world that anyone – can convince that can actually manipulate consistently two dice that they're throwing against the back of a wall, and that's the whole point. You know, sometimes you'll be in a casino playing dice, and you hear someone say, "Make sure you hit the back of the wall," and that's why. Because once those two die, tumble off the back of the wall, where there's kind of like they call it like alligator teeth. You know, it influences how the die roll or how they land. But anyhow, so he had come in there and he'd beat them not out of a lot of money for a casino, but like fifty, sixty, forty, somewhere in that range. And finally, they had enough. They told him he can come in and, 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 you know, use the restaurants and the movie theater and any other facilities, but he wasn't allowed to play any uh, table games there at all. And I always thought that was kind of chicken shit. I mean, it, it is. Just, yeah, mean, they just don't want the risk. They're afraid. Yeah. They, they, yeah. They actually, with the casinos, they really what they really love is uh, no variance. They, they want just like a steady flow of income. They, don't, they, they, they get scared of variance where someone can beat them on a lucky streak and then just disappear. Well, you know, a lot of people don't remember, but, you know, and, and you've been coming to Vegas long enough that you, you probably do. When Caesar's Palace was initially sold about 10 years ago, people don't realize or remember that Caesar's was an upscale property. Like it was. It, yeah, was, it was a nice yeah. upscale property. They were heavy gamblers in there. And Harris, which ended up buying them had the reputation of running these little, like, middle-class casinos that kind of catered to 
the family that makes like between fifty and seventy-five thousand dollars. Like they wanted the family that come in, drop a thousand dollars, spend another thousand on food and, and, and rooms and maybe a show, and then leave. And you know, now look at Caesars. It's 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 in less than a decade. It's gone from. I mean, I wouldn't put it up there as like a Bellagio type property, but it was pretty damn close. I mean, it really was. A lot of people aren't going to remember this. People may even question me, but I'm telling you, it's the truth. It was a high end property. Caesars was. Um, and you know, now you look at it, you go in there, and it's just it. it I don't know. It doesn't seem even remarkable to me. Um, you know, when you think of high end properties, you think of the Bellagio, maybe the Aria, the Wind, definitely, maybe the Venetian, but you know, you don't think of Caesars. So, but uh, yeah, that's that's you know just how fast it. it less than ten years, Harris, and everyone called it. They said they were going to ruin Caesars, and you know, you go in there now more so than anything, Druff. And I know you stay there a lot, probably more than me now. What really just blows my mind is these properties. You know, you go in there, and, and to a large degree, they just seem so run down. And when you think, you know, Caesars has only been around for like, I don't know, or it's been around since like the 70s, I think. And the 60s, actually. Yeah, but you think of properties like, you know, the Bellagio or the Venetian, you know, they're, they're almost 20 years old now or just about 20 years old. What are they going to do in 10, 20 years? I mean, there's not going to be another boom where they just start knocking everything down like they did in the 80s and 90s and building new resorts. I mean, how do you maintain these properties just to be vibrant and new and attract people, not be outdated? Well, I, now- I think I think they may. I, th- I think uh, building new properties is a different story, but if they uh, if there becomes a need to where it's considered that there is a uh, there, there is not enough high-end hotel rooms because the ones that used to be high-end are now older and the property has lost its luster, uh, they will knock an older property down and rebuild. I guess what I'm saying is when I used to, maybe seven, ten years ago, I'd walk into a casino, a nice casino on the Strip. You'd look and everything just seemed new and it just, there was like a, you know, just a a vibe. And now when you walk in, you just, you don't feel that. I mean, do you agree with me? Do you kind of know what I'm saying? Well, sort of, but that's why there's these newer ones that have, uh, that have sprung up, even like the Cosmopolitan to some degree, like there's a, there's newer ones that have sprung up that, that have a newer look to them and, uh, uh, they're, they're replacing them and it's, it's it's an endless cycle. By the way, here's, I've just been staring at this in front of me, so I want to say it before I forget it. (laughs) Have you ever thought about, I don't know if this is possible, taking a boat from Lake Mead to Laughlin and back? You know, I don't think you can, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but I was told, I remember I thought I asked this once, because actually I thought that was interesting, and I was told that there was, I think it was either called the Davis Dam, or there's another dam that you could not get through. Okay. And I, don't, I don't remember if it was because of 9-11 and the security measures that were put in place because of it, but I do remember asking that particular question and was told that you, you literally could not get through. Oh, maybe. But, I mean, on the map it doesn't show, but the, the maps don't show everything. So. Yeah. But if, but if there was, I think that'd be very cool. Yeah, I thought it'd be cool. I thought this looks like it's fun. Like you just, it's, it's. Uh, I don't know how many miles it is. If you take this way, probably. I know driving is like ninety or ninety-five, but yeah. And I don't. I'd almost say at this point that if they had something like that, I would have heard about it. Or you know. Uh, well, I don't some, think they I have it, but I was wondering it. if it'd be possible to do. Like it maybe it may be that it, like a commercial boat. Like it, maybe it gets narrow at some points, and you'd, you'd have to do it in a small boat to where it'd be a little bit tough. But yeah, it just in theory it would be cool to do. Very much, yeah. I agree. In fact, it's funny. I, I all the years I've lived here and I've gone down the Lake Mead, I've never stepped foot in that river before, or in Laughlin, I've never been in the river at all. Uh, 
I mean, I know you go down there during the summer a lot and you see people jet skiing and swimming, but for me, it's kind of weird. Maybe it's because I grew up in South Florida and it was near the ocean. I've never really been attracted to swimming in fresh water. I don't know. I mean, the ocean I love, I grew up there, but when I go down to, to Laughlin, I don't want to just yeah, jump I, in that river yeah, and start I, I, ha- I haven't either. Yeah. I mean, people always talk about the water sports and just going down there. Now, I've swum. Have you ever been on uh, out in Lake Mead and gone swimming? I've not gone. Or? I've gone boating. I haven't gone swimming. Yeah. To me, I, I'm just I don't know. I'm not a freshwater fan. I, you know, something about that versus the real ocean. I don't know. But uh, you know, and Laughlin's another good example. We're talking about like how many more years until you know you've been down there. That place is in pretty rough shape. Now, yes, yeah. Again. You know, you're getting what you get, you know, which is a room that's relatively inexpensive. But, you know, you can go in those places and they look exactly like they were, like hotels that were built like in the 70s. Oh, yeah. It's, it's like a time warp. It really is. Yeah. It looks like you're, it looks like you're back in 1975. Yeah. Yeah. And even, you know, the coffee shops, everything's like very, very inexpensive. Yeah. And, and not only that, like the whole atmosphere there is, is old school. Like the, the coffee shop, if you want, ever want the experience of what it was like in a Vegas coffee shop in 1975, you go to Laughlin, go to a coffee shop there. It'll be the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've stayed, I think, almost everywhere. I think the only property – I mean, it's not like there's that many. I think there's like eight or nine properties. The only property I don't think I've ever stayed at in Laughlin was – I think it's now called the Aquarius. I don't remember what it was back in the day. Uh, I mean, obviously, I know you stay at Harrah's because you know, not, I've stayed the majority of times there too because you know the, the comps um, – but if you were going to go down, if you were going to recommend to somebody, and this is like a neutral opinion, not because of comps, of where to stay, Laughlin, where where would you recommend? I don't even know which was the best one anymore. Yeah, I was. That's what I'm thinking too. I mean, I've stayed at the the Colorado Bell. I've stayed at. I've stayed at Don Laughlin's. Well, what, what's that? What's that uh, Ramada Express thing called now? It's the Tropicana. It used the to be Tropicana, the Ramada Express, okay. and I had a train that actually. Yeah. Kind of cool been on it before yeah, it was it was funny is that the ramada express it it was a bad name because it, it made you think of the holiday inn express but it was it was called the express because of the train theme yeah and now it's a tropicana it's not owned by the same company that owns the trop in vegas but it is owned by the same company that owns the trop in atlantic city there's also a golden nugget in laughlin and again that's kind of weird it's not owned by the same people that own the Golden Nugget in Vegas, but it's owned by the same corporation that owns the Golden Nugget in Atlantic City. Um, so, I, yeah, I've stayed at almost every property out there. Uh, it's actually funny. I've, I've played a lot of poker in Laughlin, uh, just you know, mainly with friends over the years. We'll go out there, and if you don't really want to play blackjack and you know, grind any other games there, you know, it's just a way to kill time. And uh, every game there, have you ever played any poker on Laughlin? I did. I played, uh, I think, one, two, no limit or. Something like that. One three no limit. Well, I don't know because I've never, I, I've never, in all the years I've gone out there, I've never seen a no limit game. Oh really? No, I played, I played one, and I was, uh, and I spanked everybody. Most of the casinos that are out there, they have a spread limit game, uh, and it's usually like one to six dollars, meaning you could, I literally bet anywhere between one and six on any part of the hand, and you play with what's called over buttons, and what that means is, you know, if you have an over button in front of you. That means that you're, you've designated that you are willing to play no limit. And if you ever get to a point in a hand where you're playing only with people that have over buttons, then it becomes no limit. Have you ever seen this before? No, no. I'm, really? telling, I'm telling you, at Harris, I played no limit. Okay, no, I'm not saying you have. I, 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 maybe that's the one property there that spreads it. But I know the other properties, you know, such as uh, Riverside and uh, the Colorado Bell, they always have this limit game and 
the rake is horrendous. Uh, I mean, you know, whatever. I'm just, but you know, it's something to do there. I don't, you know, I know you play blackjack. I'm not much of a blackjack player these days anymore. And uh, I know just from being there, they, I don't even know if you could get away playing mid the high stakes blackjack there. I mean, you'd probably get back. No, no, you, you would, you would get backed off very fast. Yeah, I mean, I imagine they'd start, they start sweating. You know, start as you know as soon as you start betting a quarter or more. Yep. In a place like that, they're going to start looking at you, and so I don't know. Um, now, now ninety-five between Vegas and Laughlin, you can drive really fast in that because the, the speed limit's seventy-five. And uh, other than one little stretch where there's a lot of cops, it's which is by uh, uh, I think it's approaching Searchlight. Uh, it uh, other than that little stretch, it, there's like no cops on there either. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it is. It's by searchlight where it starts to get, like within like ten miles either way on searchlight. You don't want to speed, but uh, other than that, you can go really fast. And the speed limit seventy five. We're on like on the fifteen, going to Vegas. It's uh, it's seventy. Hmm. In fact, that's the only road. That's well, not the only, but it's one of the few roads I've driven on with the legal speed limit seventy five. Interesting. So, so let's uh, talk about total rewards. There's been uh, some announcements about changes for. Uh, now that we're talking about Caesars, uh, they always do this stupid thing where even though on January 1st is where you start earning the tier credits that will determine your status for that year, for whatever reason, they don't tell you what benefits that you will get for each status. They, they, they report that late. So you're, you're earning towards levels that you don't know what you're getting. <laughs> and there's no reason for this. Like they, they have a whole year to figure it out, and for whatever reason, they're late every time. So, like this year, I didn't find out what the benefits were for seven stars until April, or until like very late March. So now that they're starting the total rewards year on February first instead of Mar- April first, uh, now they they're trying to give some advanced information to prevent people from panicking. Like last year, for example, everyone was concerned that the Norwegian cruise benefit was going away because they weren't talking about it when they were like, for some reason that was the one thing that nobody knew. And then there were some other things people were afraid of were changing. So this year they sent out an email just, uh, I don't know if you got it about a day or two ago. I did. Yeah. And basically they were reaffirming that the major benefits of total reward, seven stars and, and diamond for that matter are going to stay the same in 2016 as they were in 2015, which means the, the cruise is coming back, the, the, the $500 worth of uh, dinners comes back, the fail signature events are coming back, the complimentary rooms for seven stars are coming back, and, and what else? Am I missing anything? Well, whatever. They're, all the major things are coming back. So they didn't, they didn't give full details about these things. Maybe there's some subtle changes or changes in rules. But other than that, uh, it's basically the same program. And they, I believe it'll probably be the same amount of tier credits it will take to earn each level as it's always been. Maybe that's, it was not announced that any of that's changing. You think they would let you know that if that was going to be abruptly changing. So I have a feeling the 2016 total rewards, at least the seven star, is going to be very, very similar to 15. So that's, it's nice to know this a little bit earlier. But I still think they need to update some things in the program. One of the things, which I'm running into here, and I mentioned at the beginning of the show, this thing with the second room, uh, it's it's not just for me, but for many people, it's difficult to get a second room, despite being not just seven stars, but seven stars and a, a fairly active player. They're just very difficult with the second room. I always thought that they should at least provide a, a good discount 
for a second room if you reach seven star. Just like, and, and maybe even give you a few second room nights you could use a year. Maybe black it out for things like New Year's. But the reasons casinos hate giving second rooms to people is that the reason they're giving comps is not like a reward for what you've already earned. Comps are supposed to be to get you back there to lose more money. So they don't want to give a second room because the second room is likely going to be occupied by someone who doesn't gamble. So they don't want you to bring your mother and have her just hang out all the room and hang out in the room all day and, and uh, watch movies or whatever. They, they they don't want you to bring your friends who are broke and can't afford a room on their own. They don't want that. They they want the rooms occupied by people who will spend money and lose money. And if you if you are getting a second comp room, you're probably giving it to someone who doesn't want to spend. So that's why they really resist giving second rooms. They'll do it if you're a big enough player just to keep you happy. In fact, they did it for me in the past uh, before they clamped down on them more and before I got more overcomp like I am. But uh, I heard this year that they were especially difficult for New Year's for the second rooms. So, uh, But anyway, the benefits of the Seven Stars program are staying uh, similar. There, there's even rumors, though, that if you don't want to take that annual trip that they give you every year, you, have, you can go to an out-of-market Caesars property and they pay your airfare and give you $500 food credit, that you can convert that to free play in some way. But that's not confirmed. That's just a rumor I'm hearing. So, uh, Brandon, are you going to try to earn Seven Star again, or are you done with it? Uh-oh. I think we're done with Brandon. I think he's gone. Now, Brandon, he's here. Whenever this happens, I get paranoid that maybe the sound is broken. <laughs> nah, everything's good. I think Brandon just went to feed the dog or something. Who knows? Well, let's move on here. The first general topic we'll do. I believe we're down to three presidential candidates now. One of them being Hillary, who's got the Democratic nomination already locked up. That's for sure. But on the Republican side, which has been a very convoluted and difficult race, it's, uh, I, I think it's starting to clear up a bit more. And we're starting to see... Yeah, I see Brandon said BRB, so I guess he's really leaving. But we're starting to see who's uh, really more likely to have a chance to be the Republican nominee and who is pretty much done for. A site I like to check for polling for this election is realclearpolitics.com. It's exactly as it sounds, realclearpolitics.com. And uh, not only do they have a bunch of articles from both the left and the right about politics, but they have polls that are averages. So instead of having to count on one particular poll, which may be incorrect or biased or whatever, they average all the polls. And then you get a better picture about where people are going. So last I looked, uh, and as I said, Hillary obviously is winning the nomination there, but as I, last I looked on the Republican side, Trump has hit a high of 35.1%. Ted Cruz has risen a good deal in recent weeks. He's up to eighteen point one, and everybody. The guy else, with the most money has no chance. Yeah, everybody else is gone. Uh, it's pretty much done, I think. Uh, Rubio's fallen all the way down to eleven and a half. Not a good sign for him. Every, he's just constantly hemorrhaging points. Uh, Carson down to ten. Another one who's free falling. 
Bush is just stagnating around four percent. He's not going anywhere. And he's got, he's got, he can stay in it. They said until next summer if he wants to. <laughs> I mean, he has a hundred over a hundred million dollars just yeah. sitting in the bank. It's amazing. Yeah, he should, he should drop out. He's, he's really got. He's a low energy candidate. Yeah, he, he is. So, <laughs> so what's, uh, so to me, it looks like it's going to be Trump, Cruz, or Hillary in the White House last summer. You said Trump, Cruz, or Hillary. I said Trump, and you said he was a gimmick. Okay, well, you didn't say Cruz though. No. Okay. Cruz doesn't have it. I mean, I guess he has a chance. No, no, no. But... He does have a chance. He, I think he's the only one left who can not see Trump. He's been rising quickly. Now, he's nowhere near Trump at the moment. He's 18 versus 35. But he's been rising quickly. Uh, he, he was just at uh, like nine not too long ago. Now he's at 18. He's pretty much doubled. And, and Trump is moving up, too. But uh, Cruz is rising faster. And the question is when Rubio, I believe, is finally falling apart and uh, – or not finally. I thought he. I thought he might end up being the nominee, but it looks like he's not going to. Yeah, but you know what's strange though? These these primaries. I mean, you have these polls. Do you remember? Was it four years ago? Uh, who won the first primary? Oh, no, I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the first primary. That's a different. No, story. but I'm just saying in general. Do you remember who won the first primary four years ago out of nowhere? There's a. Rick Santorum. Yeah, I remember the Rick Santorum. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but, but see then, that that's. See these these early primaries. I've always I just had this uh, discussion with somebody else that the early primaries don't mean as much as people make them out to mean, because I, I haven't ever I haven't ever seen where a candidate wins an early primary, and then that propels them, just based upon that. And if they won because they're they've got a lot of momentum nationally, that's a different story. But they just they win an early primary, and then that propels them nationally from there. I've never seen it where the early primary is the factor that pushes them over the top. It's always if they win the early primary and go on to win, it's because they were also moving in an upward direction nationally as well and seem to really have good momentum behind them. I can tell you from watching this race very closely, it's looking, first of all, that, that the two primaries, uh, New Hampshire is going to be easily won by Trump. Iowa's going to be won, not easily, but, but will probably be won by Cruz. But I don't think that means much. Uh, and, and, and by the way, New Hampshire is going to be won by Sanders. He's not going to be the nominee on the Democratic side. So it's just uh, – so th- I don't think those mean much. But what does mean to me is watching the national polls and watching the momentum of the candidates and where they're going. Like Carson, he's been going down, down, down for a long time. There's no way he's going to be the nominee. Uh, Rubio was going up and then now is is dropping. And it's hard to reverse that. It's hard to reverse drop, 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 and then suddenly shoot back up. It usually doesn't happen that way. Once you start to slip, you're usually done for. And it seems like of Cruz and Rubio, who some people view as similar candidates, uh, Cruz is, seems to be getting the nod from people. And uh, so he is the one with all the momentum. Rubio is going the opposite direction. So the question really will come down to when when Rubio fades, provided there's not some astonishing turnaround, uh, will his supporters go to Cruz and make him competitive with Trump, or will they split and, and Trump will easily take it? I'm also reading here, I, I just did a little quick Google search, saying that Chris Christie is also picking up momentum in the last week or so. A little bit, but he's so far back. He's uh, yeah, yeah. He, he's picking up, like in New Hampshire, yeah, he's he's always looked relevant there, but one, he's still not going to win. He's got 11.3 in New Hampshire. Trump has 28.3. So no one's going to catch Trump there. No one's even close to Trump there. And Chris Christie just does not have – he's not going to have the national momentum. It's not It's not going to be enough. I, I think it's down to three now. 
I think it really is realistically down to three. Yes, it can still change, but I, I this now, is the direction I see it going. Tell me about this. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I know a little bit about politics, but obviously, I, I don't know that much because I'm asking this question. I read about the possibility now. Now, when all these candidates uh, sign this pledge, I'm talking about uh, Republicans, and I, I guess so would apply to Democrats too. They sign a pledge that they solemnly swear that if they don't win the nomination, that they will be loyal to whoever the party nominates. And now I'm reading that Jeb Bush was like the first one that, that brought this up, and I guess a couple other people are, are talking about going back on their pledge and the possibility of now a brokered convention in which they nominate the party can possibly – basically so they don't have Trump as, as their, their nominee. Has this ever even happened before in American politics? I, I don't think so. And and it was, first what of all, what do you this, know about first, this brokered well, well, pledge? Well, okay. First of all, the, the pledge that you're not going to run as an independent doesn't have any teeth. That's just something you're you're saying and signing, and then they can throw back in your face if you go against it. But but, it but really, you got to think if you did that, that would kind of hurt anyone's political career. Well, it would, but but uh, but they always can back backpedal by saying, "Well, when I signed that, uh, I didn't see the party." becoming as bad as it did, right? Yeah. There's always an excuse to where uh, you can say, well, well I said... Wait, is anyone, any of these guys going to win as an independent anyhow? No, no, they never do. It's not. No, they never do. They never have I mean, a chance to win. Other than, like, Ross Perot, and that wasn't even he that. Had, no, he didn't get one electoral vote. Right. So. I mean, he, but it's, I mean, in our lifetime, he's probably the only independent that even kind of gave him a run for their money. I yeah, mean, and, and was, all, he, all he did is, uh, is give the White House to Clinton because that's uh, most of the... Well, well that's what you're saying about Ralph Nader. That, that, that is what happened with Ralph Nader. So it was payback eight years later. Away from yeah, from yeah. Gore. No, for sure, if Ralph Nader wasn't there, then Gore wins. So, so. No, I still think Gore should have won anyhow. No, they've actually, you know, they've done studies on this as recently as this year, and even CNN, which is not a right wing news organization by any means, uh, came to the conclusion that Bush really won it. So I, I believe he really won it. But I, I, it is true that if Ralph Nader wasn't there – now, if you want to say, like, if the people who incorrectly voted because they got confused, well, then, then like maybe – Like I said, 100,000 Jews in South and West Palm Beach voting for Pat Buchanan, I don't think so. Well, I know, but the problem is that their, their responsibility I, – I, at the time I said it's the same thing, like, I can't say I deserve to have a vote because – Are my, you kidding me that, that, that it's the 21st century and they can't come up with a way that people could just easily vote? No, of course yeah, they could have, but it was, it, I really think it was just stupidity. People getting I, confused? I think it was a stupidity thing, not, not a, any kind of conspiracy, and I think that uh, – um, if people get confused, uh, uh, even though the ballot was stupid and it was it was poorly made, uh, it's still their responsibility to get it right. Remember, Al Gore called Bush to concede and then recalled him to take back. Yeah, his- it was crazy. I I was surprised, and not only that, they kept changing what they were claiming. They they were calling the they called the election for Gore, then they called it for Bush, and they said no, we can't call it for either one. It was crazy. I remember watching. Unbelievable. What was that bitch's name? The Supervisor of a law, Catherine Harris. Yeah, remember her? Yeah, but then you also you also had these like little city what? council, like little city councils there that were holding all this power over the voting and like these people who were speaking on uh, like these little local government officials that were acting all big for the moment because they were they held their, course, their moment in, in the yeah. spotlight. And- yeah. So anyhow, how, how do you see it coming out? I mean, now we're we're six months into this. Well, uh, now. Uh, Start talking about it I, now. I think that Trump has such a big lead that he's the favorite to. He's probably going to win the primary, though it is not 
because of Cruz, I don't see this as something where you can just say you're giving it to him. He's got it. Like Hillary's got it. That's over with her. Okay, but I don't say Trump has got it. He is the one most likely to win it. But unless they pull the shenanigans you were talking about earlier, which I think probably won't happen. But uh, Cruz could still come back because he's got a lot of momentum. He's been going up quickly in the national polls. And if Rubio drops, he may get most of Rubio's votes and then that will make him competitive with Trump. So that's uh, uh, there is still a chance a reasonable chance that Trump will not be the nominee. However, bad news for Republicans is that even with Cruz as the nominee, Hillary probably wins because he is considered too conservative to win the general election. So even though he's not outrageous like Donald Trump, even though he can come off as presidential, there's nothing about him that uh, is Trump-like. He doesn't he doesn't turn it into a circus. He it seems the that two clown. of them kind of are taking this you know, gloves off approach against each other. And I mean, neither one of them is attacking each other, talking about Cruz and Trump. They're almost kind of like friendly. I don't know if you've kind of noticed that. Yeah, I I think, uh, yeah, I I think that they're both kind of happy where they are at the moment, where I think that Cruz is counting on getting a lot of the people who are not with Trump already. I think Cruz is believing that a lot of the people who are with Trump are all he's going to get, and he's not going to get that many new people, and he'll get the new people when the other candidates drop. And, and I think uh, Trump doesn't want to, you know, he's happy with a 17-point lead. He doesn't want to do anything to energize Cruz by going after him and causing some kind of trouble. So I think they're they're both kind of afraid. Yeah. But And they're both kind of hoping Trump just hold, hopes well, he holds. If there was, I mean, it's not like there's some candidate no one knows about, but, you know, if we go back to, you know, 92 when, when Clinton won, you know, he was – this little southern governor, you know, from a poor state who's kind of off the radar and he didn't do good in, I think, the first three primaries. And then what do they call that? Super Tuesday? Isn't that the, the – Yeah, but you know, this, this – And then he, he kicked ass on there and that's when he first – people really said, shit, this guy's a chance. Yeah, this, this is a little bit different though. The, the... Well, my, my question though is, is there somebody you can see – if you had to pick a candidate that were that's, you know, just at that 2% to 5% range that – may pick up momentum, whether maybe it is Bush or Christie or... If there's any at the very bottom who pick up momentum, it would probably be Christie, but I don't see him doing it. And you, you definitely say Jeb Bush has no chance, even with... Yeah, he has no chance. Even besides the fact he has all that money. Yeah, he just doesn't have a chance. He's, he's, he's been stuck. It, it, they've been at this a long time, and he's been stuck. He's never made any kind of move. And it's not that it's not like he's sitting there at fifteen uh, percent at Trump's thirty-five, and he's got he's at four. He's not going to go anywhere. He's been at four forever. So uh, it's also different now. There's so much coverage of this on the internet and everywhere. This is different than in '92 with Bill Clinton. It's it's harder for someone to come out of nowhere at this point and, and really turn things around. And there's so so much has been seen of all these candidates already. So I think now it's just a matter – I really believe that whoever has lost momentum already or never gained it yet is, is pretty much done. That's why I think it's going to be Cruz, uh, Trump, Cruz, or Hillary. And now it, it, if that's really the way it stays, then Hillary has a very high chance of winning because she'll – I'm sure she'll crush so, Trump. So Trump gets heads up in this thing and, and people really start to realize – and he starts to realize that, wow, this is real – 
and you know, this could possibly happen. Do you think he becomes quote unquote more presidential? Tones down the rhetoric a little bit, starts acting more of a statesman than he has. I, I don't know because I thought he would have done that by now. But that's I agree. <laughs> but I he doesn't. And the, now maybe yeah, maybe he'll do it when he feels he has to for the general election. But maybe not. Maybe he feels that's what got him there in the first place. But just right now, he's he's losing to. Hillary by like six points, and this is before Hillary has campaigned really against the Republicans. She's just uh, she's kind of sitting back and waiting to see who wins before they they drop all the big money on all the the ads, and she does the real campaigning for herself versus the Republicans. So you really want to have you don't want to be six points behind Hillary at this point. That's bad news. If you're tied with her, that's not even good news at this point. But you definitely want to don't want to be six points behind. So I, I think that. Uh, if Trump if Trump is the nominee, then the Republicans could pretty much kiss it goodbye. Uh, if Cruz is the nominee, Hillary also probably wins, but at least they have a chance, especially if Hillary beats herself, which she could do. Hillary could beat herself against a candidate that people are not afraid to vote for, and Cruz they may some people may be afraid to vote for him because of his conservatism, but not. I don't think there's going to be like an anti-Cruz contingent coming out that there would be for an anti-Trump contingent. I think that people who don't like Hillary will still vote for her because they're scared of seeing tre- President Trump. I don't think the same thing is how they feel about Cruz. So that's why Cruz has a chance, but still Hillary's the fa- easy favorite now. With, now that Rubio's fading, Hillary's got to be really thrilled because the the one candidate she seemed to be vulnerable to is probably not going to take the primary. And what are your thoughts on running mates? Is there uh, anyone that you've even considered or want well, to see I, in I, there? I, I know. I think uh, for Republicans, they need to. I think Kasich is important to take Ohio. Uh, if, if, because they need Ohio, they need Florida. If they don't get them both, they're done. And that's not a, a theory; that's a fact. Yeah. In regards to uh, the Democrats, I don't know who the Democrats should choose. I know there's been talk of. Oh, what about Bernie Sanders? But I don't think Bernie Sanders even wants that position. I don't think Bernie Sanders wants this position that have to fall in line behind Hillary and, and basically support a lot of the things he's claimed he's against. So I think I think Bernie Sanders is not going to be anyone's VP. That's that's my guess. So I, I don't know who they would choose. Uh, I don't even think it's as important as of a decision as it is for Republicans because of the Ohio thing and the the fact that they have to take those two states, Florida and Ohio. Yeah. So now if they do take those two states, then they've got a chance because then they've just got to pick up 17 electoral votes from states that they lost last time with Romney. So that's that's that they've got a chance, but I... Right now, I'm yeah, it's amazing. You could actually think about the fact that for the history of this country, within just a 10, 12 year span, we could have our first African American president and our first woman president just back to back like that. Yep. Well, of, of all people to be Hillary, that she has such a shady history. People don't. A lot of people don't realize how shady a history it is. And, and I, I don't say this about all Democrats. Like I don't say that about Obama. I don't call, call him shady. I don't call him a liar. I don't call him someone who's uh, sneaky. Like, I, I don't say those about him because I don't believe that to be true. Uh, but, but with Hillary, I do. So that's uh, – I, I don't think she's – I mean, you got to think, even back when she was just the first lady, she was creating drama yes, and it's, it's scandals constant, and shit as constant, a first lady. There's constant scandal following so her. The Whitewater and what was Travelgate. Yes, and... there's, there's constant scandal following her everywhere. 
and 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 Bill Clinton too, but but uh, both of them. It's just a constant scandal. It's uh, even perplexing ones like the email one. Like you have to wonder how that even happened. How do, how do you have, how does that even happen? And what is it like Secretary of State at Gmail dot com? <laughs> it was their own server. <laughs> their own server with all this classified material. That, that when they, when they if you did this uh, working for a defense contractor as a regular Joe, you'd get in big trouble. So this is. Uh, it's shocking the Secretary of State is doing that. and She just always believes there's a different set of rules for her. And there's been, there's been so many shady things that have happened. You, there, you know, there's, there's websites about this, and unlike a lot of these other websites, like the ones about Obama, a lot of them it's just BS, conspiracy nonsense. Uh, the stuff about the Clintons, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that seems like it's BS, conspiracy nonsense is actually true. I it's, mean, you know, obviously Bill Clinton's legacies already sealed i mean he, he still has favorable reviews now and his you know his numbers are still high people still tend to love him do you think i mean you know we're just debating of course we're never going to know but do you think if he had his way like he would just not have his wife run i mean do you think to him it's kind of demeaning that he could actually be the president and have to move back to the white house yeah he, pr- he probably would he probably prefer he's that he's just the only president in that family i mean after all these years, you know, people that are high profile all the time, I mean, they get divorced. Why do you think they're still together? Because uh, at this point, like when they're in their 60s and almost their 70s, when it doesn't even matter anymore. Like it can't be a normal relationship. No, it's not. It's not. It's not it hasn't been for a long It wasn't back when yes, it just was, they both was running for president had, in 92. They both had self-serving needs. Yeah, and, that's what it's been. But like now, why are they still even together? Why they, is he they, in they a just, campaign? They, they, because they just don't want to disrupt it. They want to just uh, keep the status quo. So, I mean, he's he's cheated on her so many times. There were there were stories from back in his days as the Arkansas governor yeah. that the what was the, it? Or Jennifer Flowers was well, that? That was name? one of so many though. Like the, yeah. the Arkansas state troopers would uh, he he would go point out to women that he liked, and they'd say, "Hey, the the governor would like to meet you." And they go, "Oh wow, the governor wants to meet me." So the women would come talk to him, and then uh, soon enough, the girl would be blowing him, or he'd be having sex with her in some hotel room or something. Like it was a where he was staying, you know, there were there were so many different women. The ones that were high profile, like Jennifer Flowers and Monica Lewinsky, and ones like that, and Paula Jones. The, there were so many others that were not high. But you profile. really can't use that though, as is. And well, maybe I mean, I guess you could, but you know, I, I guess does that make somebody just because we morally or society morally morally thinks that behavior is wrong does that make them unfit to be president no, I mean, no did jfk doesn't... not do the same things but because of the fact there wasn't the media the internet the kind of coverage there is today he got away with it and it just never was you know an issue and everyone loves jfk and he was this great president but he was a well-known flanderer too yeah well i'm telling you that uh that's just the whole thing with the marriage is kind of weird though it's just weird like what you said they're they uh it's like self-serving. It's like a fake marriage, and it's it's been this way a long time. And Hillary, like that whole thing with Monica Lewinsky, that had to embarrass the shit out of her. Of course it did. And like she that's was, fucking she was, nuts. She was, she was positioning herself as a strong woman and a feminist and all this. So how do you stay with your husband when he's done that? He's sticking vaginas up vaginas. <laughs> Cigars and vaginas it wasn't and just that one though; it was this constant yeah. stream going back for so long, and she knows it's been going on. And uh, and then uh, there's. You know, and she was cheating on him apparently too. Even there's rumors that uh, Vince Foster, who killed himself in the during the 
Clinton I years that. That, that there is a, an affair with with Hillary. Like they just it's it's like a fake marriage. It's the whole thing is just kind of weird. It is it is very weird. I, I wonder what uh, Chelsea Clinton thinks about that with her parents that way. Like yeah. they're still together, but really not. Yeah, poor like, Chelsea. Remember when she. You know, first came into the national spotlight as a kid. Everyone made fun of how ugly she was. Yeah, I remember that. And then she actually she, her looks improved. No, I, I agree. Older. For what yeah. she was given, I mean, it got better. It did get better. Like she, she ended up she, she, she like wasn't pretty when she got older, but she wasn't bad. She was kind of like average looking by the time she got older. So, <laughs> but yeah, no, I felt bad. I did feel bad for her. She was just a little girl and didn't deserve that. And it's because people didn't like her, uh, her parents, or even people who even. Even people who did like her parents, Look, they I, just said it. I couldn't even tell you the Obama. He has two daughters. I couldn't tell you one of them if if you had a gun to my head. <laughs> I don't. Do you know his kids' names? I think one's like Malia, and uh, I forgot the other one. Yeah. I'm looking at her now. Actually, Chelsea Clinton. Not. I mean, I don't know. I didn't say she's pretty, but she looks. Uh, she's not bad. She's kind of like average looking to me, you know. Whose daughter? What, what president had a daughter that was a was a Reagan's kid that was like posing topless in Playboy and sucking cock all over town. Didn't Reagan have like a crazy daughter that was in Playboy? Yeah, and uh, he also had a. He, Reagan had a few kids that uh, that that were a little <laughs> bit off. Yeah, I'm reading about Chelsea Clinton. Um, well, anyhow, this has nothing to do with the conversation we're having now, but something uh, very crazy happened in the sports betting world in Las Vegas this past weekend. Now, what's that? A uh, lady hit a $5 15-leg NFL parlay, huh. claiming it was her second bet ever on an online site, William Hill, that paid $100,000. She picked a spread correctly in 14 games and also the over-under uh, in the Steelers and Broncos game, got everyone right. Fifteen for fifteen, five bucks paid twenty thousand to one. Was even more fucking nuts, Giraff. If if you obviously believe what she said, was that she didn't know that she was picking spreads and thought she was just picking winners. <laughs> Earlier that day, she had fifty dollars that she deposited for the first time in William Hill, and her and her boyfriend were talking. I guess the morning of the games, early Sunday morning. And he was explaining to her what point spreads were. And he started getting frustrated, apparently, because she did not understand it. So then she logged into her William Hill account and thought she was just picking teams to win, such as New England, which ended up winning and covering, and Green Bay, which ended up winning and covering. Um, anyhow, so her name was Taylor Polia, P-O-L-I-A. She just moved to Vegas two months ago. And 26-year-old woman works for a law office and bet five bucks, goes 15 for 15, and wins every single fucking game. Uh, I bet TMML Gay would say that he can do the same thing. This is a quote. I remember that I picked the New York Giants, and they lost, she said. So I thought it was strange when I looked it up on Monday morning and saw that I won. Polia then called up William Hill. And the person on the other end of the line informed her that she had picked the spread, not the winners. <laughs> the Panthers beat the Giants by three. Polia had the Giants as a five-point underdog. Uh, so anyhow, aside from the reading this article, aside from the Giants as a five-point underdog, her card also had the 
Vikings is a five-point favorite, and they won by 21. She had the Falcons as a three-point underdog, and the Texans and Redskins as one-point underdogs. They all won and covered. Patriots and Steelers were 14-point favorites, and they both won by 17. Had the Cardinals and Bengals as four-point favorites, and they won by 23 and 10, respectively. The closest game she had was the Steelers, who were six-point favorites. <laughs> How's this? How sick is this? The closest she had was the Steelers, who were six-point favorites. And they beat the touchdown. They beat the Broncos by a touchdown after spotting Denver a seventeen-point lead. I mean, oh, this wow. is just crazy. Um, and then also in that game, she bet that both teams would score more than forty-five points. They ended up scoring sixty-one. And the final game of the parlay was a Monday night game where she had the Lions as a three-point dog, and they won straight up. Um, of course, in the William Hill Sports Director says this weekend wasn't a good one. Uh, not only did her payout come through. But there's, I guess they have a progressive, I didn't even know about this, but also a 15-game parlay where betters just have to pick the winners also hit uh, without a spread. And it was a progressive that paid out 170 k split by 17 people. Um, anyhow, that's pretty sick. I mean, fuck, you can't even get an NBA game right. <laughs> people are going, I, I bet a fight and it's over in 13 seconds, and I'm on the wrong end of it, and someone's going 15 for 15. I mean, that's fucking nuts. Yep. I mean, that's that's... I don't know. I mean, it pays two hundred to one, so it'd have to say at least. I mean, it's a lot higher than that, as it, you know, the actual odds. I'd say it's probably close to maybe a million to one, if not higher. Uh, I don't know. That's that's anyhow. So that's been all over the news. It actually got some mainstream news. It's on ESPN and a couple other uh, networks. That's funny. So, so uh, the NBA is interesting this year in that uh, there may actually be the very best team ever in Golden State, and the very worst team ever in Philadelphia. Philadelphia lost again tonight. I think that does it take them down to 1-30 now or 1-29. What's the, what's the stand here? It's one of those two. They are now 1-30. Yeah, 1-30. So uh, that's insane. Th- think about a, a professional, not just professional, a, an NBA team that has played 31 games and lost 30 of them. And and they're not even uh, they're not even coming close. They well for a while there they were no no they 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 came close when they hadn't yet had a win and they were yeah, hungry. They were there, but they were competitive. They were losing by one, two, and, and that, three. That's, and that's why I bet on them against the Lakers and won because I knew that they they were coming close against fairly good teams, and I knew when they finally reached a bad team like the Lakers, they were going to do it, and they did do it. But you know, after any that, other any other given year, it's amazing. The Lakers would actually be the laughing stock. Oh, of the they NBA. would be. They would be. And so, so the so the seventy sixers after winning that uh, after winning that game against the Lakers, they've really let down. And not only are they getting killed in the standings, they're one in thirty, but they're not even covering the spread. I I've, I, I think uh, you could do much worse than just fading them because what I noticed recently is that when they play against any team that's well over 500. When I say well over, I don't mean like a San Antonio or Golden State. I mean just any team that's not just barely over 500, like you know, five games over 500 or better. Uh, they just get blown out every time. And uh, and tonight they... What about the Warriors? If you were just betting... I mean, I know it's it, it's nuts, but if you had a bankroll and you were just hammering or, you know, in regard to how much you could afford, that money line every game, I mean, you're going 27 out of 28 games. You're winning. I mean, just hammering that money line. Um, 
it, it's yeah. I mean, they covered again tonight, by the way. Yeah, I know they covered again tonight. Yeah. So, so they've uh, so they've been. That's the thing. That really, if you just took the strategy of just betting the spread on Golden State and fading the spread on Philadelphia, you would, especially recently, you would be having a good year. Even if you just did it the whole way without forget the recently part, just did it the whole way on these two teams, uh, you'd be having a good year. And uh, but but the question is, are these really the best and the worst ever? Because it's, it's not even like that. The, the teams like look at the Golden State thing. It's not like there's a bunch of terrible teams out there this year. Like in the East, for once, there's actually a number of of winning teams. Well, Philadelphia didn't cover tonight, by the way. The line closed at eleven. No, no, I've, I've saying the reverse. They're not covering anything. Oh, okay, yeah. It was thirteen. Yeah, yeah. and uh, tonight, well, I, you know what? I, I I think it's all relative. I mean. I, 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 you know, everyone's, you're always going to have this debate, you know, which team would win between like, you know, the 90s Bulls with Jordan versus these Golden State teams. I know Charles Barkley the other day came out and said that Jordan's Bulls would have just destroyed these Warriors and, you know, in a, in a seven game series. Um, so I, I normally don't get into that whole debate with different eras. Um, but I'll tell you, I, I think. I'm not, I'm not, you know, listen, they won the finals, you know, they, they won a championship. They're, they're obviously a great team, but I think just in general, the NBA is kind of in a downswing now. Um, I mean, look at the West, for instance, you know, just how competitive like it, it was. And now it seems like the East is finally coming back, but I think there's more teams that are mediocre in the NBA than probably since I can remember. Uh, I just don't think there are really that many good I mean, really, I mean, look, San Antonio, but, you know, you never even know with them what you're going to get. They could they could win the fucking championship this year, make it to the finals, they could lose again in the first round. I mean, other than Golden State, maybe you can say Oklahoma. I mean, who who are really good teams? So those, no, those, those are the only good three this year so far in the West. Yeah. In the West and then in the East, uh, it's, it's uh, nobody's really running away with it. The best, the best record is Cleveland, which is 19-7. And then the second best is Atlanta, who's been very inconsistent, 19-12. Yeah. So, so, so the yeah, there's a lot of middling teams, a whole lot of middling teams this year in the NBA, and that that's probably assisted Golden State as well with the, with their record because of a lot of middling teams. There haven't been a lot of really tough teams to have to face. Uh, so, well, what do you think? Do you think Golden State is that great, or do you think the NBA is just kind of in a downswing? I mean, do you think if you put Golden yeah, State, I, I don't even know if it's a downswing. It could it could be that just it, when you're a very good team that Something that's uh, good for you to have to finish with a great record is a lot of kind of middle-ish teams rather than uh, well, a, a lot, a lot of good ones and a lot of bad ones. We won't even go 20, 30 years ago, back when you know Jordan you know, was, was the king of the world. We'll go like 10, 12 years ago, the, the Lakers with Kobe Bryant and Shaquille stole you know, at his semi-peak. How would that team, in your opinion, face off against the Warriors? I, I think the Warriors would beat them, though. Really? Yeah, I think they would, but... Uh, the thing, what's hard to compare with Golden State is it's a different type of team. It's this, uh, it's this kind of like fast shoot. Well, cause they're kind of like a finesse team. Yeah, it's this fast three-point shooting team that, uh, and so that's why I know what Charles Barkley was saying. It he's saying that the the Bulls were just gonna would just physically run them over. But uh, I I don't know how how could the mid '90s Bulls actually handle a team like Golden State? They, I don't think they had to deal with any team like this. Back then, so I don't know how they could handle them. It's possible they would run them over. It's also possible that they wouldn't uh, 
they wouldn't be able to handle this, and they just get uh, they get beat like everybody else is this year. So uh, it is it is hard to compare teams from different eras, but I, I think what's interesting to me is that to have this at the same time one team that is winning more than any team in history so far and one team that's losing more than any team in history so far there has never been a 27 and 1 team in the NBA before there's never been a 1 and 30 team in the NBA before but you have them both this year and then uh and then <laughs> as you said the lakers at 5 and 24 they would be the the bottom of this normally they started out the third period tonight they got outscored like 28 to 4 or something like that it was embarrassing they, uh, and you know, you have to give him credit. I mean, he's still putting up a lot of shots. He's probably probably is stunting the growth of the Lakers, but it seems as if Kobe Bryant's got a little better as of late. Yeah, he made it. Well, I'm just saying, like you know, relatively speaking, uh, you know, uh, won the other night in a win against Denver, and tonight I don't know. He had 19 at half. I don't know what he finished with, but I want to know maybe because he's retiring. But who goes to NBA or not? Who goes to Lakers games now? You know what the team is. You know it's awful. You know that the only team they're better than is Philadelphia, uh, and they and they're the one team that they lost to. Uh, they're, they're the one team that Philadelphia beat. So, why do you go to a Laker game at this point? You know the team's probably going to get clobbered, especially well, against like a Oklahoma City who just beat them today by an obscene amount of points. Yeah, he's averaging. Yeah, he's still. Well, I don't know, but this is this is something that. How I feel, and and you know, I know most people are different than me. Uh, I, I have never been a bandwagon jumper in my life. I've always been a big proponent that you know you support your team when they're good, when they're great, when they're when they're bad. Um, you know, I was lucky, like my, probably you know my pro everything's Florida with me. It's either my college team, which is Florida State, or somewhere in South Florida, like the Dolphins or the Heat. Uh, you know, I was lucky when I was in college. It was during that run where Florida State and college football was just amazing. Um, but, you know, I guess the Dolphins are a good example. I've probably been to 40, 50 Dolphin games the course of my life, and they've never been good. The last time they were, you know, good, good uh, was when I was 10 years old. And Marino's second year, they made a Super Bowl. But I went to as many games as I could when I was young, and I still supported them. And I guess the NFL is a little bit different than the NBA because there's eight home games, yeah. you know, during the regular season versus 41. But, you know, I'm sure there's still a lot of true fans that, that, you know, are Lakers fans. You know, it's not the ones you're going to see on TV that are, you know, in the Jack Nicholson, you know, seats. But there are still people that are there that are just huge Laker fans that love the tailgating and social aspect of it. Okay, but, but hang on. There's one thing if you have a team that's like uh, 14 and 16 and, and you go, okay, they're, they're not going to win the championship. They pr- they may not even make the playoffs, but, but at least... Yeah, but they- you know, when you start the season off, for the most part, 90% of the teams you could basically say, for the most part, aren't going to win. I know, but it, but at, so least you get, know- at, at least you get to watch them frequently. Or by, by frequently, I don't mean most of the time, but like a 14 and 16 team, you're going to see 14 games out of 30 where they're, yeah, but, they're the winner. So, it, so it's fun to watch theory, though, But for, for most years... 90% of the league are going to have just empty seats then because there's always going to be teams like that. So, no, no, I, no, but 90% of the league wouldn't be have a horrendous record. I'm talking about a well, team that has an awful record where not only don't they have a chance the to win. What's the difference? Okay, realistically, would you be happier if the Lakers were more mediocre, like, say, the Dallas Mavericks were, right around hovering around 500 than 10 games under 500? Yes, because, okay, 
as a fan I, I of the team, yeah, because you at least get to see the team you like winning. To to have to show up. Think of this game tonight, okay? There's this team. They played the uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Thunder, and they were. Uh, what they lose by like? They lost points? by thirty-five. Okay, so they lost by thirty-five at at home. So you go to see this game. You pay for the tickets. You pay for parking, everything else, and you watch the team just get clobbered. It's no fun to just show up and your team just gets absolutely destroyed. Of course not, but that's part of what being a true fan out of. But, but hold on, but, but to see this day after day after day after day is just it just gets depressing to watch. It's not fun anymore when the the Lakers are five and twenty-four. Uh, at home, they are two and eight well, so far. Okay. And then the other reason that you could justify at least this year is people want to see history. They want to see Kobe Bryant one more time. That could be the only thing. But that's the other thing is it's not like you have a really good Kobe Bryant and the rest of the team's terrible. So at least you get to watch a good no, Kobe. So right, but it's well, look, he's been hurt the last three years. He's finally healthy, and you know it's it's his swan song. You're never going to see him again, for better or worse. Like the guy, hate the guy. He's a legend. I mean, do you agree? He's yes, but be, but I don't want, I wouldn't want to see him this way. I'd want he's to definitely he's definitely one of the la- the top five basketball players, you know, definitely of our era and maybe even all time. I, I I much prefer the memories I have of the Lakers games I went to when Kobe Bryant was good and whether they won or lost the game, you got to see him playing well and, and being the Kobe Bryant that you remember, not this one now who, who when he made one dunk, the first one of the season, everyone said, Oh my god, Kobe Bryant can make a dunk still. I mean that's a joke. Well, I think we talked about this before, but I feel like he's done enough for the Lakers and for the city that, you know, this is what he wants. He wants his last year. And I think they knew that. I mean, I don't think they, they when they gave him this massive 25 or $30 million contract uh, for this year, or, or I guess it was a $60 million contract for two years. I don't think they think they'd be this bad, but they kind of knew what they were doing. They're giving him the money. It's a swan song. It's kind of like his little parting gift. And, uh, yeah, I know. I'm just I'm just talking about the to to watch the, your team lose day after day after day you know, there, and get blown see, out so many days. I'm not saying this to, to you know to I don't know. I don't think I'm picking on you anyhow. But there are people like that, Druff, that are just true sports fans to the core. I mean, just think of all the team. The, 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 like, look at a team like in the NFL, even like the Cincinnati Bengals that have been so bad for so long, and still people go there and they tailgate and they root them on. Or I mean, they're I think you're just more privileged because you grew up in L.A. where normally, you know, within a decade, you know, you're going to have a couple, whether it's baseball or not really football, but baseball or basketball, you're going to have a couple chances at, at a championship. There are places where people have gone their whole lifetime with it, and it's just part, I don't know, look at the Cubs, for instance. You know, for and now they're better, but they were losing 80, 90, 100 games, and you know what? Wrigley Field was sold out. You couldn't even get a, a ticket there, like at a three o'clock game in the middle of the yeah, week. Yeah, but this is even worse than that because look, look at the—they've got a one seventy-two winning percentage. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I agree, losing isn't fun, but the, but there are definitely people out well, there. There's losing and there's losing. You know, there obviously are. The stadium would be empty, but uh, I'm not. I'm not saying there aren't. I'm just kind of wondering what their thoughts are. I, I would think it'd be depressing to go to these games and see them just get blown out game after game, losing. I mean, if I was game. a season ticket holder, I couldn't go there for forty-one games and watch this. I couldn't. I'll, I'll be honest to you. Even yeah, you know, that's but what I'm I still would I still go to games because they're my team and I'd want to support them. And of course, I would. Now I can, see. I couldn't when they're that bad. I couldn't do it. Like, I mean, and so, so I'm going to I'm going to bring up another topic. Which all is, those years when the Dodgers were kind of mediocre to the bad, did you not go to Dodger games? That if no, I went because they were. Uh, they were never like this, like the Lakers are now. So that's the difference. Is that 
it's one thing to be bad or or moderately bad, but to be horrendous to where you have a 172 winning percentage is just I, I think it's depressing to watch. And even if with a star's final year, if he's like a different player because of his age and because of yeah. injuries, then you're not even you don't even feel like you're watching the same guy. You, you'd actually prefer to have the memory of when he was really good. So, like the Dodgers next year, that's one of the topics they have on the agenda. The Dodgers next year are an interesting subject at this point because, believe it or not, despite all the money, they may be considering 2016 as a semi-rebuilding year. They they didn't make any big signings. They let all the big signings go to other teams, including their own Zach Greinke. Yeah, but at some point, you got to just say how much... How insane can we get? Well, you can, but they I mean, but they've already spent. How much did Arizona give Granky? They gave him uh, thirty four million a year for six years. So you got to add. I mean, so the Dodgers with thirty four at six, that's one eighty. But but see, here's twenty four. It's a hundred, like a hundred, almost two hundred million. No, it's, what do you, no, it's two hundred four. Oh, two hundred four. So what would the Dodgers have had to give him? Do you think? Oh, uh, probably if they matched it, he would have stayed. Or or uh, I mean, you don't. Know, he probably would have given like a five million dollar hometown discount. But just say two hundred million. I mean that that would jack up your payroll. I mean that's just insane. Yes, but hold on. But you, there's mediocre players they they sign and have signed. Yeah, it's the, the Japanese guy for like 16 million a year. So you'd rather, yeah. I'd rather rather have one Granky than two of these mediocre players. So, so I I agree the 34 million is still insane, and I I think it's too much. But uh, if you're going to be spending so much on mediocre players, you might as well spend on the big guys. It's almost like when you if in fantasy baseball when you go to those auction type fantasy baseball. Uh, that's actually what I do—the auction type, not the the draft type, where you you actually bid on players. Uh, one of the pieces of advice they give to people who go to auction type, who do ha- auction type fantasy baseball leagues, is don't be afraid to overpay for the big stars because there's only a few of them, and once they're gone, they're gone, and uh, and you're going to need some of them for your team to win. So didn't don't... that Peter DC get your room for an auction style? Fantasy baseball. He did. Drop. Yes, he did do that. And he got you some free shrimp cocktail. No, he got a free lunch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so anyway, with with the Dodgers, it seems like they're not making these moves, and it seems like they kind of just want to sit. This is from what I've seen at least early in the offseason. That Andrew Feldman isn't that his name? Yeah, he's a smart kid. He's a Jew. well. I hope so because he's not uh, he's not doing anything, and so far everything he's done has kind of been a fail. So, it seems like since the Dodgers do have some good young players. Uh, some of whom are already in the majors, some of whom are not, but will be soon. And also because there's a big free agent class coming in 2018, like uh, Bryce Harper and Paul Goldschmidt and other things like that. Bryce Harper is going to be the first uh, $500 million player, maybe. mark my words. Maybe. So so that maybe they are just saying, screw this, we're just going to... Templar, he grew up with him. <laughs> maybe. You know, I happened to hear on the streaming reruns when we called the Templar, and he was <laughs> promising really? to come back Templar. and pay. But... Fucking believable. Yeah. So we. So anyway, the Dodgers, I think, might be just biding their time for the next two years, and maybe kind of aiming to play like. No, it does make sense. How can you bide your time with a two hundred million dollars? Because because what they're, I think, what they're doing is letting some. They they don't want to sign any big, expensive new contracts that may be problem problematic down the line, like people like Granky. That uh, I mean, they were trying to get him. Well, you know what? What are they going to do when he opts out next year? When uh, what's his name? Your boy Crenshaw. Now, Kershaw is still younger, so they, they'll probably resign him. 
He's still. You he's hate young. those opt-out clauses, don't I know, you? I, I hate. The, I hate them. But, but listen, I think that they're waiting for the 2018 class because one, they'll be able to sign some major free agents then. I and, think and, by opening day they're going to have Jose Fernandez. We'll see. Um, well, then they'll be stupid because they'll have to give up something too big. Fernandez already has arm problems, so that's, they don't want. They shouldn't want that. I know they've been talking about it, but I think uh, it's a mistake. I mean, in baseball, you get an arm. You know, anything's a gamble. He could be healthy for the next ten years, or he could be, you know. Yeah, but it's already off to a bad. It's off huh? to a bad start. <laughs> it's so early in his career for that to happen. That's you, you don't want to give up the farm for that. I'm not saying he's worthless. I'm just saying you don't want to give up the farm for that, in my opinion. But uh, I think you know they're waiting for uh, for Urias and you know see what Seager can do this year. And I think they're believing that by 2018, this class of youngsters they have plus the contracts that will fall off that they'll be able to pay for these new free agents coming up that they'll not only be able to have an excellent team but that the payroll won't even be that insane because a lot of the big contracts they have now will have fallen off by then and i think in the meantime they don't want to gut the team and make it an awful team that's going to lose 95 games but i think at the same time they may be all right with being a middling team that wins 83 games and uh, like unfortunately right now they kind of look like a 500 ball club to me so it, it seems crazy that the team with this much money would be okay with being like a 500 ball club. But what, I think, what, what I think either the del- payroll is going to be this coming year. I'm not even sure what it's going to be. Some contracts have fallen off, and I'd have to look at it. But what I can tell you is that the, this team does not look that good right now, and they've got the second base problem. Your Marlins there received uh, D Gordon, and I, that, I, yeah. that trade was kind of weird because. Kendrick, they only got him for one year, and they knew they were only getting him for one year. And it was like a three-way trade where they got Haney and then flipped him for Kendrick and then sent D. Gordon. Now, the weird thing was the weird thing was uh, the Dodgers general manager, Zaidi. Who do you think I'm – lo- I'm looking right now. Who do you think their most expensive position player is, the Dodgers? Uh, it, it, it might be Carl Crawford. It is. Yeah. What do you think he makes? Probably $21 million or something. Twenty point seven five million. Yeah, how close I was. So. They got Andre Ethier. He's making eighteen million. Yeah, a lot of these are going to fall off by two thousand eighteen, two thousand nineteen. So Brett, uh, is Brent Anderson even a good pitcher? No, they just signed him for a year for the fifteen point eight million. Yeah, for a year. They just, that's new. That the that Friedman just did that one. It's only for one year, but still, like that's what I mean. He's just mediocre, and he and he's not used to pitching a long time. He was terrible. They got in the two playoffs. guys that are in the minor leagues making eight point five this year. Uh, Arrestabel Arborana? Yeah, know. he didn't work. He was a Cuban player. He didn't work. Yeah, out. and then Jose Tabata. They're each making four and well, four. Well, I, Jose Tabata they got from the Pirates who may have given them. Oh, cash. that's so cute. It says under old friends, Matt Kemp, they're paying $3.5 million this year. <laughs> old friends. I'm looking at USA Today. That's funny. It, but, but, yeah, I, I don't think that uh, – I don't think the team looks very good, and uh, they've. I haven't been. Impressed. At least they declined Bronson Arroyo's fourteen million dollar club option for two thousand sixteen. Well, I, th- I think Benjamin could have known to do that. Jesus, he's a no good, throwaway garbage. <laughs> oh, they're still playing Josh Beckett a little bit too. That's cute. <laughs> they're still paying him. Well, yeah, this is a deferred crap, but yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I, I just, I don't oh, see. Bobby Bonilla still getting paid. <laughs> he not, is. At least not, I know, at least not by the Dodgers. Yeah. I, I just don't see unless they make some major moves or unless there's some surprise out of the youngsters where the uh, you know, Jock Peterson gets a swing back and Corey Seager has a monster year. Like there could be some surprises, but I, I, especially like even this, the starting pitching kind of looks fail this year beyond Kershaw. 
So I I think I don't think it's gonna be a terrible team, but I don't I don't see Yikes, you guys have Chase Hutley on the books this year too. No, they that's a new thing too. They just added him for seven million. Yeah, so I'm looking at that. Yeah. I mean he's a I would for leadership? I mean what what? He's yeah, a that's, down that's, old goat. That's the point. Is like they, they they're wasting too much money on, on ones like that. Like Chase Utley could have some value for maybe two million or something, but not for seven. I even think two million is worth. I mean, no for, offense. For, I, no, for the leadership, uh, he probably still pinch hit okay at this point, but and, and play backup I mean, if someone gets hurt. They added like in the low twos last year. I know year, they, like, they have a, well, they have a problem with second base because they think that whole fucking slide thing got them just you know got the whole fan base invigorated and you know talking about yeah, the that, playoffs. That, that may have been a seven million dollar slide. Who knows? Last year he got paid ten million dollars plus a five million dollar roster spot. He was a fifteen million dollar player. Fuck, his agent is the one that, that really locked out. How do they negotiate him a $7 million contract? It was crazy. That's what I'm saying. They're, they're spending all this money on, on failed players. If they're going to do that, they might as well have kept Granky. Okay, uh, and this is wrong. He gets an additional $15 million if he hits 500 plate appearances in either 16, 17, or 18. That's actually pretty nuts, but I, he won't get that many plate appearances. No, but they are, they are kind of thin at second base. 500 plate appearances? Well, it depends how thin they get at second base. They, they, they're hoping that uh, – so they just shipped out Peraza, so they can't use him anymore. So they're, they're hoping that Kike Hernandez can play second, but who knows? And they he signed can, Scott Van Slyke. He's good off the bench, but – Yeah. It's, it's just uh, – it seems like an okay team. That's what it Who's looks Joe like. Joe that a relief pitcher? Uh, I think they just got him in a trade. He's the cheapest guy on the whole roster. Five hundred ninety thousand. That's the, probably the minimum. Oh no, they got him in a trade a year ago, two thousand fourteen. Okay. From from the Padres. Anyhow, I uh, yeah. Good luck. I mean, I you know I, I have the worst situation in the world. I mean, I don't even have a shot before the season starts. Yeah, I know. But you know when you say that, you really don't have a shot. I mean, I have the probably. I mean, I guess you could argue, but I think most people would. Agree that I have the worst owner in baseball. Yeah, you do. You do. The, the I don't think the there's a owner. worse owner than than him. Well, at least at least you got D Gordon. Yeah, and it's just amazing the talent that's come through Miami. All, you know, just well, over the years, and 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 then he makes his move and he gives Stanton like a quarter yeah, he, billion dollars, which. I mean, I get it. That's fine. Keep him there, but you overpay for him. Yet you don't give anyone. It doesn't make any sense. I don't know what he's doing. I, well, I, provided Stanton stays healthy, they can ship him easily. There's yeah. a lot of teams that want him. He's got massive power, and he hits decent for average. He doesn't, you know, strikes out a lot, but most most of these power hitters do. But I don't know. Yeah, he's the, he's the best power hitter in the National League now. So even so, more than the Harper. I think Harper. I think Stanton's numbers. a better. I, I think he's better provided he stays healthy. Harper's a better player overall, but. Uh, Stanton has more power. I think he's got the most power. In fact, uh, I think Stanton is Vince Scully's favorite non-Dodgers player. Vince Scully always talks so glowingly about uh, Stanton. Well, that's right. Bryce Harper, I forgot he was born in Vegas. Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ. He was born in 92. So when I moved out here, he was like eight, nine years old. <laughs> that's, wow. He well, went to the college of, he went to the community college here. And he went to Vegas High. I, mean, I forgot about that. There's a lot of players born after that. Yeah, ninety two is not even that young anymore. No, I know, I know. Unbelievable. 
Yeah, I, like I, like some of the, let's have it just in poker. People who'll be at the World Series next year were born in '95. That's 23 years old then. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Well, uh, I, I think we're that's about it. And you know, this is going to be the end for the year. There's not going to be any more poker fraud alert radio in 2000. 15 that's it i'm not doing it next week and uh, the next show will be on wednesday january 6th around 7 30 p.m and you're welcome to join again and daredevil i think i think he'll be back at that when is it january what january 6th Mm. so you did all the poker talk we talked about talked about the woman that crashed yeah everything's done oh no no everything's not done with one more thing the Colossus? No, uh, credit card bonus warrant. Oh. Uh, I was surprised to see on the forum that some people hadn't read the credit card bonus warrant thread that I had, and I've bumped it a number of times over the years since I started it. But credit card bonus warrant, for those of you guys that don't know, and I know Brandon does it as well, so I'm not, yeah. I'm not just the only one who does it, but credit card bonus warrant is signing up for new credit cards Spending the minimum to get the bonus, which is can depend on from card to card, but sometimes can be pretty good. They can be uh, as much as uh, five hundred, six hundred, seven hundred dollars of value. Sometimes even cash you get, and for spending like anywhere between two and five thousand dollars. So you can imagine that's a pretty good return. And then just not using the card anymore once you're done running up what you need to run up to get the bonus, and then moving on to a different card. Now, there's a finite number of cards. Eventually, you'll run out of cards. But the point is, while you do this, for each new card you get, you can really get... And as long as it's not one of the cards where there's an annual fee attached to it after the first year, you don't necessarily have to be done with the card when yeah, you're done. Yeah, you don't have to be totally done unless it's a useless card to you. But yeah, right. And also, if you, you'll pick up some of these that have some use. Like, it, it'll have uh, uh, 2% cash back on everything, or, or 3% on, on gas, or uh, or 3% on a category. Or some of them have, like, quarterly changes. Yeah, yeah. You quarterly just opt changes, in and, yeah. yeah. So, so, so you'll find that some of these cards have use anyway. And if you're careful, you say, okay, well, this card is what I only use this for gasoline because it gives me 3% back. Or I only use this where you keep it or watch when the, the ones that change every quarter. You watch what they're giving you 5% as, like the Chase Freedom card. There's a rolling 5% you're going to get back. One quarter will be gas. One quarter will be restaurants. One quarter will be uh, Amazon.com, whatever. So you pay attention to that when using your card. But that's not, that part is not so much the bonus whoring. That's kind of the minor part of bonus whoring. Because that's just the uh, – th- pretty much a lot of people do that where they look at which cards they have and which ones give them the best benefits for whatever category and using that. But the, the major part is signing up for new cards, running up whatever you need to run up, the minimum for the bonus, and then either canceling the card before an annual fee comes or just leaving the card if there's no annual fee. And you can really eventually add up thousands of dollars doing this, and it's completely legal. Uh, it's not going to hurt your credit as much as you think. Is your credit store going to go down a little bit? Yes, but not not horribly. I've dropped, and I, you know what? I'm not saying this to brag, but I probably have every. I, I know I have F, definitely every good card I could have out there, um, and then some. I probably I think I've lost about twenty twenty points, just depending on the site. My credit score is going down about an average of twenty. Well, mine mine slipped more than that. Mine went from like like an eight 
ten type thing to like a seven seventy. So I lost about forty points, but it's not like seven seventy is terrible. It's just not as good as a ten. And I, and the truth is, right now I don't really need. That and at that point, it, there's nothing for the most part that you're gonna need at you know that that you'll get at eight ten that you won't get at seven seventy. If that makes any sense. Yeah. So you know, it's not gonna impair you in any way from. Whatever it is you want to yeah, do. Yeah, some people have this nightmare like if they try this, they're going to fall from eight ten to six hundred. It's never going to happen. No. And and so so don't fear to the credit card the credit score too much. But you can this really adds up because there are so many different benefits, and you can, you can Google it of uh, uh, best credit card bonuses, and you'll find them like NerdWallet.com has some. You'll see, and you should basically shoot for the ones that are a value of about a minimum of three hundred. And 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 shoot for the the top ones first. That will get you five hundred, six hundred of value. And sometimes it'll be cash back. Sometimes it will be hotel benefits, like hotel points, which you can see the. Sometimes it will be uh, airline tickets. Airline er, airline miles, yeah. And uh, sometimes it'll be weird, kind of like travel credits, where you can get anything travel related, and it'll just credit it off your statement. So there's a, there's a lot of ways that they do it, but uh, provided you have use for whatever categories. Like if you don't ever travel, then don't ever get the airline or hotel cards. They'll be useless. But if you do travel, you don't have to be like a, a massive traveler. If you travel, or travel twice a year or something, you can make use of these. Even once a year with a long trip, you can make use of these things. And, and keep in mind with airline miles, of course, you can also buy tickets for other people. Like uh, So even if you don't travel, if you're – father does and you want to buy your father a ticket you can do that that's totally allowed with uh, with airline miles as you probably know so y- there are so many of them out there and eventually you'll run out it looks like brandon and i have both kind of run out of cards to bonus whore with for the moment but but new ones do come out and you, and you can continue at that point and here's some other tips uh you can get back the same bonus you've had before after a certain amount of time and every bank has a different rule on that so some banks have it based upon when you opened the card, not so much when you canceled it. So, like, I think Citibank's like this for the most part, where if you've opened a card, uh, they, they pay attention to the opening date. So if you open the Are card... Are you talking about how long you have, the 90 days? No I'm, talk, no, I'm talking about to get the bonus again on the identical card. Oh, okay. Uh, to do it twice. Sometimes, like, if you open the card three years ago and still have it, but then cancel it and wait 30 days, you can get it again, whereas other cards... You actually right. have to have it canceled for a year or two years. But you should you, – you can Google this and figure this out as well. And if you can't, you can actually call up and ask them honestly, uh, what are the rules as far as applying for this card again if I cancel it, getting the bonus? And they'll tell you, oh, you have to have it canceled for 12 months or it, it's based upon your original date you got the card. They'll tell you, and then you can, you can do that, and you, you can get multiple bonuses if you start to run out of these cards. Uh this sounds like it could be a pain in the ass, but it'll really add up over time. If you get a lot of these, it'll add up to thousands of dollars, and you don't have to run up that much money on them. If you spend like 2K, 3K a month on credit cards, you should be doing this. You shouldn't be just running it on the same card over and over. It's definitely worth it. It's not like you're putting a lot of effort out to make 50 bucks. I wouldn't do that. But this is this is putting minor effort out to make thousands. And, uh, yeah, if, it, if thousands... If you don't get excited, if you don't get tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands, you probably shouldn't do this. Then it's not worth it to you. But uh, but to me, the money is enough to where it's worth it. And it's also just kind of a cool feeling to travel, for example, and know that this is what paid for it. I took a trip in the summer, a road trip. I drove from uh, 
I'll be right back, Jeff. Keep okay. going. From, from L.A. up to Seattle, stopping in a whole lot of different places, a two-week trip. And most of the hotels on the way were paid by a credit card bonus whore. And, and it was a good feeling to know I'm staying in hotel after hotel after hotel, uh, some of which were nice hotels, and, and not paying a dime. And knowing that uh, I did this not by staying in these hotels you know, 50 times and earning these nights, but just by signing up for these credit cards and running 2K, 3K on whatever cards I had to do. And here's some tips on how to get approved. Now, you might think that if you apply for several of these bonus cards from the same bank, they're going to reject you, or they're going to catch on to what you're doing and ban you in some way or get mad. But believe it or not, that's not true. These banks, for whatever reason, and I wouldn't feel this way if I ran these banks, but for whatever reason, these banks do not care about credit card bonus warning. They're perfectly okay with you doing this. Now, I'm not saying you should call up and tell them this is what you're doing, but they are not attempting to stop this in any way. Nor is it illegal, nor is it unethical. There's nothing wrong with it. You're basically redeeming offers that they're making to you and doing it optimally. That's what you're really doing. And honestly, the last businesses you should feel sorry for anyway are banks. But... They don't care if you have five different bonus cards with them. They don't care how many bonuses you've redeemed. As I said, they should care, but they don't. For some reason, this is not a concern of any of these banks. Their concern tends to be, number one, how much total credit you have with them, and number two, how many new cards you've opened up recently. So they don't like it when you open up three cards in a short period of time from the same bank. So if you order three cards, which are chase cards, and you'll see when you're applying which bank it is. So uh, if, if, if it's Chase every time, you don't, want to, or you don't want to apply three times for three different cards for Chase in 14 days. You're going to get rejected because they're going to see it as too many account openings with them in a short time. But So they don't like that, and they also don't like it if you obtain too much credit. So what will start happening after you've applied for enough of these is you're going to stop getting as many instant approvals online where they just snap approve you. And it's going to start becoming a situation where you're told, we still have to make some decisions. We'll get back to you. We'll mail you the decision. And in most cases, what that means is you're rejected. Not always, but in most cases, it means you're going to get a letter that you got rejected. And it will tell you at that point, if you want to appeal the rejection, to write to some P.O. box in some other state and uh, wait 30 days for a response. My answer to that is bullshit. Do not do that. You can usually talk their, what they call the loan department or the lending department, which is what oversees who gets approved for these cards. You can usually talk them into approving you even after a rejection. So what you need to do is you need to find out the number of the lending department or whatever department's in charge of these approvals, get them on the phone, and nail them down. And make sure you speak to someone in the U.S. You hear an accent, you say, are we in the U.S.? No, transfer me there. Do not even try to deal with the Philippines or India or any other country because they will not be able to help you. You need to speak to someone in the U.S. to overturn these rejections. But if you get rejected, don't fret. Call up, get someone in the lending department in the U.S., the department that makes these decisions. Ask them why they rejected you. If it has to do with credit, immediately volunteer to swap your credit from other cards with them. This is if you have a card with them already. So let's say you have two Chase cards. You apply for a third. They reject you. Say to them, look, I'm not looking for new credit with Chase. 
go ahead and take such and such credit off those other two cards and move it to this card. And that will often result in an approval. Another thing they sometimes complain about, as I said, is you open too many cards in a short time. Tell them that you have different needs for these cards. You didn't realize that's a problem. And again, you don't want – you're not looking for more credit. You're happy for them to transfer credit from the other ones to this card. And they will reconsider it, and you will usually get approved. In fact, I am betting 1,000 so far, and this is probably about 10 different times I've had to do this. Uh, with reversing rejections. I have never been ultimately denied with reversing rejections. In fact, other people I've known who've bonus hoard who've gotten frustrated with this. I don't fight about the reverse rejection. Oh, no, I, I, oh, I've, I've fought and I've, I've won every single time. The only ones I get is they'll say, you have too much credit from this company or you have oh, too yeah, many yeah. accounts open up then you, then you tell them, time. Then you tell them to switch the credit around. Tell them to transfer credit from one account to the other, to the new one. It's uh, I, I have... I have Every single time I've been rejected, talked them into it. And it's not too hard. You just got to get to the right department. So, a mumbling fuck. He needs a new credit card for a computer. I see. <laughs> so, I mean, really, we mumbling fuck. <laughs> so, so you can you can get those reversed, and also never let them tell you that you're going to be. If you get that department on the phone, don't ever let them tell you that they're going to inform you by mail or they're going to make a decision and they'll get back to you in 14 days. Ask them for a decision immediately, and they can typically get one for you. Like they'll say, okay, well, we're going to reconsider it. We'll let you know in 14 days. I say, actually, I need the credit card now. Can you decide now? Okay, hold on. Yeah, okay, I just checked with our supervisor. You're approved. Like it's, it's that easy. So don't take no for an answer with these. You'll usually get approved after initially getting rejected, especially if you have other cards with them successfully. And don't ever be afraid to have multiple cards of the same bank thinking they're going to catch the bonus whoring. They don't care. They should care. They don't care. So uh, I, I think I have like six of them with Chase right now. And uh, What do you think about this kid, uh, Martin? How do you pronounce his last name? Curacao? No, no. Uh, Shrekley? Oh, that guy! Yeah, Jesus well, he's like, he's like, Christ! He's, this guy's all over the news. Oh, yeah, he's like buying public, a Wu Tang album for two million. He's he like public. Jacked up a one. pill from. Now explain this to me. He, uh, do you know anything about how f- these pharmaceutical companies work? Well, you see, he, he bought the. Uh, he bought a dorm, basically a dormant drug for fifty-five million dollars. This little-known drug that's hardly used that helps only people that have some parasitic problem disease that normally is only an AIDS or cancer patient yeah. but most people don't even ever need this drug then jacked it up to set from 1350 a pill to 750 a pill do you, what do you know about this guy yeah that's basically what he did and uh, and he didn't expect the backlash he just expected people who need it will pay and he figured that uh, uh, that's a way to make easy money and he didn't expect the public backlash here and uh, Hillary Clinton tweeted at him, or the Hillary Clinton tweet or Twitter account that said something to the effect of that he needs to do the right thing morally and reverse the price back to seven dollars and fifty cents. And he tweeted at Hillary Clinton, "LOL." <laughs> That's all he responded. <laughs> so anyhow, he's in some trouble though. Yeah, Trump. he's in some trouble with sort of securities fraud, and uh, yeah, this this guy he, he started. Appear- he ran a Ponzi scheme. Yeah, he he started he started appearing on. Interviews too about this. It wasn't like he was hiding. It's almost like he liked the negative attention. He was he's a really weird guy, and and he was like universally hated. It's not even like someone who 
like one side of the political spectrum likes and the other doesn't. Like nobody likes him. And then he's just kind of a weird, slimy guy who is really, really selfish and doesn't mind everybody hating him. He just likes the attention. So, yeah, I guess he's in trouble now, too. And the last I had heard with that drug was that some company figured out how to make a generic version of it that and sell it for a dollar each. So, I don't know he if they went through it with it. 5,000%. Uh, yeah, it's, but you know, you gotta give it, I mean, I, I'm not, I mean, to be that young, he's 31 years old and he started two of these companies that have, even the media said have been successful. The guy's gotta be pretty smart. Yeah, he's, he's smart, but very weird. That's, yeah. that's the best way to describe him. And obviously he doesn't care about people and, the, and doesn't even care about his, the public perception of him. He almost seems to enjoy the negative publicity. So, uh, this can be a problem where these uh, see, with these pharmaceutical companies, it can be a problem where if it's something that is uh, not used by a massive number of people, uh, the, the how is a drug that's even important like dormant that he can just swoop in and buy it and then like raise it to whatever he wants? It's kind of crazy. Well, yeah, because they because again they can this is like it's a free market they can charge what they want. And the problem is. Sometimes these companies feel that they have to charge ridiculous amounts of money for the drugs to pay for all the research they did to to get the drug in the first place, and and in his case, is to buy it. So that's why they charge so much. Whereas if the drug is is widely used, then they make enough money from volume. But if there's not that much volume, some of these drugs can be very very expensive, and that's why it's frustrating as as a consumer. As a patient, it sucks when you go to the pharmacy and you're hoping that they're going to just ask you for a $10 copay. And they say, okay, well, for this, it's going to be $460, please. And you just feel like, that's insane. Like, I'm not going to pay for that for medicine. But uh, this is a reality. The, the, the whole health care system in the U.S. is screwed up. There, there's, and, and some people say, oh, just make it uh, a single-payer. Uh, government pays everything sort of thing like they have in Europe, it's all going to get better. It won't. It's a, That's going to introduce a whole new set of problems. Uh, but there, just, there does need to be reform to health care in the U.S. Uh, some problem with the health care in the U.S. is that a lot of times what is really, really expensive shouldn't be. There's a lot of really inflated prices that shouldn't be. And then there's some things that actually uh, don't cost as much as you think they otherwise would. Uh, th- this is an example I'll give you. When, uh, Benjamin, when he was uh, a few years ago, he hit his head on on the side of a table and uh, got a big cut near his eyebrow. So it's going to need stitches. And I knew that uh, you don't want to have anyone stitching up your face unless they're an expert. It's different if it's on your hand or something. You don't care that much if there's a scar, but you don't want a scar on your face. So if you need stitches on your face, it's always good to get a plastic surgeon to do it. And if you're in the ER, you should always say, I want a plastic surgeon. So it, it happened on a Sunday, which is unfortunate. On a Monday, I could have just walked into a plastic surgeon's office and paid a $35 copay and gotten it done. That would be that. Well, well, I mean, not th- it would have been more than 35 but not that much more. 
But the ER always costs a lot of money. So uh, we went to the ER. He was seen. They had to give him some anesthetic to uh, because you know, he was only two years old. They uh, He can't sit still when they're stitching up his eye, near his eye. So they have to give him this anesthetic, which almost completely knocks him out. And uh, so a plastic surgeon, they called him in. He came in on a Sunday. He did all the hard stuff. And fortunately, it was so close to Benjamin's eyebrow that uh, it, the hair actually grew over it. So you can't even uh, see it anyway anymore, which is good for him. But uh, the, the plastic surgeon seemed like he did a good job anyway. And then I saw the bills come in. And he has insurance. So I got to see, number one, how much the was billed. Number two, how much was allowed by the insurance company. And number three, how much was actually paid. And the one who made the least money in this whole thing was the plastic surgeon who did the most important work. The hospital made the most. The anesthesiologist made the second most. The plastic surgeon made the least. By far. And uh, the, the ER made it, got a lot of money out of this just for admitting him and uh, having him in there while they did this and uh, you know, having the bed available and all that. So it was, it was very eye-opening. I mean, I knew about the situation, but it's just, it's very, it's, I wouldn't say random, but it's, it's not well correlated, the costs in medicine. A lot of times uh, testing, diagnostic tests are much more expensive than surgery or important uh, medical procedures. And the, the way the whole medical billing works is so convoluted because uh, you don't ever know how much it's going to cost when you go in. You know for like a doctor's office visit what the copay is going to be, but you don't know if you need anything done, you never know what the cost is until afterwards, and then you get the bill. Like, Brandon, when you've had medical any medical procedure beyond just an office visit, do you do you ever know what it's going to cost until you get the bill? Of course not. No, no you don't know. So you just and, – and it's you never know. It could be something like super expensive. It could be something cheap. Like they say, go go get this test done. It is so hard or sometimes impossible to find out what that test is going to cost uh, after your insurance gets involved. So sometimes you get a bill for you, you owe $1,200. Sometimes you get a bill that you owe $50. You never know. And uh, so that's another problem. There's like an information blackout, the way the system works. And and and, and heaven forbid you, you go to a place either accidentally or they tell you the wrong thing that doesn't really take your insurance – Boy, you're going to be screwed with an even higher bill. So, you know who can afford uh, these high medical bills? That guy that plays on that Bovada, that Rick Ross. I seen him on the other day. He oh, had a yeah. cool quarter million on there. No, close, cool two hundred thousand. Yeah, a guy sat. A guy sat down in my in my thirty sixty. See what I did there? It's like a segue. Yeah, it was a perfect segue. A guy sat down in my thirty sixty Bovada game. $200,000. $200,000 it sits down with at the 3060 Bovada game. Some can say that if Druff wasn't shooting off in the sports betting on Bovada, you could sit down with a cool 40K. That's, I, actually, I, I sat down with almost a cool 40K. Yeah. I, I showed I had 39-something on there. So Rick Ross sat down with 200K? He sat down with 200K. Uh, Rick Ross, motherfucker. He, he, he says, Rick Ross is the motherfucking boss, and then leaves. He didn't play a hand. That was The whole point was to sit down. Say Rick Ross is the motherfucking boss, and then leave. That's cute. So I don't know where he got the 200k. I don't know if any tournaments pay that much on there, 
Or is he just like not cashing out ever? Like, who is this? Like, it was clearly not someone who plays limit holder. You know what the biggest game on there is, though? Like, I mean, to run it up like that, obviously. Is it 1020 right? no limit? Uh, well, yeah, I guess that, but the, the PLO games. Oh, the PLO also. Yeah, maybe they, they play a lot higher. Whoever it was probably wasn't comfortable in limit hold'em though, because he didn't play one hand. I have to be honest with you. I used to do that in on stars. I'd sit down with like fifty or seventy-five k, or I did in like one cent, two cent limit. Well, yeah, I've done that before too. But play every hand and just talk shit to th- people. That, that's what I've done too. I've done that I've before. Done that. Too. I'm not gonna lie. No, I've done that too. But this guy didn't even do that. He just sat and left. Well, he probably had like an even 200K and didn't want to fuck it up. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking that he just sucks at limit hold'em and, and actually actually does value money and just wanted to flash it. Yeah, I don't think I've ever played on a real tournament in, on Bovada, so I wouldn't even know what it pays. I mean, like their Sunday tournament, their, their big tournament. Yeah, I played like two of them. I cashed one. I didn't cash the other, but I, I didn't really – I forgot what they paid. I don't think it paid 200K. So if you don't mind me asking, you got uh, 40K on there now? Well, I had forty k. I, I lost thirty two hundred last night. What did you? What did you? What was the buy in? I mean, what did you deposit? Um, I, I deposited uh, in this round twelve k. Okay, so you're up twenty eight. Well, I was up twenty eight. Oh yeah, okay, twenty five. <laughs> yeah. So, what is? You know, you, you play a lot more. Why isn't there anything higher than thirty sixty on there? Why don't they have at least a fifty hundred? I'm sure. No, I'm surprised they even have thirty sixty. That, that's. Uh, huh? I'm, I'm happy they have thirty sixty. Don't. No, but I'm just saying. Don't you think it would run? What, yes, why? they don't want it. They don't want the fish dying any faster than they do. Oh, okay, makes sense. Yeah, this is not a site that they want. They don't want pro players there. They they just tolerate them. They do not want pro players. So they. So at what point do you start cashing out a little bit? So what that problem that if you're going to downswing, no, around, around, no, around forty is, is, is like thirty-five to forty is where I, I think is a good place to cash out with thirty, playing thirty, sixty. So now anything you basically, if you hit, you know, if you run up a little bit more, it's time to start cashing out. No, I already hit a cash out. I just hadn't when I posted that screenshot. I hadn't uh, taken out of my account yet. Oh, okay. But they, what what I've uh, done there, see the cash that I do ninety-five hundred at a time, and uh, that's the max they let me do, and. What I what I found with there is that uh, if you play two games, that's just, typically I, I I two table thirty sixty on there, and uh, thirty sixty or one thirty sixty and one twenty forty, whatever's going, whatever the best games are, and I found if you do that, you really want to have a good thirty k there, and at least twenty, because of some of those downswings, which can be brutal if you're running bad on there, because the games are very aggressive. It's 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 it can be tough to make tight folds on there. So what happened yesterday? How, how long did you play for? I played for several hours. I just I just wasn't hitting hands. I was just missing everything. It's one of those things that you just sit down and you... Actually, I sat down I did okay at the beginning, and then I just started to miss every hand. Every time ace-king misses, every time... Like, like just... Uh, uh, every time I got kings and ace flops, just, just bad flops. Well, how many... How, I mean, was it shorthanded the majority of the game, or... Uh, it was it was mixed. Sometimes shorthanded. Sometimes it, it's always six-handed max, but uh, it, it sometimes it was shorthanded. Sometimes it was heads up. Sometimes it was it was three or four-handed. So, do you like the fact that there's the uh, and you, everyone's anonymous on there, or do you prefer? I, I've talked to about be this able before. To take notes? I've talked about this before. Um, for for the cheating aspect, uh, I definitely don't like the anonymous tables. But from the as far as the gameplay aspect, uh, I've actually decided I prefer it. Because it prevents a, a few things I don't like. Uh, number one, 
if any player I have a hard time against, just like I run bad against them or my style doesn't work well against them, whatever it is, there's certain players I just don't do well against. Uh, they don't get in my head. I don't see them and, and like, get it. I don't know if intimidate is the right word. Like but stick man. Yeah, like stick man. Right, 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 stick man. Stick man always got in everybody's head. Yeah, like, like you don't just fear that stick man's going to screw you in some way. You just don't see who it is, and that allows you to play better. Those Russians would hit the river sometimes. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, like you, you see them, and it, it doesn't affect your play. You, you just uh, play against everybody the same way. I mean, after you're at the table a short time, you'll see who's good and who's bad. But you don't have like you. Can, it's hard to tell the difference between one player, one good player, and another good player. So nobody gets in your head, and you can play your A game a lot more easily. Also, um, there's no embarrassment if you're on a losing streak. You don't have, uh, uh, or, or even if you make a, uh, a suboptimal play, and you don't have to worry about uh, what people are going to think of you or, or people making nasty comments. I mean, people make comments, but they don't see who you are. So uh, I, I think it takes some of the stress of, of online poker out when – if you lose, you do so quietly and nobody sees it. Uh, nobody gets in your head because they, uh, they're always hitting against you or their, their style is giving you a hard time. Like you just you can play with confidence against everybody. And I, I just I, I think it's actually better for me to be that way. And, and also people can't get a read on your style either, except for at that particular table. So I, I don't mind the anonymous. At first, I, I left the site because of it, because of the cheating aspect. And I said, well, this is the only choice left for Limit Hold'em. It's either this or nothing. So I tried it, and I decided I actually I actually didn't mind that. Do you even think the security on there is halfway decent? Uh, I, I'm always wondering about that. Yeah. I'm always I don't think wondering. they're even paying attention, to be honest with no, you. No, that's the funny thing. I, I don't think they're paying attention, but the question is, like, as far as security matters, like preventing hackers, like, is that any good? Like the, the, as at least the software built will. Yeah. That that's what I wonder. As far as like p- preventing collusion, they're not paying attention at all. No. They not. they don't give a crap. They don't. I I, mean, I remember years ago when I caught bots there and they didn't give a crap. I, I once proved a bot was a bot by playing eighty three consecutive hands against him with a button. I just going kept going sit out button sit out button sit out button. I played eighty three consecutive hands against a bot. Until the the owner of the bot came over and saw it and and sat out and typed "fu," but I, I I cited that and the fact that I could keep doing that to that same player. This is back in the days when it wasn't anonymous. Like that same guy, I could keep playing just button 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 against him, and until the bot owner would catch it, he he couldn't sit out against me. And instead of Bodog busting him for being a bot, and by the way, this guy was long suspected a bot before I tried that by everybody. Instead of busting him for being a bot, they actually yelled at me for pu- pulling that button trick. They said, I don't have the right to do that. Well, who said that? Uh, the, uh, a, manager, a manager at Bodog told me that. Oh, yeah. a, manager, a manager at Bodog told me that, I, that, that by exploiting that bug and sitting out and sitting back in and getting the button 83 consecutive times that I'm cheating. And I said, well, look, I, 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 could, I can only do this against somebody who is a bot. A, a human being, especially a winning human player like this one. A big winner is never going to allow this. So obviously this is the bot. I've done this to him on multiple days. And they said, yeah, that's, that person just complained about you and you're not allowed to do it. It's like I, 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 this is like a manager there. I was debating with him about it. I said, you should be banning him for being a bot, not banning me for proving he is. But uh, basically they told me that if I do this again, I'm going to be banned. So I had to stop. Wow. But they, they just didn't care about bots. Because the guy was like very high-raking, 
this is back when you could see their names. So like on poker table ratings, it was one of the biggest winners there. And uh, they, yeah. So so you can't even say like this is some ignorant fish who didn't realize I was cheating him. Like this is a a, a big winning player who was long accused of being a bot, and I was able to get him to play me 83 consecutive times with me getting the button every time. Like, if that's not proof that's a bot, then uh, I don't know what yeah. it is. And, and just in case you want to say maybe he was drunk or stoned that day, uh, I did it several other days, too. So, and, and other than that problem, he played normally. So it was totally a bot. There's no question. So Bodog didn't care. Remember the prank call we made to Bodog? Yeah. On behalf of Never Heave, and then we got in trouble at Never Yeah, because it gave us a $10,000. Yeah, yeah. Bodog was seat. dumb enough to give a $10,000 seat to uh, Never Win Poker to give away to the main event of the World Series. And that, that was like one of the first things Poker News negotiated for us when they bought it. And then we had to go and ruin it. We had to prank call Bodog on behalf of Never Heave. And then uh, what, what happened in that call, it was a really funny call, was that Never Heave wanted to know why they closed his account. We were just, we were honestly trying to help him. And then... Do you yeah. remember what, what the result was? Why why did they close his account again? No, was it like an illegal deposit? No, no, or, no, no. That was the whole point of the prank call. So No, but do we ever find out why, though? I mean, do you even... No, no, what? we couldn't find out because they said it's a secret. They said... Oh, no, yeah, no, that's no, right. No, no they didn't say... It's, no, they said, like, no, you can tell us. Yeah, they, okay. No, they said, we can't tell you. And we said, no, no, you don't understand. Uh, oh, why can't you tell us that you know this? This is we've got Dan on the phone with us. You know his name was Dan Baba Neverheap. We have him on the phone with us. He's giving permission. Tell us. They said no, we can't. So we said it's because we're on the phone. We pretended to be his lawyers. Said, no, we can't tell him either. I said wait, wait a minute. You can't tell him why he's banned. No. And so then, if that wasn't ridiculous enough, I said so. Why is it a secret? And she said it's not a secret, sir. I said well, wait a minute. You said you can't tell us. She said yeah. I go well then it's a secret. She says no, it's not a secret. I go, okay, then tell us. No, we're not allowed to tell you. So they said, well, then it's a secret. So we actually stayed on the phone for like 20 minutes with them trying yeah, to demand they, they admitted it was a secret. <laughs> like they we said, okay, then what's a secret? They said, well, a, a secret is, uh, is something that uh, that people aren't allowed to know. I go, okay, well, you're not allowed to tell us, so isn't that a secret? Well, no, no, but it's not a secret. Well, then what is a secret? It was the funniest call. So what happened was... Uh, somehow Bodog found out about this and they were really pissed about it. I, I actually talked to them about this afterwards. I talked to some manager in Toronto about this and they were really pissed about this, that this made them look foolish. Well, it so, did make them look foolish. So, so they, they conceded that the rep didn't handle this well and that the rep shouldn't have... And that it was a secret. Yeah. <laughs> and that the rep shouldn't have stayed on the phone with us for 20 minutes debating about the definition of a secret. <laughs> so, but, but they said that we shouldn't have tried to mock them and make them look so stupid when they're giving us a ten thousand dollars seat. So we That's got this. Yeah, you know, it was a good point. So we got we got this angry email from uh, from Poker News. Marty got it too. Yeah, Marty got it too. <laughs> and uh, so then I tried to save face. I, I you know who's going to probably hear the story? Uh, Robbie Davies, the uh, the Poker News uh, CEO. Then it listens to the show now. And uh, I don't think he's the Poker News CEO anymore. I think now he has some other position there. But uh, Does he listen regularly? Yes. Like, chances are he's listening now? Yes, because, like, uh, I'll get tweets from him about, like, things I talked about, like, way into the show. I don't know if he listens to the entire So he program. could be a big fan of mine? He could be. He, he listens a lot. I don't know if he listens to every episode, but he listens a lot. So, and he likes and the show. Tell me again, he, 
you know this because he's tweeted you? Yeah, he's tweeted me about like a, a number of things he's heard on here, and not like right at the beginning. Like he's heard like just uh, random parts of the show. He'll tweet about, "Oh, I like mm. this thing." That, yeah. So anyway, uh, we got this angry response from Poker News about this. So I said to Mike, "On okay, let me try to smooth this over." So Michael, well, some so, people. So so I went to I went to Poker News and said, "Here, can I talk to Bodog? Let me try to calm them down." So they actually let me, and then they put me on the phone with some manager of Bodog in Toronto, and I was trying to convince him that – you could tell the guy was really pissed, but I was – he was trying to, like, act like it was no big deal, but at the same time you could tell in his voice he was really pissed. He's going, well, I, I heard the call, and I thought it was actually kind of funny, but, you know, this doesn't look very good for our brand. And I, like, I could tell he was trying to make it seem like he had a sense of humor, but he really didn't. And so I was telling him we didn't mean any harm and that it, we were re- honestly just trying to get Never Heaves' account uh, restored. We didn't know what the problem was, and we just thought the thing about the secret was funny, and it was just a radio bit, and nobody took it seriously. But they did take it seriously at Bodog, and they told Poker News that they are revoking the 10K. And finally, after the conversation I had with them, they decided to meet halfway and only give 5K, and that Poker News had to put up the other 5K. And boy, were they angry. So basically, our our prank called the Bodog cost Poker News five thousand dollars. Who won that tournament again? That one Doug oh, that was, something. Doug Man CT won it. Yeah. He wasn't very popular on the. Yeah, playgrounds. everyone got to hate him for some reason. I don't know why. He has an account on Poker Fraud Alert. He has he hasn't posted in a while, but uh, he has an account on Poker Fraud Alert. I don't know if he still listens. <laughs> yeah. So for some reason, uh, I never had a problem with Doug Man CT, but I, I know that like whole crowd that. Eventually moved to Boris. They never liked him. That ski team? The ski team, yeah. They, they, the whole crowd didn't like now, him. Now, do you even have an update on uh, Boba? Uh, he, believe it or not, he's a Facebook friend of mine. and he actually Me too. But... Yeah, he like likes something the other day that I posted. Oh, is he out of the Yeah, he must, he must be alive and out of the jail because he's... You know who messaged me happy birthday last week? That Winkler. The Winkler? No. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, she's out. Oh, she's out? I, I thought you were She's joking. out. No, she's out now. How did she get so fast? I don't know. I guess she smuggled a ton of methamphetamine I th- I in, in, in Australia. They go light on you these days. I thought she was going to be in prison like 25 years. I, that's what she got sentenced to. She <laughs> claims she, I mean, this was on Messenger. She said she was uh, out living with her mom in South Carolina. That's pretty impressive to... Mills get, Winkler. To get... Maybe she got the U.S. Embassy to intervene. I don't know how... Or maybe could also she has a, a small kid. Maybe. I don't know if that had anything to do with it. She has like a three or four year old. Remember when she she uh, like st- got like never when left his wallet or something, and she extorted <laughs> money to get it back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Jesus Christ! Like she was so shady, and I I got to witness the uh, the, yeah. the physical altercation. You get over there, yeah. Weren't you called over for a fight, a fist fight? No, I was there, and a fist fight broke out when I was there. And me, me and Mad Caddy had to break it up. We were there in a fight. Especially like when a knife got pulled out, then we're like, "Oh crap, we got to stop the." Like, I think she like pulled a knife on Neverwin. We had to intervene. Unbelievable! <laughs> that really was the house of horrors. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever happened uh, with genocide? I, I haven't even looked. Well, um, still with the, the or did she ever get back with the South African? I, I haven't looked. I, I assume not. But yeah, he just left. <laughs> I wonder how Tommy Boy feels about that now. Yeah, yikes. I don't know. Let's see, let's see some text here. 
I've, I've been neglecting the text in the chat room tonight. All right, let's see. From the 505, Druff, if you could play on Stars, would you play Isildur, Limit Hold'em, Heads Up? Yeah, I, I would. I thought like a thousand, two thousand or something, but um, I, I actually had that. Wait, is 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 wait, it, Isildur? They said. Yeah. Does he even play limit? No. He plays why, no that, limit. That's okay. why I play him. Yeah. Uh, there was a player I forgot who it was who was much better known for no limit, and I thought it might be a limit like semi donk. I don't I don't remember who it was, but he was playing. He was willing to play anybody one k two k heads up on stars. And I had like 120k on stars at the time that I had run up, wow. and I was really tempted to sit down with a guy, but I, then I like I I couldn't like I I I'd open the table and just I I click it and it would say how much do you want to buy in and I couldn't bring myself to do it. I'm just going, are you crazy? You're gonna play 1k, 2k heads up online? Like that's that play is so big. Like 1k, 2k heads I've up. I've seen Dustin play that before. I know 1k, 2k heads up is big enough even live. Uh, but, but like playing it online, like even just like 1k, 2k ring. I mean, you could lose a house in that game. Yeah. Like 1k, 2k live in a ring game would be huge, but this is 1k, 2k heads up and online. Like that's just insane. That's just insane. And like, I, I said, I, I eventually said to myself, I don't care unless if this guy was like really, really, really terrible, I would have played him. But I'm like someone who's like a no limit player that just isn't that great at limit. I'm not going to do it. I, I couldn't bring myself to do it. I got close, but I couldn't do it. And that, now I play thirty sixty. So, what's the what's the highest you ever played live again? Highest I ever played live was six hundred twelve hundred. Okay. Commerce, I assume. Yeah. Played five hundred a thousand uh, number of times at Commerce and at uh, Poker Stars. What's the biggest game that runs that regularly at Commerce? Uh, Limit Hold'em, it's not bigger than 100, 200 typically. Sometimes, wow. sometimes 200, 400. Sometimes it gets bumped up. Yeah. God, all that money's gone. And uh, 6120 is sometimes the biggest one. And. Yeah, it's just. Uh, I And the rate. It's dried up. Yeah, the rake's all high. And there's no free food. You got to do this stupidity with ordering food and paying off your card. It's such a pain in the ass, and they're just ruining everything. Yeah, they're <laughs> just ruining everything. Well, uh, you know what song I played? Uh, I'm sure you don't know what song I played. I played uh, "Santa Claus Has Got the AIDS" this year to open the show. I've never heard of that song. You never heard of it? Santa Claus has the AIDS. Yeah, you've never heard no, of it. Here, no, here it is. Listen. Is that an Adam Sandler song? No, it's Tiny Tim. Oh, I don't know that song. Here, listen. Okay. Oh, this is Santa Claus saying I won't be around this year. I'm a bit sick. Santa Claus has got the AIDS this year. And he won't be round to spread his Christmas cheer. The reindeer all look blue. They know what he's going through. Santa Claus has got the AIDS this year. Like the Casio keyboard being used? He won't be yelling out, ho, 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 ho. But he'll be screaming out, no, 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 no. (laughs) 
He's lying sick in bed. Call the doctor there instead. Santa Claus has got the AIDS of this year. Each season. So, uh, this is actually funny. made before he realized what AIDS was. This was in 1985. Wait, I don't. I, I, what does that? What do you mean then? What is AIDS? He knew AIDS was some. Oh, they just didn't know how... He didn't know how serious it was. Okay. Or he didn't even understand that it had, like, a sexual element to wow. it. Wow. I've never heard that song before in my life. Yeah. Howard Stern used to play it all the time to make fun of Tiny Tim, who came on the show a lot. So, I, I, I play this during Christmas. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. Hold on. There's a little bit more. He is full of pep and vim. But now the AIDS have got the best of him. The nurses all look sad, cause Santa's got it bad. Santa Claus has got the AIDS of this year. Oh, this is Santa Claus saying, I won't be here this year. I'm sick in bed with the AIDS. Oh, but I'll be back next year, next year. Don't cry for me, a doctor will cure me. Yeah, good luck. Yeah, really. <laughs> That's for Magic Johnson. Uh, by the way, uh, I... Huh. By the way, I, I was thinking because it's almost 2 in the morning on a weekday. Amanda show? Yeah, I don't know if Amanda's going to work on Christmas Eve, but I have some interesting news that I am going to be in Asheville, North Carolina in about three months. I'm going to guess it's something with a seven-star trip. It is, but yeah, this Harris Cherokee in North Carolina is an hour away from Asheville. So I never thought I would actually go to Asheville, North Carolina, and I've never been there. I've never been to the state of North Carolina. Or it's actually really, really beautiful. Yeah, Asheville. that's that's why I'm going. I'm not going there to stalk Amanda. About it. Oh yeah, of yeah. course. So so I, that's the fine. Like I noticed, I noticed where it was, and then I was looking at things to go to do, go to see in the area, and it mentioned go to Asheville, and, and some things to see there. So I'm actually going to go to Asheville, and if it's in the morning, I will turn on the radio. Yeah, I know that show. What do you know about that Harris Cherokee? They've recently expanded it. It's actually located in what looks like a beautiful area. It's 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 located uh, right next to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. And how far is that from Asheville? That's about an hour away by car from Asheville. It's in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it's also difficult to fly into there. You basically have to fly into Atlanta and drive for three hours. So... Uh, it's not a convenient destination unless you – now, for me, it's fine because I'm going to go to the whole area and take a trip around the whole area, so I don't care about flying to Atlanta. But normally to go visit it, it would be a pain in the ass if that's all you want to go to. So Do they give you a, just a normal room? What, what, what do they um, do these days they, for they, the seven-star? They, well, it depends from property to property. I spoke to them actually today about it, and they told me I'll probably get a suite. They said probably they can't guarantee it right now. Now, do they know on the other end? Because I mean, I, I don't remember. It's been a couple of years. Does the host at uh, the Cherokee Casino know that you're basically a compor or whatever the term you want? Yeah, to Yeah, they can see it. They can see I'm overcomped. Uh, but some places care. But more like, do they than already know? Like, oh boy, this guy's coming in. We're not going to get nothing out of him. Uh, they they might, but it seems like some places pay more attention than others. Some just kind of like auto give you the suite anyway because you're a seven star. Other ones like like I the, the one in uh, in Windsor. They uh, they looked more carefully, and they wouldn't give me a suite for that reason. Hmm. 
They have to give you something. They can't reject you. All right. But they can just give you a mutt standard room. They, they Well, it's sort of mutt standard. They, they can't give you below. They have to give you the best available non-suite. It's they, usually a mutt room. Well, it's a semi-mutt room. Like they, they can't. They can't. I'm saying they can't give you like the worst rooms in the property. That that because you have the guaranteed uh, non-suite upgrade to best available, but as part of the seven-star benefit. So, but I, I have had it before where either they don't give me a suite or I have to fight to get one. Or uh, what are the perks they give you? Five hundred dollars for the dinner stall. Yeah, and the one place that's better for that is uh, New Orleans. They just give yeah, you five hundred dollars. Five hundred bucks. So, but uh, yeah, they give you five hundred in dinner, and uh, which you can spread out throughout the stay. You don't have to do it in one shot. And so, what I always do with these trips is I just uh, I take one. You know, I get one a year. I, I go and pick things I want to see in the area, and then make a road trip out of it. It's kind of like a subsidized road trip. And I only stay at the property long enough. I, I only I only stay at the property long enough to eat five hundred dollars worth of food and then move on. <laughs> Except this this property at least is a reason to be here because there's some things to see in the area. But some of the other ones, I I really don't have anything. This to do is with. obviously this is on an Indian reservation. Um, like Rencon. I'm not sure what the story is with that. It probably is. It's probably why it's called Cherokee. Yeah. But it really is the middle of nowhere. But at least it's close to something. Like it's not like the Rincon middle of nowhere. There's nothing to see. At least here, there's nice things to see over there. Yeah, there's nothing in that Rincon area. No, it's that's, nothing all, that's an area. awful drive too. Yeah, there's nothing there. They they they, they, they gave the the Indians all the shit land in California. <laughs> like if, if there's an Indian reservation in California, it's guaranteed undesirable. It's land. Not on the water. Forget not on a was like nothing you can do with it. you can't farm it's it's like always like all rocky it's in the farm. it's the middle of nowhere the roads aren't good it's just uh it's never like right off the freeway you're usually not off the freeway sometimes it is but usually not if it is off the freeway it's like the middle of nowhere off the freeway so the so yeah i I try to maximize all this stuff i don't I don't like leaving anything on the table no. But it, you know, in one way, it's good because it kind of it forces me to travel. It forces me to take trips. Otherwise, I get lazy and just yeah, I'll do it some other time. Here, I'm kind of like forced because I've got a, a timetable to do it in. If you're hoping that Caesars opens up a casino in an exotic place for you to take a trip, where to be? Like, would you want like the your seven star trip to be in Jerusalem? Well, I I would love it if they had them like in in uh, Europe and Asia and uh, you know, Jerusalem would be a good one. Like, I I'd be happy to have international ones. But right now, the only international one you can go to is Windsor, right across from Detroit. I thought there. I mean, I know it's not a part of it, but isn't there a Caesar's property like in Peru? I think there is, but it's not part of the same thing. What do you mean? It's not owned by the same company? I, I don't know if there's a Caesar's. I know there's some associated hotels and other. I thought there was a Caesar's. There, there might be, but you can't. It's not the same system. The the, the seven star trip you can only do in. Uh, Right, that's what I'm saying, but I thought it was, you can't, well, because they're not going to want to pay and all that. No, but you can't even go there and just get a free room on your seven-star benefit. You can't do anything. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's like totally different. Hmm. That's why I never even looked into it too closely. Let's see. List of Caesars outside of the USA. There's Caesars, there's the Caesars Cairo. Caesars South Africa. 
And no, I thought there was one in South America, but I guess there isn't. Caesar's Cairo. I went to Cairo in eighty nine. Oh, it has a Caesar's logo. That's cute. I went there in eighty nine, but uh, I don't think I'd want to go there anymore at this point. To Egypt? Yeah. Hmm. I, I think it's. Uh, I, I'd be afraid of uh, terrorism. Oh, it's not. Yeah, this is probably nice. I'm sure it's a five star Four Seasons hotel. I'm telling you, those, those countries, they'd be afraid that someone's going to kidnap me. Well, they don't like Jews either. Well, I wouldn't have to say I'm a Jew, but they, they, they uh-huh. have, I'd be afraid of being kidnapped and uh, being the next ISIS victim. Are they doing that even in Egypt? Not yet, but there, there are terrorism terrorist forces over there. It's, it's not a rampant problem, but it's, it's worse than it was when I was there in 89. In 89, I wasn't worried. Uh, well, if you had to spend a trip in either Caesars Cairo or Caesars South Africa, what would you pick? I'd take South Africa. At least it's safe. It's very, right. far, very, very far, though. Let's see where this is. South Africa really isn't that safe. They have a pretty high crime rate. Yeah, I think you can avoid it, though. It's different than the terrorism. It's in Vanderbilt Park, Guatang, South Africa. Yeah, by safe, I meant I could avoid the unsafe parts. Yeah. Uh, you know, South Africa is one of the farthest places from you. What do you mean, from me? In the world. Far, one of the farthest places you can go. Not as far as, what do you mean, just in terms of distance? Yep. I thought from where I'm at, isn't Australia farther? Nope. I don't think you're right. I am right. You sure? From Los Angeles, which, as you know, is only about 300 from Vegas, from Los Angeles, the farthest place you can go to is Mauritius, which is close to South Africa. It's, it's by Madagascar. All right, saying Johannesburg is only... It, well, Johannesburg is a 20-hour flight from L.A. That's a lot. Okay, right, but let's see. Australia. I thought Australia it's was not, far. It's far, but okay. it's not, not as far. Let's see. Yeah, 18 hours. Now, I'm, I'm telling you, they, uh, in fact, so Mauritius is the, the farthest wow. part. Even, so even, every time that Tommy boy, or not Tommy boy, that genocide would go out to see that uh, yes. South African, yes. she's on a plane for 20-some hours? Well, it's a little closer from Delaware, so it's not as bad. Oh, as yeah, but... Well, unless they made a left, they went the long way. <laughs> no, I don't think they went the long way. But I. It's cute. Uh, Mauritius, which is the far, very farthest point from LA, it's like eleven thousand eight hundred miles or something. Uh, I, I found out about Mauritius the first time in '05 because I was playing on a poker site that was based there, in the Boss Media Network. So when I called to do the cash out, I heard this really weird accent that I hadn't never heard before. So I said, where are you based? So they said, Mauritius. I said, I've never heard of that before. So I, I looked up Mauritius, and I go, wow, that looks far. And then I thought, wow, not only does that look far, that looks like they might be the very farthest point on Earth. And then I, I went online to a city distance tool and figured out, yes, it is the farthest point on Earth from L.A. <laughs> I did not know that. And when we were on our last cruise, one of the waiters was from Mauritius, and... Uh, Benjamin knows about Mauritius. Mauritius. Ben actually said, oh, that's the farthest place from us. Mm. How old is he now? He's 
10 or 11? <laughs> Benjamin is 5 now. Really? Yeah. It's been 5 years since you played that song. Maybe 6? Yeah. yeah, he's he's 5 and uh, he is in what's known as transitional kindergarten because he was born in October, so never heard of such a thing. It's a thing. Transitional it's, kindergarten. It's a thing they do in in California where if you're born in September, October, or November, uh, you're not allowed anymore to enter kindergarten until the following year. So it's like a thing they. It's almost like a compromise the state did to not make you pay for an extra year of preschool. So it's like a, it's like a preparing you for kindergarten thing. So you go to kindergarten the next year. So wow. he'll he'll be almost six when he enters kindergarten. But that's the that everybody's doing it. Like that's not uh, he's not being held back or anything. That's the right. state. That's the state law now. Wow, he's already in school. Where all the years go? Yeah. So does he like his transitional kindergarten? Yeah, he does. He does. And he likes he likes also uh, you know he he has I gave him my old iPhone 4s he has his own iPhone now. It, Wait, hooked? Does it is it hooked up? It, it no it it can't make any phone calls, uh, but it it can it's on the Wi-Fi and yeah, yeah, yeah he uses he uses apps he likes looking at the weather. Well, you should have him play one of those free poker sites. <laughs> it's like what they did with Tiger Woods they put a golf club in his hand when he was two three years old. <laughs> yeah, Benjamin playing out of Zynga. What is it? With the Zynga. No, there's a, there's play money on Bodog. I could have him on there. <laughs> he could play on Bodog and play money. Probably still be that's better funny. than some of those players. Yeah, probably. Could probably pick NBA games better than you too. Well, that uh, two two weeks ago he could have three weeks ago. Whatever. Ha, have you uh, jumped back on that bandwagon there? I've only actually or... bet on one NBA game since then and won it. It was a halftime one of those like halftime picks. I always yeah. Did. yeah. And I won it easily, and that was it. It's just because there haven't been... I decided to stick to those half times, and there just haven't been any and, uh, other than that one. And I think there were a few others that I missed. just wasn't available to pick them. And they yeah, just, you can't have got to be home, sitting there watching these lines and the scores. Wait, do you remember what game it was? I think, did you post this in the Flying Stupid? Yeah, I did, thread, I did. Or the sports? Okay, I think I read it. Yeah, I got it off like like moments before... It, it was uh, it closed like like seconds before it closed. I got it off. Nice. Yeah, it was it was actually that was a good one. It was just doing well the whole way. So. Are you playing Bovada now? No, not right now. Okay, I thought I heard. No, no, it's not like poker that. chips and that. You never do that. No, no. Remember the other guy we used to do it with? Oh yeah, yeah. Not only that, he he would shuffle poker chips, the real poker chips, the whole time. I hear. It was so tilting. It was so tilting. I just, I, I hate background noise at all during radio shows or. Dustin, that Winkler were doing whippets that, that one was the show. worst. That was thing. the worst. That was, I almost walked off the show. I remember. I heard. <laughs> I said, what, what are you doing? Oh, whippets. <laughs> yeah, that's really fresh. I said, if we're going to do that, get away from the mic. That's cute. Yeah, I was, I've always hated like any kind of background noise, either on radio or even on the phone. Uh, even at a young age, I remember I, I would talk to girls and they play music in the background, and I demand they turn the music off. Like I'd actually sooner alienate a girl than have to tolerate hearing music in the background on the phone with her. Hmm. 
I remember well, one time. One time there was a uh, a girl I was talking to, and I, I liked her. And she put on her, she put on like her ex boyfriend that she still kind of had a thing for. And but he had like a high pitched voice. His voice hadn't changed yet. I think he was a bit younger than her. And uh, uh, he was playing some crap music in the background. And I said, "Who's playing this crappy music?" And he says, "That's my music. And why are you calling it crappy?" Oh and I, I said, "Well, it is crappy." And he says, "He, he says." Uh, he says, if you say my music sucks again, I'm going to hang up. Like, like that's a kind of threat. So I said, okay, your music sucks. And he's, okay, I'm hanging up. And he hung up on me. <laughs> like, I couldn't figure out why he thought that was a threat. And then the girl got pissed at me because she still kind of had a thing for him. She was mad I got him to hang up. What happened with that one girl that you got into a fight with on the ride share? I never saw the end oh, of it. Oh, you never saw the end of it. Okay, I guess, uh, I, I mean, I, I guess. Yeah, I, tell me I'll, what have to, I'll have to tell the whole radio, though, the whole story, though. Yeah, go ahead. This has to do with, uh, I posted this on the forum, but. This is uh, something that happened almost exactly 25 years ago in January of 2000, January 1991, which is now almost 25 years ago. I met Ken Scaler for the first time off the ride board because I didn't have a car at college. Ken didn't have a car then or now. And so the way you get back home to where your parents live is off the ride board where people who do have cars, you, you give them some money for gas. Not very much. It's like six bucks or something and they drive you back. So Ken and I happened to both pick the same car for the ride board. And, uh, now, how do you get back to school, though? Uh, they, they pick you up and they drive you, too. Oh, for six bucks they do all this? Well, each way. But, yeah. Well, I mean, they don't pick you up at your house. You usually have to meet them somewhere. But, but uh, yeah, the majority It's a pretty good drive. deal. Yeah, it was a great deal. So, so I went on this ride board, Met Ken Scaler for the first time, but that's not really what the story's about. What the story's about is there were three other people in the car besides me and Ken. There was the driver who was a Jewish girl who was like 22 years old who had a big nose. Her name was Allison. There was her friend who was like I think around 19 or 20 who had a huge nose. Huge, huge nose. Her name was Amy. She was also Jewish, you might guess. And then there was a third girl. I don't remember her name. She was pretty. She wasn't Jewish. Mindy. Mindy. We we'll call her Mindy. She didn't. She like pretty much didn't talk the whole time. So she was kind of a non-factor. But the rest of us were talking the whole way. Myself, Master Scaler, the, the two big-nosed Jew girls. So we we all talked, and everything was friendly for a while. And then it started to take a worse turn when I don't remember what brought this up, but I think it's because I was complaining about my girlfriend at the time, but. It turned out that the driver and her big-nosed friend were like staunch feminists, where every little thing offended them. And and that doesn't go over very well with me. Like, that type of person I'm not going to get along with. So we immediately started... I wouldn't say immediately, but once that came out, we started arguing pretty soon. Now, the driver, Allison, she was nice. Like, her arguing, she wasn't, like, obnoxious about it. She wasn't confrontational. She was just disagreeing with my points of view. The other one, Amy, with a huge nose, she was really confrontational, really obnoxious, just very unlikable. And I wasn't attracted to her either. Even if she was nice, like I, I, I didn't find her attractive at all because her nose was just gigantic. I, I can't stress that enough. So after that, I didn't think much of this. You know, It, it wasn't terrible. We just uh, were arguing a lot uh, towards the end of the drive because of this uh, feminism stuff. And and when I say feminism stuff, I'm not saying I was making like chauvinistic or like asshole comments. These girls were like these 
fanatical feminists like you'll find on a college campus where just everything they're like the ISIS of feminists pretty much where everything a man does is wrong and men are evil etc etc so a few months later I was on the campus Unix system which was it was the way to access what is that well it's it's kind of like uh, it's like accessing the operating system of a machine except uh, that was the way you access the internet too you'd have like a prompt and you type in text commands and that's how you'd access the internet there was no web then though the world the world wide web did not exist in so what are you even doing on a unix system what does one do on well you, you connect unix. to websites and you connect to various not websites you connect to various internet sites there's, there's like uh like what are you like what what like okay you're going to your unix site with what in mind well okay you read email Okay. And you can you can talk to other people through what's known as the talk feature, where if you see someone on there, you can request talk with them. And if they respond back, you you know you can chat with them, one on one. There were these bulletin boards that you could uh, connect to, run elsewhere on the internet, where you can they're all text over there, of course, and uh, interact with people on there. And and there's also things called news groups, which are kind of like the early versions of forums. So that was what you would do on there for the most part. Uh, so you can get a free account there back then as uh, a registered student. So I, so a number of students did, including ones who weren't even big computer people. So you had to have some computer literacy to do it, but you didn't have to be like a computer genius. So occasionally I would be bored and I'd just talk to randoms on there. I'd send them talk requests and just start talking. So there's this one girl named Amy I started talking to on there. She seemed really cool. And we talked for you – know, probably, we probably chatted there like two hours. It was a, a, a very – Nice chat. We we got along really really well. I thought how cool she was. I was so close to asking Amy for her phone number and then calling her up and pushing that into meeting up in person and going out with her. And of course, I didn't know what she looked like. There was no nothing but text in those days. But I you didn't know she had a big fucking snout. Well, I didn't know it was. The, I didn't think it was the same Amy. That's right. such a common name, and there's eight thousand girls in the school. What's the chance of it being the same one? Well, guess what? It was the same girl. In that, that I was from the ride board. It was the same freaking one, and we talked. We talked for two hours without realizing it because. I didn't know her last name. She didn't know my last name. So we saw each other's last name, but it didn't mean anything to us. So I don't know what she said that made me realize it, but she did something at some point that made me realize it's the same Amy. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is the worst. Like, I, I really thought I, I, I met someone really cool that I maybe go out with, and I was all excited about it. I'm like, oh, my God, it's her? Like, I, I hated her from the car. I hated her personality. I hated her looks. I hated everything. I couldn't believe it. So part of me just wanted to abort the chat right there and just just leave but uh, she was very nice for those two hours and i and uh, like i i felt even though i and how did you find out for sure it was the same i I, well so so i brought it up to her so i said you know this is really strange but i think we may already know each other and and she was very into the chat too she was saying how happy she was that she was talking to me i see so cool Uh, you know this has been a great two hours like she she was dropping all these hints that, that she was really really enjoying the whole thing and like i wasn't i wasn't but like baiting questions to get her to like, I wasn't going so how are you liking talking to me it wasn't like that like she was volunteering this stuff so I said I think we may actually already know each other and she's really how's that and so I, I said well did you ever do you have a friend named Allison who takes people off the ride board and she said yes and how do you know that and I said well I was one of the people on the ride board and uh, we, we didn't get along very well to be honest and I, I told her who I was and she instantly remembered who I was 
And then right then it was like it was like we mutually had the feeling like let's just get out of this. Like we just did not want to talk to each other anymore. We didn't say it. It wasn't directly said like oh I I don't like you anymore. It was like uh, I I could tell that the tone just changed big time. So I I said to her something like well. Funny how different impressions can be online versus in person sometimes. And she's just I'm like, yeah. I said, well, okay, well, uh, uh, see you around, whatever. Like, I, yeah, I, I left it. And, of course, we never talked again. So so I, I posted a I, – I guess I already spoiled it. But I, I posted on the forum a list of four different things that uh, could have happened and asked people to pick them without giving the end – because I hadn't given the ending yet. And uh, so they ranged from things like that we, we had like a – we had sex, but it didn't really last past that. And the one that we went out for six months, another one that we uh, that I wasn't attracted to her, but we stayed friends for a long time. And I, I, I found her on Facebook recently and found that she was a lesbian. And then the, the fourth one was just that we stopped talking, and that was that, and never talked again. So it was the fourth one. We we ended the conversation, never had another word to each other. But it was so disappointing and also surprising in a way that. Because I I had had it before where we get along really well online and then you meet in person and it just isn't the same. But I'd never had it before where someone I really don't like in person, I speak to online unknowingly and really like them, and then really and then learn later it's the same person and then dislike them again. See, I've never met anyone online. Yeah, well, it's. Uh, I mean, romantically. I, I, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, it makes sense what you're saying. But it was weird. It was weird that that we we got along so poorly in that car and, and had such opposite views on things, such opposite personality. Maybe she's a closet feminist though. You mean a closet? One not? girl. What's yeah. What's the one girl's name for friend? Allison. Al- the, okay. The girl that you were talking to on the bulletin Unix system, what was her friend that was in the car again? That was, that was Allison. Yeah. So maybe she's only when she's around that Allison, all the starch feminist, well, maybe, maybe, but but it seemed like she was more fanatical of the two, so that's why uh, I couldn't get. It was just, it was almost like it just didn't come out during the conversation that we were having. It maybe it just didn't come up or something. It, it was just so funny, and and I guess maybe not seeing her huge nose also just made her seem more attractive to me. But like, it, it's not like feminists always want equality, but not when it's time to pay the bill. <laughs> Am I right? That, that's one of many things. Yeah, exactly. That's one of many things. But she, it was, it was really one of these things, like like. Like hating men, blaming them for everything, and I, I just, I just hated those types there. And, but uh, I will say that it wasn't like she had a thing for me, and like I just left her. Like she, as soon as she knew it was me, she also didn't want to talk anymore. Like we both had the same thought. Like, oh, let's just get out of this. <laughs> like I'm sure they thought, oh, that asshole from the car. Uh, I can't believe I've been talking to him all this time. I'm sure it was something like that. So. That's funny. I, I I did say, even though I threw in the forum that like one of the choices was that she became a lesbian. I, I don't remember her last name, so I couldn't find her again. But Zimmerman, that's a good guess. But I, I Goldberg, Goldberg, that's a Jew name. I, even though she was big into the feminism thing, I I don't think she was a lesbian or would have married a woman. I was getting the vibe from the conversation we had, that two-hour chat conversation, that she she seemed really into me. And if if you she even suck a cock, or you think her nose would get in the way? Um. Well. Hmm. I'm just asking. Uh, she could angle it in a funny way to where she could probably manage it, and then. Uh, Isn't that Jennifer Gray from Dirty Dancing? She had a big nose. Yeah, but then she got the nose job. Yep, she and did. She looked like a different person. She did. 
Yeah, you know, back in the eighties, you you could get these uh, acting jobs with a huge nose like that. You can't do that anymore. No, you can't. She would like. There's no way she would have gotten that role for the same movie right now. There's no chance. <laughs> so somehow in the mid eighties, that was okay. That's funny. I was never into the big nose thing, even though I'm a Jew. Um, the big nose thing always bothered me. There's there's certain things that bothered me a lot, and certain things don't bother me at all. But that was something that always bothered me. So. Take a big ass over a big nose any day is what you're saying. Well, I, I actually like a big ass. Yeah. But, uh, but that's for mix a lot. Yeah, no, but even if you take something that's uh, not something I, I, I like, but I, there's things I will accept and, and say, okay, no big deal. It doesn't really bother me. Even though if I don't prefer it, it's, it's no big deal. It's fine over uh, a big nose. The big nose is the killer for me. That's what they call a deal breaker. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think it's fair because... I don't have a, a gigantic nose, so you know it's it's not like I have a, a gigantic uh, schnoz, and I'm saying I don't want a girl to look that way. I, I don't have one myself, so I think it's okay that I want the girl I'm with to have one. It doesn't have to be a tiny nose; I just don't want a huge nose or a really big nose. So that actually counted out a lot of Jewish girls for me, because. A lot of Jews have big noses, as you might know. Yeah. Why is that? Uh, it's just the way it is. It's uh, every, every uh, subset of, of people, they, they have their traits. And, you know, if Jews keep getting together and... Uh, Kinda like why Indians smell? <laughs> I don't know about that, but... I, uh, Jews keep getting together with one another, so it doesn't breed out. Like, if, if the, the more Jews that start interfaith dating, then the, the big noses will start to disappear. So if all the Jews are dating coloreds, it would change the... Yeah. I didn't know that. Well, I mean, that's... that's. I the... don't have a big nose. Yeah, you don't. It's true. I have kind of like a medium nose. Like, I don't have a small nose, but I, I don't have like a big Jewish nose where you see and they go, oh, that guy's a Jew, he's got a big nose. Like, you don't, you don't look at me and think that. You just see kind of a average nose. And... Some people you look like Ken Scaler, he has a gigantic nose. And the, the felon you talked about earlier, he has a gigantic nose. Oh, Scaler's a Jew? Yeah. Oh, you didn't know that? I didn't know that. Yeah, no. he had, Scaler has Man, a gigantic nose. I never even thought about that. You know, I guess you don't think about that because he's always broke. <laughs> yeah, that's why. <laughs> he doesn't run the media. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, the Scaler's a Jew. And the, and the. Something else you may not realize, you know, that the. Uh, for Jews. Jews, on average, are a lot shorter than the yeah. average Gentile. I, know, I, 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 also, I also broke that mold. <laughs> now, now I, I didn't break the mold as far as cheapness. That, that I managed to. Uh, no. I, I managed to follow the stereotype on that one. <laughs> and I also, I also politically, I, I broke the mold there. Most of them are Democrats. If only, if only I could just not be cheap. And, uh, but you have a choice. You don't have to if be. I, if I could not be cheap and 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 like not complain about uh, minor things, then uh, people may not know. I'm At what point do you just realize life is just too short, and you're just going to st- stop worrying about it? Is that I, ever going to happen? I don't do think, think it's ever going to happen because the problem is by not worrying about it, then I, I cause more problems. Like it's, it's it bothers me more not to take care of it. I've, I've explained that to people. Like uh, people say, why don't you just let this go and, and not deal with it? Are you the cheapest person in your entire family? Um, you don't have to say who, but just I'm not saying nuclear family. I mean, you know, I mean, parents, siblings, 
partners, you know, not like aunts or cousins, but like in your close family, you're the cheapest person. It's close. So there, you do have a competitor? Yeah. So there's another druff out there? There is, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, would you say that you're ahead of them in cheapness or, ahead, or him it, or it, her? It's close. It's close. Yikes. <laughs> well, a lot of things are genetic. You know, you can't, uh, can't escape it. There's a lot of things that uh, you, you may not realize passed down would have. That's funny. A lot of things that, uh, that your siblings uh, do or, or, uh, or are like that uh, have in common with you that you didn't realize and it's a result of genetics. That's why, you know, uh, that, that's why I've always been afraid to adopt children is because you don't know what you're getting. And uh, if you run well and, and get one that uh, had good genetics, then great, but... Oh, that's why you want to stick away from those landmine countries. <laughs> I, I, I'm, even, I'm talking about even your own country from the U.S. You, you well, I know, I'm joking. I'm, okay, I know. <laughs> but no, you definitely always have to worry about running good when adopting. I, I've so, known. I've known. I've watched it happen. I watched it happen growing up. That like like good parents for good families. They try very very hard, and the the kid's just a piece of crap, and there's nothing they can do. And I know that happens also with natural kids, but I saw it happening way more with adopted kids, where they just uh, they just would not behave well no matter what, and no matter what the parents did. And I saw like way more of it. What happens that. with that? Can you send them back? No, no, you're stuck. You're, and you don't discover it right away. Like you adopt a kid as a little baby, right. you don't you don't see this until years later. Uh, but it sucks because you, you could feel helpless. And at least at least if it's your own natural kid, you can half blame it on yourself, or, or blame it uh, on your partner, but. Uh, at least here you're you're getting somebody else's genes, and then if the kid has inherited bad personality traits that makes them difficult, or one of many other problems. I I, I knew a girl who became like a slut like as early as like seventh grade, and and her family, you know, her parents, there was nothing wrong with them. And I found out later, and she didn't even know this, that her mom was a prostitute in like China or somewhere. Like she was, she was Asian. She was from one of these. Uh, I think it was China. Somewhere the mom was a prostitute. She didn't even know this, and then she followed in the footsteps without even knowing what her mom was. Her natural mom, I'm talking about. So uh, it's it's funny how that it, it can easily follow no matter what the parents try to do sometimes the genetics are just too strong yeah so it's uh, that's why i've been afraid to adopt i'm glad i didn't have to and uh so that's <laughs> it's funny yeah that's I, I i watched it happen I, this isn't just like weird paranoia like i watched it happen with uh, kids i knew when I was growing up. So this mumbles badly. He's got an eight-year-old-plus MacBook Pro. <laughs> well, you know, the first thing he should probably do is uh, check the logs. For what? Uh, the log files. It's Did you read the thread? I'm no, sure. no, no. I'm just telling him check the logs. Oh, no, I, no I, I didn't read anything. He's, he's complaining about his MacBook Pro. He has a thread up called okay, I Seeking Help it. with My 2007 MacBook Pro. <laughs> That's even older than my old computer was. Is this guy an American? Yes. 
any advice? Do you know where he, or, what's known about this guy? Uh, I, I don't know. He doesn't live very close. He's he's older than we are. Oh, he's one of those. Uh, he's in the U.S. He likes the show a lot. He's he's. I don't know how long he's been listening, but he's he's a big fan of the show. Uh, you know, I don't think he's trying to to troll people. I think mm. he just he just posts things. He's doing that, a good job of it. He he just posts things that get some people angry, and that's how it goes. You know, we have a a, a diverse fan base here. Yeah. I, you know what? I at, at least. As I said, I don't think he's trying to troll. The, the people who actually try to troll and try to get me angry, those are the worst to me. There are certain people, they just... They listen to every show in their entirety, or they use the forum, or both, but then, but then the goal is to say something or write something to, to legitimately get me pissed off. That's much more... Uh, irritating to me than somebody who just inadvertently or inadvertently pisses people off, which I think is what this guy's doing. I'm gonna go get a drink if we're gonna be talking much longer. Are we gonna go on for a bit or uh, what's the, going on out yeah, here? I mean, we're no, we're probably about done. I'll be honest. I mean, even even though this is gonna be the end of the year and that's it. And well, can I go get a drink anyhow? Yeah, I got a drink. Go ahead. We'll talk about. Uh, I'll find something to say. I'll do start. a recap again. I'll do a recap. <laughs> Then they'll, they'll buy me an hour of time. All right, I'll be right back. Okay. Here, I'll do the agenda. This is the agenda of what we're going to talk about tonight. Well, this show should be... When I say this show, I mean starting next year. Uh, I think you can expect more of the same for a while. Daredevil should be coming back next episode. He hasn't committed, but I think he probably will. And Brandon seems to be joining around the 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock hour. We've had kind of the same thing for a while now, and it seems to be working, and there's a good reaction to it. I much prefer to have co-hosts whenever I can. So, I don't see major changes coming. It will go on. The four-year anniversary of Poker Fraud Alert Radio will... It'll still be a while away. I think it's like... I think the first official show was in May, and we did some test shows in March or April. Well, the, sh- the site didn't go up until March, until March 2nd, 2012. Let's see, the first radio show I have in the archives is Black Friday Anniversary Special. I didn't think that would be the first one. Oh, I see. I was kind of just doing... Uh... Yeah, yeah, so the one that's called Pilot Episode, for whatever reason, is actually like the sixth episode. I don't know why we made it that way, but... There are... Uh... Radio shows dating back to March 21st, 2012. So that'll be the four-year anniversary of this show. And... I have done more Poker Fraud Alert shows than all of the shows I've done combined on other sites. Done a lot of Poker Fraud Alert shows. Uh, Over 160 of them. 
fact, getting close to 170. That's a lot of shows. And I haven't made it here every week, but most weeks. The only times that you're missing is when I was down vacation or sick, some kind of dental pain, uh, playing the World Series, though usually I found a way to make those shows up. Bottom line is there have been a lot of poker fraud alert radio shows and there will continue to be for the foreseeable future. And again, as I mentioned before, if you want to meet me during New Year's, just mention you're around there and I'll see if we can manage it. I'm not going to be there very long in Vegas, so don't be too angry if we miss each other. But I'll try. I like meeting listeners and hearing their perspectives. And just realize that this show is not something I'm doing for a living. I'm not making money off this. It's pretty much a hobby. So you pay nothing for it and you get what you pay for. I don't know if you've all noticed this, especially the live listeners, but every episode I try to give a funny title based on something that happened. So after every episode, once it's in the archives, you can look at the title of the episode and it'll tend to be some kind of joke or pun related to the some topic we had on the show. What is taking Brandon so long? He just got to get a, he just has to go to his refrigerator and get a drink and come back. I, that's what I was picturing. I wasn't picturing a long hiatus. To, to, oh, I hear something. There you are. I, 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 you, your refrigerator must be like a mile away. It's in the other part wing of the house. <sighs> it must be a big house. Just, I was just rambling about the amount of time it's been that Poker Fraud Alert Radio has existed and a bunch of other stuff like that. How long has it been now? Since four years? Three since, years? Since March of 2012, getting close to four years. Wow. Uh, as I mentioned, I've done more Poker Fraud Alert shows than all the other shows I've done combined on other sites. So <laughs> it's been running. There's been almost 170 episodes. And what's especially crazy, and I figured this out when you know, I have those random archives playing when we're not live... I figured out that if you listen to all the shows on Poker Fraud Alert Radio, and not the user shows, I mean like the all the ones that, that I've been part of and even the few that you did by yourself, uh, if you listen to all of those, it would take over a month to listen, even if you didn't sleep. Uh, even with that vowels, those shows, huh? Yep, even with those. I don't know what happened to her. She just vanished. Yeah, it's been, what, a couple of years? Yeah, at least. She's been gone a while. What are you, uh, what are you doing for over the next couple of days? Uh, Christmas and 
Well, it why do they say that Jews always get Chinese food on Christmas Day? Well, because that's all that's open. Not in Vegas, though. I know, but Vegas isn't everything. Yeah. What uh? What what do you got? What what's a typical? Well, uh, I see. But the thing Christmas is, Christmas or Christmas. Now, is your uh, is I don't know if this is if this is too personal. Uh, is there anyone? That celebrates Christmas. I don't know. Is your significant other Jewish, or is that not ever declared? Um, she is. Uh, Be not, careful here. Not really Jewish, though. There's a small, there's a sliver of Jewishness from. Uh, actually, you know her, that's on, worn off on her. On her, no, on her mother's side, that actually makes her technically a Jew. What does a sliver mean? It means like one goes, eighth. Yeah, like one eighth. So now, do you have a Christmas tree in in your compound? Yeah, there actually is. So, so and you have a dog too, I hear. Yeah, there's a, there is a dog now. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Well, it's too That's, late. Yeah, well, let's talk about that just real fast, because you know, don't you do some segment on this podcast where people get to know Todd would tell us? Well, a I think better? it just kind of happens over time. They get to know me anyway. But. All right, well, let's talk about the Christmas tree. What kind of Christmas tree do you have? You know, I don't really deal with this. I, I you outsource it. No, I, it's, it's not my thing here. It's, it's not my thing. It's just, it's there and, you know. I, is it a real tree? Is it fake? No, it's fake. And and, and Benjamin even says that, uh, he says, I celebrate Hanukkah and Christmas. And Daddy only celebrates Hanukkah. So there's a little tree somewhere out in, where do you live in, in your secret location? And there's a tree with little Benjamin's name under it with some presents? Yeah. Oh, shit. And... Is there, now, is there a present with Todd's name on it under a tree? I don't know. I got a few things for Hanukkah. Okay. And as far as the, as far as the dog goes, yeah. there's a I have a new dog. And now sources tell me you don't like the new versions of dogs. Is that yeah, correct? So, so this is what happened. I, I I went to go get a dog, and I said, you know what? I don't like the way they're making dogs in 2015. What do you mean you had to go get a dog? No, I didn't have to. I, I was. Looking to get a Did dog. Little Benjamin I, want one, or what was it? I, I said, I said, uh, I, I don't like the new model of dogs. They just dogs aren't the same as they used to be. So you know what I'm going to do? I, I can't go back twenty or thirty years to get a dog because they're all dead. But what about ten years? Now ten years might work. So I went and I got a dog born in the middle of 2005. I got to tell you, right off the coast, I'm going, uh, any more information? This doesn't seem like a rough decision, especially an old dog. There's vet bills and there's there's food costs and shots and in the collar. That's just money that's being thrown out 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 the window. This doesn't seem like you. No, no, I don't see it that way. Now you now I am getting a dog that's only going to be with me a few years, probably. But <laughs> uh, but yeah, what is kind it, of dog did you get? It's it's a pug and he he's ten and a half years old. Ten year old pug. He's ten and a half years old almost. Did you win it from someone? No, I didn't win him. But he's uh, he's here. He's going to stay here. He's not. It's not visiting or anything. This is this is my dog now. I mean, is there a backstory how you got it? Well, of course, of course, there's a bad a backstory. Well, but can you say the backstory or? <laughs> no, no, I can't. But there's Does someone not want the pug. But, but I, I do have a. a he's a very nice dog. I, I, you know, I wouldn't have taken him if he was. Uh, it wasn't a nice dog. But he's a, a nice dog, and he do, he doesn't uh, ever piss or crap in the house. Have you cuddled with him? Yeah, the, the dog actually loves me. The dog instantly bonded with me. So, yeah, that's, uh, I bet many people do not say these days that they got a dog born in 2005. 
No. I, I don't think that's very common to pick up a dog that's ten and a half years old. Did you get him because you know he's on the way out? No, he's not really on the way out. He's probably got a few years left. Like he's not he's not in perfect health, but he's not in in bad health. So. Uh, yeah, it's 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 an older dog, but the pug life span is eleven to thirteen years old. They're from China. Their temperament is charming, playful, and clever. The colors are black, apricot, fawn, and silver fawn. What color is your pug? Uh, kind of more like a light brown. Hmm. He looks just like, I mean, when I've Googled pugs, it looks just like them. Do they bark? Is he a barker? Not much, only a little bit. Like, only if he hears okay. something, but it's not, uh, it's, it, the, the dog's not really much trouble. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't do anything that dogs sometimes do that frustrate you. Is this your first dog? No, no, but it's the first one in a long time. Okay. You're happy with this choice? Yeah. I, I didn't have to do it. Yeah. This is Ben's first dog. Yeah. Hmm. Has he bonded with the dog? Yeah, the dog's actually bonded with me most of anybody. Hmm. I don't see you as a dog person, but I mean, I, I just because you've never talked about pets before. Yeah, so as a that's my ten and a half year old dog, and uh, hopefully, hopefully the lifespan's not eleven with this one. Otherwise, it's not going to be a long visit. Half a year. I, I was hoping to get like to fourteen, but maybe that's wishful thinking. Yeah, mm, that's cool. Do you walk the dog? Yeah. Oh, you really? Yeah. You're out there with the leash and everything, huh? Yeah. Nice. Now, what do you do when you go out of town? Uh, there's places that he can go. Just take him to like a. No, no, no. He's, he, he, there's other. Oh, like locations. family, friends. Yeah, there's, there's other uh, secret locations he can go. Yeah, yeah secret. Yeah. That's cute. No, this, this dog is, uh, without uh, getting into more detail, this dog has actually uh, bounced around a lot. The dog is not... Uh, From a broken home? If, yeah, the dog has uh, not stayed in one place throughout his life. He's, he's bounced around. It's kind of, kind he of like, wasn't abused, I hope. No, he was not abused. He's, uh, but he's just, uh, he's kind of like a journeyman pitcher. He kind of gets traded every so often. Hmm. Like Steve Howe? Without the drug problem? Well, I, I don't want to go that far to compare him to Steve Howe, but yeah, he, he yeah, he just bounces around, and uh, I, I think this is going to be his final team. Okay. Well, that's what, yeah. Like, he's kind of like the like a Josh Beckett. Yeah, he, he got he got uh, traded about uh, two weeks ago for a cat to be named later. <laughs> so, anyhow, what, what, what goes on now for the next two days? What do you normally, what's a Christmas day like or Christmas Eve? Do you sit around the house? Do you go out to eat? Do you, I mean, what, what, what are you going to do over the next couple of days till New Year's? I'm not, you know, because... Uh, you try to chase that 32 hundo back, huh? That, but probably. You're pissed off about that, aren't you? Well, you know what pisses me off is I was on an upswing and then I just... It, I when was this again? Today or yesterday? It was yesterday. But I, I, you know, you're on an upswing and you just know it's, you don't know when it's going to end. You just know at some point you're going to get beat down and that it finally happened. It didn't feel like it was going to happen because I sat down and started to win again, and then it just didn't last. It just uh... because I, I, on, Bo, on Bodog I was spinning my wheels for a while. I was I didn't like when I came back with the twelve k. Like I 
I, I, I didn't just like immediately start winning. Like I was kind of either losing or spinning my wheels. And finally I, I, I caught fire and started to do well. Like I did last year. So. I mean, it's not the end of the world of 3200. That happens all the time on there. But still. It's annoying. Like on that game, 3200 goes real fast. I can imagine. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know how she played on there with the 360, but it's... Uh, it's uh, you run up and down very quickly on that site, and it's it's because there's there's a lot of action and people don't fold and people chase. So when 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 they're not catching you, and they're when they're paying you off with shit or they're running dumb bluffs that just give you extra money, like the, then you just run up super fast when you when you're losing every hand. And it, Do you ever type G A Y in the chat? No, I, I try not to chat much there, even though it's not going to give away anything past that one table. I try not to say anything to give away who I am because there there are some grinders who've been around for a long time on there who may remember things about my playstyle so I don't, I don't want to give anything away. Yeah, smart. I usually just don't chat. If I do chat, I'll say a few words. Yeah. Uh, the only time I'll chat though, and you guys, if you guys play with me either, you can look for it. If there's a fish who I could tell wants to talk, then I'll talk because people don't realize that sometimes the fish just, they want some kind of interaction even if it's trash talking. Sometimes the fish want... You you have to feel it out, but if like the fish is talking a lot of trash himself, that that means he wants someone to engage with him. And if people just sit there like all quiet and don't say anything, then the fish is going to leave. And it also helps the game too. Because the fish will play more wild if you uh, if you start talking back and forth. And uh, I used to do that all the time in Absolute Poker. I got so many good games going there that way. Then then they cheated me. That was fine. Well, okay, let's uh, let's yeah. let's end this here. I'm I'm out of energy here, and well, happy new year, everyone. Yeah, happy new year, and uh, it's, it's the new year's. Well, now it's the 24th. The new year is now eight days away. But I'll tell you the truth, uh, we're closer to the new year now than uh, most of the holiday, most of the Hollywood parties that you see on New Year's Rock and Eve. Those have been recorded weeks ago. You know when you see like Fergie and the other ones on there like partying and uh, at some undisclosed location in Hollywood? It's all fake. It was recorded like weeks ago. So compared to that, this is a genuine New Year's greeting. January 6th is the next show we will have. As I said, while Brandon was getting a drink, it's probably more of the same as we've had for the last few months. Remember the call to listen line. And remember that we stream reruns whenever we're not live, including during the next two weeks when we will not be on the air. So if you get to miss the show too much, you can always do that and hear the show running live, or what appears to be live when it's actually taped. I sometimes go there and it's weird to just like hear myself talking back to me. Especially when I call the phone number. Hang on a second. Stop the music. You there, Brandon? I'm here. This, oh, you know what? I, was, I don't know what I'm thinking. I stopped it so I can call the phone number to, to listen to, to what's playing right now, and I forgot that we're playing right now. <laughs> I'm like, I wonder what rerun's playing right now. I'm going to stop the music and play. I go, wait a minute. It's, it's this show. Never mind. What am I thinking? Okay. 
Well, at least you got a long show out of me here before. Uh, the... I was part of it too now. Well, I know, it was a long show out of me, and it's a semi-long show out of you. I was going to finish. You can't take all the credit here. I, uh, I, I did half of it myself. When did you come? Like 10.30? 10.25. Okay, so you did more than half. Okay. You, uh, you did about four hours. I did about seven hours. Pretty good. My throat hurts. Yeah, mine does too. And I'm going to recover for two weeks and be back in 2016 with the fifth calendar year of Poker Fraudler Radio. Hopefully still with Brandon. Hopefully still with Daredevil. Trader Ruski. And Trader Ruski, wherever he is. Good night. Shalom. Shalom. Happy New Year.